Shabbat Shalom. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight is going to be a very special night. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I really feel like God is up to something. God is up to something tonight. And so I praise him for it, looking forward to everything that God has for us. And, you know, I want to let you know, tonight, Lord willing, we're going to have a surprise guest come on, okay? Just a little bit later, a little bit later, we're going to have a surprise guest come on. News. News is next Friday. So this would be Friday, June the 3rd at 7 p.m., Lord willing, we are going to be blessed with the appearance, uh, with the attendance of Dr. Jason A. Staples. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Dr. Jason A. Staples is, just give you a little bit of an idea here. It's going to be an awesome, I mean, tonight's going to be awesome. Oh, tonight's going to be awesome. Trust me, it's going to be awesome. But tomorrow, I mean, not tomorrow, next week as well. Next week at Friday, it's going to be awesome. Jason A. Staples is, is going to be joining us. This is from his website. Talk about links. This is a link that I would endorse because this is something, this is somebody that we are bringing on. So absolutely, jasonstaples.com. Um, Jason A. Staples, PhD, UNC, uh, Chapel Hill, is a historian, author, speaker, journalist, voice actor, and American football coach and analyst. Can you imagine that? Uh, and so he's got a book out, and we're going to be talking about this book and many other very interesting things. If you go to his website and go to Jason A. Staples, uh, about Jason A. Staples, he's, uh, uh, there's a picture there. Jason A. Staples uh, is, an, is, excuse me, is an assistant teaching professor in the Department of Philosophy and Religious Studies at NC State University, uh, so New North Carolina State University, uh, where he teaches courses on biblical literature, early Judaism, Christian origins, ethics, globalism, conflict, and various theoretical perspectives in the study of religion and society. Very interesting. He is the author of the Idea of Israel in Second Temple Judaism, uh, A New Theory of People, Exile, and Israelite Identity. I heard a little bit about this, and it's, it's, this is going to be interesting, very, very interesting for you guys uh, to, 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 uh, to listen to what this particular gentleman has to, has to say. Um, so, uh, yeah, so uh, he is... Um, so this book has numerous scholarly articles. Uh, he is also present uh, presently completing a book on Israel in the letters of the Apostle Paul. So again, very interesting studies. Uh, he was a 2008 recipient of the of the U.S. Department of Education's Jacob K. Javits Fellowship and is a member of the UN, UNC Royster. Uh, Society of Fellows. Yeah, so I mean, this guy has uh, this particular gentleman here has a uh, quite a, uh, a resume here and uh, looking forward to having him join us next Friday. Okay, there is a scripture that I 
want to bring to you guys attention. And this is something, this is something we might talk about tonight as well. I want to bring this scripture to you guys' attention. Very, very fame, famous or well-known scripture, Jeremiah 31. 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. And of course, most Christians would say that this is uh, talking about the New Testament, or New Covenant. Uh, keep in mind the word covenant and testament are used interchangeably here. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay. It says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, again, in the in the Hebrew, it is actually Torah. I will put my Torah in their inward parts, in other words, on their hearts, uh, and write it on their hearts. Uh, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And basically goes on to say basically that, uh, uh, they will need, they will not need to be taught, uh, but they will be taught of the Lord. So, uh, this is the thing that, that came to mind. See, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of Christians say, you know, I'm not a, I'm not Jewish. So the Torah is not for me, or I'm not of Israel. So the Torah is not for me. But they say the test, the New Testament is for them. So, and this would, this could be something that we're talking, we, we might talk about tonight. The New Covenant is for Israel, is for the house of Judah. Okay. It doesn't say here that the New Covenant is for the Gentiles. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I believe that if you are a Gentile according to the flesh and you, uh, you are truly born again, you know, you become grafted into that Jewish vine, as they say. So, very, very interesting. Jamie says, I understand this to mean the new covenant we non-Jews are grafted into. Yeah, well, basically what I was saying there earlier. Got a question here on TikTok. What happens when someone breaks a promise they made to God? Well, it all depends on the promise. Um, you know, did you have conditions with the promise? Were there conditions? Regardless of the fact, I mean, God knows that men per se are n- not necessarily always faithful. And so uh, I would I would just come before God in prayer and uh, and confess that to him and ask him to forgive you and and move on and move on. I can't see it being a, a huge deal. Unless it depends on the deal you made with God, all right? It depends. Going nowhere says, was the Gospel of Luke in the, in the book of Acts originally one whole book and then separated later? No. The Gospel, actually, there are some scholars who believe that they actually were two different authors. We actually had one of those scholars on uh, a few weeks ago there, um, Dr. Robert M. Price. He's, he believes that the book of Acts was written by Polycarp. And, you know, so that's a different author altogether. But yeah, you could look at it as Luke volume one, Luke volume two, but I have never, ever heard of it being one book and then separated later. This is one thing perhaps we'll be talking about tonight as well with our guest, the the whole idea of Bible canon. I am of the persuasion. I have a lot of reasons. See, when I say, when I say things to, like this, a lot of people don't think, well, 
maybe he's got reasons. And so they don't, a lot of people don't think, um, they, they just think that I'm just, I just got an opinion. Uh, no, I, I've got a lot of reasons to believe that Bible canon is, is misleading. Uh, God, there is no evidence in the, in, in history that anybody has ever claimed that God gave them a list of books to put them all together in one and call it the Holy Bible. Every, see what happened was it started with Marcion, right? Um, Marcion crafted out the New Testament with the, with the letters of Paul and Luke, okay? Um, and then afterwards, the, some of the church leaders got a hold of it and they they added in, you know, they, they tweaked it as they saw fit. Uh, and it, it through throughout the uh, throughout the ages, um, the Bible as we have it today is a product of church tradition. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm not talking about the contents of the Bible. I'm talking about the framework of the Bible canon. I hope that's clear. Um, the Bible is like a library. Okay, the Holy Bible is like a library. It's got many different books in it, and many different Bibles have many different books. Uh, I've got an Orthodox Bible over here, and that's got a lot. That's got more books than a Catholic Bible has, and a Catholic Bible has more books than a Protestant Bible has. And an Ethiopian Tawahedo, I mean, they are just part of the Christian Church as much as anybody else. They're not. They're, they're not any. You know, some crazy little fringe. You know. Uh, uh, small little cult or something, they are, they make up a good part of Ethiopia's Christian community, 45 million members strong. Okay. And they have 81 books, 81 books in their Bible. Um, there are at least 12 different churches with 12 different Bible canons in it. And so when you ask a question about what is scripture slash inspired, that is kin with the whole idea of Bible canon, okay? Because Bible canon is all about putting, you know, books that are inspired in there. Um, each Bible, each different Bible canon is a product of that said church tradition that that was that it came from. It's a product of that. Uh, Having said that, to answer your question, um, the scriptures, every book in the Bible, not just the four gospels, but every book is on is is individually written by different authors that who never ever thought that they would they would be included in a book called the Holy Bible. Different authors. Well, I mean, excuse me. I sh I, sh I should kind of uh, I should. I should correct myself here. I said every every single book is written by a different author. No, there are there are some books that are written by the same author. But my point is this: uh, there are many different authors in the Bible from all different cultures, different time frames, okay, different ages, if you will, uh, different places, and uh, those. Each and every one of them have has a different place on the hierarchy of Scripture. Uh, the Jewish people are very uh, familiar with that. 
Jewish, uh, Jew, Jewish people are very familiar with that concept, that the, that the scriptures are dynamic. They're not static. They're not overly simplified. It's not like, well, we got 66 books and they're all inspired. Holy word of God. Every word that's written is God's word for you today. That's not how they look at it. And I don't believe that anybody should look at it like, like that because that's not what it is really. Okay. Um, the Bible, as I said, as pertaining to the Bible canon, especially the Bible is not biblical. Each one of the four gospels are on a different level. They each have different levels of authority, different levels of accuracy. Scholars are very well aware of this. Okay. Um, I mean, for the most part, I mean, most, most, uh, critical scholars of, in the Christian community, in the Christian world, are very aware of this. Uh, we got Mark, who was written the first, they say. Matthew and Luke was written after that. They say approximately 10 to 15 years after that. And then 10, 15 years after that, the Gospel of John was written. Um, some scholars even take it further than that. Um, there's a scholar by the name of Robin M. No, excuse me, Robin F. Walsh. And um, it, Robin said um, that uh, there's there's evidence that that all of the gospels were written in the second century. Okay, so there are different scholars with different opinions. Um, the word "inspired" to me doesn't mean the same as it used to mean to me. A lot of people oversimplify the words inspired. They make it, they, what, they, what they mean is when, if they say, okay, this, this, this Bible is, is got 66 books in it and, and, and it's inspired. Every book is inspired of God. So what they mean is that every book was actually written by God and it's perfect and it's without uh, error and it's every word of it is, um, is for you today. But if you do any research into it, you'll see that every book has different manuscript traditions. And every one of those manuscript traditions have different differences. Some of the differences are minor. There are some that are very major in differences. Uh, the, gospel, the Gospel of John is the worst when it comes to differences. Um, Gospel of Mark has actually got some pretty hefty differences in there as well. Um, inspired means to me is it means to be moved. You know, when if I'm inspired of God, God moves me. Does that mean everything I do is perfect? No, um, absolutely not. When Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, well, actually, they never even claim to be inspired. Not like, uh, not like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, thus says the Lord, like directly from God. They never claimed to be inspired. They were actually all written anonymously. They're, those books were written anonymously. Uh, and um, they never claimed to be inspired. So uh, they have a lot of differences. They have they have some contradictions of a, between the four of them, and so I think some I think something can be inspired and and still not be perfect. 
On the other hand, something can be perfect and still not inspired. I think there are many books that are written that are perfect, but they're not inspired. And I think there are many books that are written that are inspired, but they're not perfect. Uh, it's like, again, um, being a musician, I, I liken it unto that where I can have something inspire me or someone, Austin, you can inspire me to write a song. Well, so what does that mean? It means that you move me to write that you write you for some, some, some reason you, maybe it's your personality. Maybe it's something you said, maybe it's something you've done. It inspires me. It moves me to write a song. Does that mean that you actually take my hand? Okay. And you, and you force, you know, a pen into my hand. Okay. And you put a paper down and you, and you make me write your word. No, no, I write the word inspired of you filtered through me. And so that is what I believe. Um, some of these books are like that. Like some books are a lot more, a lot more um, authoritative, like the Torah. So like, and after that, the prophets, they're a lot more authoritative. I mean, just reading them, you can tell they're a lot more authoritative. Um, other books are less authoritative. They don't read with power. Thus saith the Lord, God spoke to me. God says this, God says that. So, out of all the four Gospels, I've said this quite frequently, Austin. I believe Matthew is the most accurate. After that, Luke. After that, Mark. After that, John. And for many reasons. Uh, without going into a, you know, a 10-hour study right now, for many reasons, you, you look at the manuscripts you look at the differences in the manuscripts you compare that with the rest of the scripture compare that with the historical uh, accounts of some of these uh, events in the books that's that's what i come up with so there are uh, there are obviously um things in there that are not uh, <laughs> I just saw this out of the corner of my eye. Oh, a 10 hour study, 10 hour study. Sign me up. <laughs> Maybe we can do that sometime. Onia. Maybe we can do that sometime. 10 hour study on that topic. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, yeah. So, and I'm open, I'm open for, you know, if someone has evidence, you know, that, they want to bring to the table and hey, I've changed my mind before. <laughs> I've changed my mind about things. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm still learning like like everybody else. Hopefully everybody's still learning. Um, I mean, I've not come to perfect knowledge yet. And so I'm still learning. And um uh and as I learn, I I could change, but as as much as I know now, that's that is what I would say uh, as far as the accuracy of those gospels. And I don't believe that it's that saying what I just said is unbiblical or against the word of God at all. I think that it's just, it's just a, it's just the, the truth. Um,
So Austin says, I see you on Instagram more, to be honest. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I'm on several different platforms. So scapegoat for sin on TikTok says, what will you do on the day of the Lord? No one knows for sure, or no one knows of this, but his prophets, right? Uh, yeah, well, I'm not sure exactly what kind of answer you're looking for, but I mean, we read about it in the Tanakh, what the day of the Lord is going to be like. It's not going to be a day of celebration, that's for sure. Uh, it will be a day of great wrath. Austin says, that is clear. The canon of the Bible, Protestant slash Orthodox slash Catholic is a matter of tradition. Yeah. And you were like, like there's, there, there are like what, at, 10 different Orthodox churches, at least if I can, maybe nine, but around there, around 10. And each one has its own Bible canon. Melissa, welcome, Melissa. Good to see you, uh, Christopher. You don't think Yah preserved his word? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm saying at all, no. Um, what I'm saying is, is that it's, it's, it's just no, it's a known fact. Uh, you know, um, I mean, Onia uh, knows it very well as, as well. Hey, speak of Onia, if you go like just what, what was it now? Several weeks ago, we had Onia on here. Uh, and uh, the, the video is entitled like, Evidence of Bible Manuscripts Corrupted. And Onia makes a very good, a very good um, case for the corruption of the manuscripts. See, God always works through fallible man, women. Okay. God always works through his fallible creation. It's the, it, as it says in the, in the Proverbs. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search it out. So deep within all of these variations of manuscripts and contradictions, you have scholars and uh, scribes and, and people like Onia and others that are uh, very uh, well-versed in this kind of thing, and uh, and they will look they will look into it and say, okay, so here are like five six, seven different manuscripts, and they all say different things. So they'll, they'll look into it and, uh, and, and do some forensics, okay, if you will, and, and find out, uh, determine which one is, is most likely the truth. Um, and so, yeah, I, th I think that many times it is hidden, um, definitely not perfect. If God wanted a perfect Bible, he would have written it himself and dropped it out of heaven. He would have sent an angel to write it and deliver it to us. He would have had Jesus write it for us. Um, but that's not what happened. Right? And so I believe that God specifically, on purpose, by design, 
made it so there are many discrepancies and contradictions and differences and variations, numbering the hundreds of thousands, they say, just within the New Testament alone. But I think that's by design. I think that God, God, that's God's will, because if not, it would be it would be an idol. It would be like the bronze serpent. It would be worshipped. Um, and God does not. I don't believe that God wants us to engage in bibliolatry. I think he wants us to be smart. I think he wants us to be intelligent. I think he wants us to search out the truth, um, to find, you know, to, uh, to find the hidden treasures, to solve the puzzle. To, to Yabi the Glory says, Shalom, y'all, Shalom. To Yabi the Glory, good to see you. Melissa says, Bible just means books. Well, actually, Bible means book, uh, but yeah, it's com it's composed of books. Yes, it's like a library. Cat Cool says, what, are, what is your opinion on the five solas that most Protestants hold to? Um, uh, hold on. If you can just, just hold that thought for just a moment, uh, just a second here. Um. All right. So, um, you know, you got the thing like Sola Scriptura. Well, again, that's not really in the Bible either. You have to have extra, extra biblical things to, to explain what is biblical. Um, Sola Fida. So, again, that's the only time you see, the only time you see, um, you know, by faith alone is where it's preceded by the words not by faith alone. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is is very unfortunate. I, I don't agree with a lot of it. I used to. I used to. I used to subscribe to it all. Thank you very much, Cat Cool. I mean, I have I, ha I actually have lots of uh, videos and other content that goes deeper into that kind of thing. Scapegoat of sins asked a question. This is this is a question. What would you do if two witnesses were here to witness you speak? Um, I wouldn't change a bit. I wouldn't change a thing. In fact, I'd probably call them over and say, "Am I right? <laughs> if I'm not right, correct me. But if I am, you know." Yeah, absolutely. So on the on TikTok says, so you were saying that the divinity of Jesus was added over the 
the progression of the gospels, Jesus is not divine. I okay, so I didn't say that. I said that. Okay, see, a lot of a lot of times this happens. A lot of times I present something, and then someone reads into what I'm actually. A lot of times when I present something like that, I'm not saying anything. I'm just presenting the facts of this is what it, you know, it's like judge for yourself. Okay. I'm not really saying anything. A lot of these times, a lot of uh, questions or a lot of videos that I post, I just post the facts. Uh, like math or Mark, they say was the first gospel. Matthew and Luke were after that. And John was the latest. Some scholars say it's even like a hundred and some odd years after, certainly not the gospel of of um of john the disciple but some other john and what a lot of people believe uh and you see it a progression you see something that uh mark doesn't say hardly anything about the divinity whereas matthew and luke a little bit more and john just goes full on out right Uh, so i'm just presenting okay we see a progression here as time goes on this is what we get that's all i'm saying Tiabi the Glory says, in DSS, the book of Esther is only one without four letters of yod Hey wow Hey name uh, All writings with the name must be buried and not destroyed in Israelites' traditions of that time. You know, the Greek Esther, though, I believe that has God in it, although it's not, it doesn't have the Hebrew letters in it, but it is it does have God in it, God's name. <laughs> Jamie says you want you once ate vanilla but but wanted chocolate. Okay. <laughs> so Melissa says I love Paul. Like to me, like, you know, those of you who know me, I am, um, if someone says they love Paul, you know, if they're, if they're doing, you know, if they're, if they're right with, with God, so to speak, if they're on, you know, they're on the right track and they're, you know, they're in tune with, with, uh, with the word of God, they're in tune with his instructions and everything. I just say all the power to you. And if someone is, says, I hate Paul, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, to me, it's like, it doesn't really matter as long as you, as long as you, it's just, it's just like, um, how do you understand it? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? And that's what, that's what really matters. And like I always say, you know, Paul's not Messiah. He's not our savior. For years, um, for quite some time, they didn't even have Paul around. And so, I don't believe Paul is needed for salvation, although uh, you know to have his writings are is, is 
something is is definitely an asset. Austin says, uh, it's not an argument per se, but I feel emotion. That view of the Bible destroys faith. If Paul, the gospel of John and all the others that validate Paul, second Peter are not God's word. Uh, okay. So let me, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll speak from my own personal experience. I have a thousand times stronger faith now than I did when I used to believe the super hyper, um, super simple kind of like all is inspired. You know, everything that Paul wrote is the word of God and nothing contradicts each other. When I used to believe that whenever, whenever somebody said anything like, Oh, there's a contradiction. It, It would, it would, it would, it would bother me a lot. It, it would, uh, I would be very uncomfortable with that. If I heard myself speak, like if I were to, if I were to go back in time and speak to myself 30 years ago, when I first started getting into mainstream denominational Christianity that taught this kind of thing, like, you know, 66 books, all inspired, no more, no less. If I go back in time and I hear myself speaking, I know at that point in time, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be like, oh, I'd be super uncomfortable. I, I would be like fighting it. But now I have much more faith, much more faith than I had back in those days. Now it's like if someone says there's contradictions in the Bible, I would say, that's not no news to me. Okay. I mean, I believe I believe, you know, my faith is is more stronger than ever before. Um it's Let's not go by emotion. Let's not go by feeling. Let's go by fact. Okay. This is what happens a lot. When I say the things, some of the things I say, people get offended or people get, they feel very uneasy. Um, and they start calling names or all this kind of stuff they do. Um, Here's the thing. You should be asking the question, is what Christopher's saying true or is it not true? You need to come to the point where you say, listen, do I want something that is not true just because it makes me feel better? Do I want something that is not true just because um, it, it supports my dearly held beliefs? So, the bottom line should be, is it true or is it not true? If it's true, well, you got a choice to make. It's either you believe the truth or you believe a lie and protect your, your doctrine. Or you reject the lie and you believe the truth. So I understand. I totally understand some of the things that I say really can shake people because they put faith in what man says. They put faith, their faith is very shallow. I, I can speak for myself because I was there. Okay. I was there. Their faith was very, it's very shallow. Mine was when I first got saved there for the first few years. Um, their faith is very shallow. And so if anybody speaks against their, their bibliolatry, right, their, their super 
super simplified over exaltation of a translation of a collection of books that man put together. Um, yeah, so they they get they get offended and they, they try to fight. The only faith that 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 I'm destroying is faith in an idol. I am supporting and feeding and I pr- I pray that I am strengthening people's faith in God, not not faith in man, not faith in what man did, but rather what God did through man and with proper knowledge you will understand more more understanding, more knowledge. We read there the other day, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hosea. I believe God wants us to have a lot of knowledge. He wants us to be knowledgeable. And the more knowledgeable we are, the more faith we have. Uh, So if Paul, the Gospel of John, and the other books that validate Paul, 2 Peter, again, well, 2 Peter, again, please understand, this is a fact. Okay, this is a fact. Most, if not all, credible scholars concur. This is not me making it up. Okay, this is not me making it up. Most, if not all. Some people say most, some people say almost all. The the vast majority of people who study this and the paleographers who study the paleography and uh, all that stuff when they study the ancient writing uh, practices and all the stuff that they study that that most of us have no clue about. They all say that Second Peter is a forgery, not written by Peter at all. Again, if what I'm saying is not true, bring out the evidence that is not true. If it's true, then you got they got a choice to make. Now. Am I am I saying you should throw out Second Peter? No, absolutely not. I don't believe in throwing out Second Peter. Uh, I believe in looking at it in in a proper way. I believe in in looking at Second Peter for what it really is. Okay. Um, I believe in adopting a- adhering to the truth. Okay. So. Um, It's, that's what it that's what it boils down to you know I know you, I know it may you may not feel like it's right you may, you may you may feel like it's wrong but you should ask the question is it the truth go do your research don't believe I'll always say this okay I'm not someone who's I don't claim to have exclusive truth I do not claim to have exclusive truth go study it for yourself look it up keep an open mind though if you don't have an open mind you're not going to get it if you if you come in if you come to the table with your mind already made up, you're not going to see the truth even if it stares you right in the face. People do that all the time. They're in denial, 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 and it just makes them look stupid in the end. So I would encourage everyone not to not to uh, you know enter into any kind of denial.
And so uh, Austin asked this question as well. Why be a Christian? Why not be a Jew? If Moses holds the most authority, how can the life of Jesus slash resurrection be validated to me to reject the New Testament as inspired, breathed, spoken by God would? Okay, so again, please understand. If I'm saying anything that's not true, reject it. You should be asking yourself a question. Is, is what he's saying true? I guarantee you, though, if you if you have a if you're predisposed to to saying, no, you know, the Bible is absolutely infallible. Without any kind of. Um, um, errors at all, without any kind of contradiction, then you know what? If you come like that, you are not going to see it because you've already you've already made up your mind not to see it. You've already made up, but you should approach it to say, is it? If it is, I want to know. If it's not, I want to know. Is it? Be open either way, okay? You say, why be a Christian? Why not just be a Jew if Moses? Okay, so you need to understand as well, in the true New Testament church was very, very Jewish. In fact, they met in synagogues, they didn't build a church. In Acts chapter 15, they were with the Pharisees. Okay? When they made the decision, they didn't go up off to their own little corner and, you know, and they're off little, in their own little building and their own little whatever and make decisions as a Christian church. No, they, they made decisions right there. It says that they went to the synagogue, they went to the temple. Um, regularly, daily. Okay, why would they go to the temple? The temple is there's only one purpose for the temple. It's not to hang out and have Starbucks. There's only one purpose for the temple. They're not going to go out there to hang out. But they says they went there every day. Um, every Christian in the New Testament was a Jew either adopted Jew or biological Jew, it was all Jewish. Everything was Jewish. There was no difference. In fact, if you look it up in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was talking about Moses, he said the church, the ecclesia. Okay? That word, that word ecclesia, sometime, in some translate, I'm not sure, in different Bibles have translated different ways. Some, some uh, Bibles translate it as assembly. Some, some Bibles translate it as congregation, but some Bibles translate it as church. And it should be called church because that's exactly how it was translated through most of the rest of the New Testament was church. So um, according to Stephen, according to Acts chapter 7, the church existed with Moses in the wilderness. Even Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, the gospel was preached to Abraham. I don't believe that there I don't believe that God is a double standard, double-minded, hypocritical, multi-personality God. I believe there's one gospel, one word of God, one Father, one Lord. You know, so what gospel was preached to Abraham? What gospel? It's the same gospel. So being a Christian and being a Jew, there was no difference. 
No difference. I challenge you, Austin, please post a verse in the New, in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. Okay? Post a verse when uh, Jews had to renounce Judaism to become, Christ, to become Christians. They had to renounce other things. They had to renounce lots of other things. Now, there was a book burning thing happening in, 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 in the book of Acts, but nothing, it wasn't Judaism. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't renounce Judaism. They, actually, when people got saved, they actually got saved into that form of Judaism. Again, Austin, the more knowledge you have, the more you see these things. And the more you see these things, I'm telling you, I'm this is the truth. After 30 years of intense study, okay, what I know today and how I view things today fits so much better. Everything fits so much better from Genesis to Revelation. Everything fits so much better. And it's so clearer than it was 25, 30 years ago. And, and again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the New Testament is not inspired. I'm just telling you that it may not mean what men tell you that it means. Okay? It may not mean what men tell you that it means. Austin says, destroy my faith. Hey, hang out, buddy. You can, you, you'll get strong. You'll get really, really strong. The only faith I destroy is faith in idols. That's it. Onia says, even the notion God wouldn't preserve his written word is an unproven assumption. We have no reason to believe it is true. Uh, he has no obligation to preserve the writing, the written words of anything. Powerful statement, Onia, and a lot of people just are not, I know a lot of people don't have the capacity to grasp that, but that is, that is. <laughs> hey, um, you want to you hear the truth? That, there you go. Question for move says, or assuredly I say to you, this is Matthew 5, 18. This is uh, Jesus speaking. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Keep in mind that the English translation that we have today is, doesn't include jots or tittles, okay? Um, keep in mind also 
that there is a lot of different manuscript variations of the Torah as well. Uh, speaking of Onia, Onia could definitely testify to that. Um, I, I believe that God's law, as as it is perfect in heaven, uh, His law by His Spirit is perfect. Um, and so when Yeshua said that, when Jesus said this kind of thing, like, uh, I believe he was, what he was saying is, is that God's law, okay, not man, not men's, the scribes product of copies of copies of copies that have been corrupted and it's proven to be corrupted, but he's talking about God's law as it is forever settled in heaven, Okay. That is definitely not going to pass away until heaven and earth pass away for sure. People need to realize that jot and tittle is like tog and or what's the other Hebrew? Oh, I slipped my mind right now. Yod, yod and tog. Okay, the yod and the tog. Right, and that you know the Hebrew letter, the yod, and then the the uh, the. Uh, like the decorations of the letter, so to speak, the togs uh, of uh, of the Hebrew letters as well. That's what he was talking about. And again, this could be like figuratively speaking as well. Question for move. What is Sola Scriptura? Sola Scriptura is... The belief that it's well, actually sola scriptura literally means scripture alone. Like, in other words, if it's not in scripture, um, we only go by scripture alone. We don't go by tradition. We don't go by you know anything else, uh, customs or anything like that. We just just if it's in scripture, we go by that. If it's not in scripture, we don't go by that. The, the problem is that that particular. Uh, that particular concept is not in scripture. Okay. Uh, that's the problem with that. Again, that's a man-made doctrine. That's not God's doctrine. And I know most of these things that I'm saying right now are things that I used to believe, but again, it took me years and I understand a lot of people, they may not be able to understand it. They may not be able to receive it. It may be like babies, like babies just uh, throwing up all over the place uh, when I try to feed them this kind of thing. But as time goes on, if you have an, an open mind and you trust God and you fear not, fear not, ask God. Is this, is this real? Is this true? I want to see if it is. And God, I, I, I trust you. Just show me whether it is. Just trust him. Question for Move says, we still need writings. Absolutely. You know, the, one of the biggest problems is when people go around saying, the Holy Spirit this, the Holy Spirit that, the Holy Spirit told me this, the Holy Spirit showed me this, the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, moved me, uh, whatever. I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me this, or the Holy Spirit witnesses, witnesses with me against this, or whatever the case is. They say there are, I didn't count them. I can't confirm it, but I don't. It, it doesn't surprise me. They say there are over 43,000 denominations. 
of the vast, vast, vast majority of them are Protestant denominations. And each one of those denominations all claim to go by the Holy Spirit. And they fight against one another. Figure it out. I mean, what's wrong with this picture? Is the Holy Spirit divided up into 43 plus thousand different ways? Or, you know, or, <laughs> or is it that people just get it, they, they get a lot of things wrong. They think, they they mistake their own feelings, their own their own emotions for the Holy Spirit. They mistake their own mind for the for the for the Spirit of God, their own heart for the Spirit of God. Remember, the heart is is like it says, the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful, very deceitful. So yes, we do need the written. Definitely, I I would say that you know. Uh, without the the written the the writings of it is uh, is definitely uh, is is needed. However, we need to be intelligent enough to study, to look into these different manuscripts, to discern truth from fiction, um, to find the treasures. Yeah, to Yabi the Glory says, I didn't know the Septuagint had the name. The uh, the Greek uh, version of Esther is a whole lot different, to say the least. I mean, a lot bigger than the Hebrew version of Esther. And Lord willing, in about what, uh, perhaps about six weeks or so, we'll have Onia, give or take. Onia is going to come on here with his version of the book of Esther. Uh, again, comparing the different man manuscripts. It is an amazing work. It is an amazing work. Uh, it, it's really a phenomenal thing that, that, uh, that he's doing there. So um, don't miss that. That's going to be good. O'Neill will show you the differences between the Greek and the Hebrew. So Yabi the Glory says, uh, Scripture study can get complex, getting into the Hebrew. Masoretic, Dead Sea Scrolls, Septuagint, Samaritan. Yes, lots of that stuff. And when you put it up side by side, it is just absolutely amazing to see when they were put together, when, when they were written. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Voice of One says, uh, you only speak the truth, brother. You can Google it. Thank you for confirming, Voice of One. Yes, voice of one. Look at the context and intended audience of 2 Timothy 3.16. Absolutely. Totally, totally agree with you. I believe that, um, I believe if, if, if we went back in time, if we went back in time and met Paul and told him, hey, you know, it says in the Bible, he'd, he'd probably go, what's the Bible? Well, you know, Paul, you got your writings in there. What? My writings? What do you mean my writings? We know your letters. What letters are you talking about? I believe his, I believe that the, the conversation would probably probably go something like that. Well, you know, Paul, you know the letters that you wrote to Philemon and Titus, and how'd you know about that? I believe that that's how it would go. You know, Paul, when you said to Timothy, you know, you know, all Scripture is given by inspiration. How would, how dare you? Who got a hold of my mail? That was a private mail to Timothy. Relax, Paul. Relax. 
Yeah, somebody somebody raided the mailbox, but and they copied it. And now there are billions of copies all over the world. Privacy violation. Tammy says uh, it is rare that Messiah refers to our Father as a certain name. Most times, it as Abba is the name, or referring to some name important in your opinion. Um, I think this this is a question here. Uh, okay, so um, is it or it? it it is. It is rare that the Messiah refers to our our Father as a certain name. Most times, as Abba, is the name or referring to some name important in your opinion? Yes, it is. Um, if you notice, now again, maybe one of you guys you can prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. But if you notice, for the, the vast majority of the time, Jesus never refers, Yeshua never refers to God as God unless he's talking to sinners. If he's talking to someone that, you know, they're not, they don't know God, um, you know, someone who's not on, not, not there, they're not, they don't have a relationship with God. Then he he refers to the to the Father as God when he's talking to them. However, when he's actually speaking directly to the Father, um, he just says Abba, right? Abba or Father. Um, I think that's that is very important. The only time that Yeshua said my God or called him God was on the cross. Now someone could argue. He, uh, uh, According to the letters of Paul, he became sin. Okay, so he was actually speaking from the point of view of a sinner. So it's like my God, because see the word God is is more is is a lot. There's there's not intimacy with that. It's not like, hey, Dad, Father, Abba, Daddy, as opposed to God. Like God, God is more of a disconnected point of view uh disconnected relationship like god way up there we're, we're way down here um not like not like father and so um if you notice the only time i say god is when i'm reading the scriptures or referring to the scriptures uh, or talking to other people just like how yeshua was but when talking to god directly I would say Father. I wouldn't say God. God is too disconnected. The relationship's not there. Um, and then you, you got people who say Father God. Like to me, that's like an oxymoron. What do you mean Father God? It's like two totally, two ends of the, of the spectrum. Two, two completely different ends of the spectrum. Father over here and God over there, and you put them together, Father God. You know, I, I'd never use that. <laughs> I never use that uh, that title or, you know, I, I never refer to God as Father God. Yeah, I do believe it's important. Thank you very much, Tammy. It's a very good question. The real truth says the day I had to break down my quote unquote faith in the Bible and put my faith in Yudhe Wauhe or Yahweh, Yahuwah, 
was the hardest day of my life. I had to destroy my faith to gain the true faith in God. Made me free. Wow. That is amazing. Thank you for that testimony. That is amazing. Yeah, you know what? It does. It takes great humility. It takes great humility because this is this is what happens, right? People, they are either raised in church. And if, if that's the case, normally it's almost worse than if they're not. Okay? <laughs> because they're raised in church and it's, uh, it just... They 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 already have a pre you know they have preconceived ideas and they're already pre, pre they already have a whole bunch of baggage by the time they get to be an adult. Uh, but then you got other people that they are converted and they start going to church as an adult. Or in my case, I was well, yeah, I was well, I was eighteen years old when I started going. Actually, I started going myself a little bit before that, but um, but at very young, very young age, a very young adult, a very young adult. Um, this is the problem. They hear the quote unquote gospel from the pulpit or from their favorite teachers or evangelists. They hear the gospel. They hear this, the, you know, what I call the modern corrupt Christian narrative, and they don't know any better. And so they, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they soak it all in. They soak it all in. They believe it all, and then they stick to their guns. They stick to their guns when anybody says anything that would oppose any of that. They stick to their guns. And they they refuse to hear anything different. And you know what that is? That is just utter arrogance and pride. Because what they're saying, not, not with their words, they're saying by their actions, by their attitude, what they're saying is, I never get deceived. I never believe anything that's wrong. Oh, I'm too good for that. I would never believe something that's not right. Oh, no. I believe every, everything I believe is perfect because I'm perfect. I believe everything is perfect. And I would never believe it if it wasn't perfect, if it wasn't right, if it wasn't true. But if they're humble enough to say, you know what? I could be wrong. That's part of that. You said like the hardest day of my life, the real truth, you know, is hard because you got to swallow your pride. You got to put aside your arrogance. You have to be super, super duper humble and say, maybe I'm wrong. Mm, hurts, but hurts to think that, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I believe something that wasn't true. And once you get to that point, then God can really use, uh, then God can really, you know, flood you with the real truth. As you said, uh, talk about the real truth. The real truth said uh, the real, the, the true faith in God. And that's what it's really all about. And that's what I fight every day. I fight it every day. I'm not with other people. I fight it every day. Every day I'm fighting it. People, you know, they think that, you know, as it says in Proverbs, every man is right in his own eyes. Every man is right in his own eyes. But if you're humble enough to say, you know what, I think I'm right, but I might be wrong. Can you, I want to see what kind of evidence you have. What do you got to put on the table? Can you show me something that's different? 
See, I used to believe, and I've said this, even if you, if you go back like, so even four or five months ago, I used to say, I think that Mark, the gospel of Mark is the oldest gospel. And after talking to Dr. Snyder about it, and after he, you know, he explained it, that, you know, that the, usually the first, you know, if there, if you got scribes that are copying scribes, or if you got someone who's copying another book, usually they add to it, they make it longer instead of shorter. So usually it's the shorter version, that's the first version. That's just historically, that's just the way it is. It's proven historically. And on top of that, um, what doc, Dr. Snyder said, um, and he believes that that Matthew and Luke copied from Mark, and they just kind of changed some of the things that they believe was wrong. Because one of my biggest objections to Mark being the first gospel is because there were so many errors in it. And it's true. There are so many errors in the gospel of Mark. <laughs> That's why I put it second to last. The gospel of John, I think, is the worst. But the gospel of Mark is second second to last okay this um and um so i thought to myself well it must be the it must be younger because you know over time corruptions you know people forgot things or mark must have forgot things whoever mark was uh forgot things or you know uh things were added or things were changed you know over time because the closer you get to the the real event the more accurate it should be but then once i once i come to the understanding that mark was written like a whole generation after the fact anyway like 40 gener like 40 years after the fact approximately some people believe it's older than that it's even like 140 or something like that like i said uh uh there's a a, a scholar that i was listening to there a few uh was it last week a few actually a few three or four days ago anyway um and um it said that I believe the Gospel of Mark is even in the second century, early second century, and the Gospel of John is like late, late second century. Um, I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's you know, 100% true fact. I'm just saying that's what other other people, knowledgeable people, have come to that. One knowledgeable person that I know of has come to that conclusion. Very knowledgeable, by the way. Perhaps uh, next Friday we'll ask. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, Dr. J Jason Staples about that. See what he has to say, since he, since he is a historian. By the way, those of you who are new, uh, we have Dr. Lord Willing. We have Dr. Jason A. Staples with us um, next Friday. That's June 3rd. Okay, He is an assistant teacher, assistant teaching professor in the Department of Philosophy and Religious Studies at North Carolina State University. He teaches courses on biblical literature, early Judaism, uh, Christian origins, ethics, globalism, uh, conflict, and various theoretical perspectives in the study of religion. He wrote a book called The Idea of Israel in, the, in Second Temple Judaism. Very interesting. I haven't, I haven't actually read it yet. Lord willing, I'll read it before he comes on. And, um, but amazing. Uh, uh, some of the things that I've heard about uh, you know, his, in, his insight. So maybe we'll, uh, we'll ask him, Lord willing, if I remember. If I don't remember, maybe one of you guys can, can remind me. We'll ask him about the dating of the Gospels. All right.
one John says a big YouTube channel uh, who is a Jew. I big I big you know um, who is a Jew now turned Christian. Oh, I think I think I have an idea of who that might be. Uh, use the term Judaizer in a video. I really hate that term, and it's anti-Semitic in my opinion. I, I do. I, I I totally agree with you on that. Um, I think originally it wasn't meant to be a slur. It just means to teach other people to live like a Jew, or you know that kind of thing. Um. And to put it, it depends on how it's used, right? If, if it's used in a positive way, then it's not anti-Semitic. But if it's used in a negative way as a slur, then it is anti-Semitic. Real Truth says, I agree it may not, capital N, capital O, capital T, mean what men's doctrines tell it means. Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Uh, O'Neill says there's a copy of the original law in the Ark too. Yes. Melissa says, who is the guest? Uh, if I told you, it wouldn't be a surprise. Um, we'll see. We'll see. It's, uh, it's actually late uh if this gets much later um it might not happen but uh we'll see how it goes you'll find out okay you'll find out uh vinnie says as christopher has brought up before you won't find yeshua or any anywhere in the bible someone rebuking Judaism. Yeah. I know somebody, I, I, I totally hear you, Vinny. Somebody might say though, I'm just, just kind of thinking here. Somebody might say, well, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for, you know, the, you know, making the word of God of none effect through, through their tradition. And that's not really what, what we, what we're talking about when we were talking about Judaism. Um, I mean, there were traditions and, um, you know, things that the Pharisees did teach as, as, as if they were laws of God, but they're, they're not laws of God. So that's certainly not good. And, you know, certain traditions that is, that was against the Torah, certainly not good, but yes, as a whole, 
Jesus never said, Yeshua never said, you know, repent of your Judaism. Um, more or less just trying to clean it up a little bit, you know, kind of like how we're trying to clean up Christianity a little bit. <laughs> Someone asked me a question, where can I get a wooden finger pointer you have? It's actually from a Torah scroll. Uh, it's called a Torah pointer. You might be able to pick one up online if you look for Torah pointer or Yod. Y-O-D or Y-A-D depends on different spellings. Cat yeah, cool. What what does uh, Hebrews ten twenty six mean? Okay, so uh, let me see. By memory, there's no sacrifice for sin left. Like if, if those who willfully sin, um, let me just pull it up just to be. <clears throat> If one willfully sins, yeah. So Hebrews 10, 26. So if, if, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Um, so that is actually, I believe, okay, that that concept is taken right out of the Torah. Um, I believe that concept is taken right out of the Torah because we have like in um, uh, let me see now I'm thinking Leviticus chapter 5 just want to double check Numbers chapter 15 for sure. So it is Leviticus chapter 5. Levit Leviticus chapter 5 and Numbers chapter 15 talks about the sin sacrifices and how those sin sacrifices are only for unintentional sin, right? So uh, if you sin willfully, according to those scriptures, sacrifice does not cover you, does not cover it, okay? And I believe that's the reason why David, King David said in Psalm 51, um, sacrifice and offering you do not desire. I believe he said that because he knew that he sinned willfully. Therefore, sacrifice and offering doesn't 
It doesn't, it won't cut it. It will not cover that sin. You, you know that it's wrong, but you do it anyway. Sacrifice does not cover that. Now, that doesn't mean there's no hope. I believe that in the scriptures, I believe it's clear in the scriptures that um, repentance covers it. Repentance meaning you turn from your sin, you turn away from that way of thinking, way of living. Uh, you you change, you 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 uh, you get on back, you know, get back on track with God. Uh, that's repentance, and so that is what would cover all sin uh, as as much as can be repented of. Uh, so that's what I believe that means, uh, Cat Cool. Thank you for your question. Very good. Yeah, so Kat Kua, I, I answer this question. Uh, does it mean if we are to sin after knowing the truth, it's over for us or something more? No, it just means that sacrifice, according to the, I guess, according to the Torah, Leviticus chapter 5 and Numbers chapter 15, you can look it up. It, a lot of, much of those chapters speak about that particular concept. Um, and so, but like you, you take the all of the word of God you take it all in, you know, in context, you repent, you'll be forgiven. I think that's the reason why, too, that a lot of these people, they brought sacrifices, yet um, <laughs> sorry, I just got a little bit, they brought sacrifices, yet God rejected those sacrifices you know and there's other other times throughout scripture as well uh where uh like he said i desire mercy not sacrifice uh to obey is better than sacrifice sacrifice and offering you do not desire then there's that whole passage in amos chapter five um there's a lot more to it as well i mean we there's so much we've we've read already um onia Onia, um, would you be interested in jumping on for a few minutes? Uh, see this. I know I said in the uh, on the thumbnail. I said uh, um, with a uh, possibly with with possibly a, surpri a surprise guest. That surprise guest was due to come on about eight o'clock or s s around there, and it's, it's way past then. So. Uh, Onia, would you be interested in jumping on, even if even if it's just for a few minutes? I know you've got a lot a lot of the things we've been talking about tonight. I know you've got some things you that you can share if you want. If not, no problem, no no pressure, no obligation. Onia, uh, it's up to you. If you want to, we can talk further about some of the things that we were talking about earlier. Okay. All right. Um, just give me a second here. 
Sorry, guys, we're just kind of we're just kind of playing this by ear tonight. Okay, Onia, it's in the uh, it's in the mail. Well, it will be in about five seconds. Kingdom concepts. I know you you touched on something very, um, very interesting. And I, I've heard this before. I've heard this many times before, but this is a very interesting concept. Okay. So beating up a man and offering him is unacceptable. No animal can have blem blemish. Very interesting concept. Uh, I, I am familiar with that concept. So, and again, a lot of times when I when I talk about these things, people think that I'm people read into what I'm saying. Okay, don't read into anything that I'm saying. I'm just presenting things. It's almost like it's like the gospel, like the the authors of the gospels, right? They present. They said, well, you know, so and so said Yeshua was demon possessed. The other one said Jesus was uh, crazy, and the other one, the other one said he's a deceiver, and you know, so. The gospel writers just presented the the big picture, and this is what I'm doing. I I'm presenting the big picture. We have we have heard a lot from the modern the the Christian narrative of today. Okay, we've heard a lot from that. We've heard a lot of it. Many of you, as well as I, we know it very very well. Um, but um, we should be aware of all these different things and be and think about it. I mean, we should be we should be aware of the big picture. Beating up a man, actually, it's even more than beating up a man. As far as I understand, they actually tore his beard off. They made him so unrecognizable. He was, I mean, so he died long before they thought he would die because of the amount of of uh, carnage they wreaked on him. Okay, so. Uh, it, it was a horrific thing that happened uh, to uh, to Yeshua, and um, and a very very interesting concept. And this was before he was on the altar, so to speak. This is before he was on the cross, and they beat him. No animal can have blem blemish. Interesting concept. And I've heard that used uh, before by uh, 
you know, some people in the Jewish world uses uses that as a as a reason why they they don't believe that Yeshua was a sacrifice in in accordance with the Torah. And you know what? Thinking about it, if Yeshua was a if if he was a a, a perfect fulfillment. Now, I know a lot of people are going to, I can just see it now. Okay, I can just see it now. A lot of people's hair is going to be standing on end, but just I'll say it anyway. If Yeshua was a perfect fulfillment of the law of God, why didn't he change into a lamb? I mean, he could have. Why didn't he get sacrificed on the altar? like the real altar, the altar according to the Torah, right? The bronze altar at the temple. Why not? I mean, Yeshua could have. I mean, I'm sure almost every Christian would agree. Yeshua could have miraculously transformed himself into a lamb, like a literal lamb. Reminds me of a story in one of the, um, what is it, the Arabic Gospels? I know. Uh, the Infancy Gospel. Uh, I can't remember if it's, the, if it's the Arabic Infancy Gospel or the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. One of those narratives where uh, Yeshua, as a boy, actually turned a another one of his uh, not-so-friend, not-so, um, how am I going to word this? Not so much of a friend, one of his enemy colleagues into uh, I think it was a donkey in that in the infancy gospel, right? He turned he turned this boy into a donkey. And finally, I think the boy, the donkey turned back into a boy. Interesting story. Nate asked a question here. What does Exodus 23, 19 mean? So let's check it out. Exodus 23, 19. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother, mother's milk. Uh, so it talks about two different things here. Um, so the first fruit, the first of the first fruits of the land, that would be, so usually when you plant a crop, the first, the first, um, the first fruits or the first, um, I, I don't know how else to you know, explain it if you don't know what the first fruits are. The first that comes off of that crop uh, is, is usually the best. So it's to bring the best into the house of the Lord, right? Literally, I believe this is literal, the first of the first fruits. You should not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Okay, so this is talking about... Um, so apparently what they would do, some, what some people would do, uh, they would boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And so uh, this is forbidden according to the law of God. Um, 
Now, today in Jewish, in the Jewish world, they, they take this to the extreme. Okay. They take this to the extreme. They say, don't even eat meat and dairy together at all. So the idea is the reason why they say don't eat meat and dairy together at all. So the idea is the meat, or in this case would be a young goat, uh, would be, it'd be dead. Okay. This would be a, a dead, of course it'd be dead. It wouldn't be boiled alive. It would, it would already be slaughtered. And, um, so that's death. And then you have mother's milk, which is life or a, sim- a symbol of life. Um, so the idea is don't mix like you're taking like death and life to mix it together it's 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 not good you're taking something that's meant for life and you're and you're mixing it with it's it's it's, the mother's milk is meant to nourish and to give life to this this very goat and you are and you are using it, you know, in a very, I guess you might call it a perverted way. Okay. But they take it to the extreme and they say, uh, the Jews say, don't even eat meat and milk together. Personally, I don't go by that. Okay. Personally, I don't go by that. Um, their idea back in those days was because perhaps it's a chance that you might, uh, you might even, uh, you might have a young goat and, and you might have the mother's milk and you might accidentally mix the two or, or, or you know, accidentally do that kind of, you might accidentally break this law. And so I think that having today, and I know this is against, I know what I'm about to say is against Jewish law. And this is why, this is one of the reasons why, I, you know, if anybody says I'm a Judaizer, it's like, well, you don't really know what you're talking about because I don't go by the halakha or the, uh, you know, the uh, kashrut laws, okay? I don't go by the Jewish laws. I go by God's law, okay? So Jewish law would say you can't have, for example, you can't have roasted chicken and a piece of toast with butter on it because you got dairy and you got meat. You can't have that. Like to me, it's like, honestly, it's like I have no problem with that because there's no chance of that butter being the mother's milk of that chicken <laughs> if you know what i mean <laughs> there might be somebody watching listening to this you don't know anything about chickens but well, chickens you're not going to get milk from chickens chickens don't <laughs> so um you know That's basically what it means. I'm not sure what else to say about that, but it's a very good question. I hope that helps answer your question there. Melissa says, uh, that's how I got to where I am, realizing I might have been wrong. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, that is... That is humility. That's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Um, I would say that is probably more important than, well, I can't say more important than anything, but it's, it's up there. It's up there. 
Well, maybe it is more important than anything because you need to have that humility to receive anything, really. And yes, I agree with this one. John says, uh, compare what is taught in the church and what Jesus taught. There's a world of difference. Yes, absolutely. Christians never think about that. Um, Christians never think about that. All right. Yeah, one John, what I what I say, what I say, when when people say stuff like this, what I say is this. I say, if people if people actually tested what they heard from their favorite pastor or evangelist or whoever else, if they tested that as much as they test me, everything that I say, and I get it. Trust me, I get it. And that's fine. I, I encourage everybody to test me, right? I mean, don't believe me. I mean, just, I encourage everybody to test me. But uh, if they test people as much as, if they test like their favorite pastor or evangelist as much as they test me, they'll, they'll get light years ahead. Yeah, so we have our special guest on here. Um, we don't have... Okay, Onia's not on here yet. Onia, if you don't mind, if you want to, you don't mind maybe taking a rain check on that. Um, just a second here. I need to get my headphones. Actually, you know what? If you give me, if you guys can give me like three minutes. Just give me three minutes. I'm just going to go grab my headphones and I'll be right back with our guest. Okay. All right, everyone. Can we have a drum roll, please? We have our special guest with us. And so I want you all in the live chat to give Wadester a very, very warm welcome. Give him a very, very warm welcome in the live chat. I wish I had that drum roll, uh, you know, intro. So, by the way, Wade, nobody knew. <laughs> nobody knew. Nobody. Everybody's like, well, who's the special guest? Who's the special guest? Shalom Shabbat, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm back, I'm back at you. Um, good to see you. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I uh, Sorry, I was running a little bit later than expected. I've had one thing after another pop up this evening and uh i actually needed to do a few more things but i thought no i'm about 45 minutes past the commit time and i told you i'd hop on and talk so yeah no, no problem wade i know how that goes it happens to me all the time as well so um yeah so welcome um and i did have to grab a bite to eat um tell us now come on so I had a turkey and ham roll. So oh, come on, come on! I was actually hoping that you would start the live stream in the kitchen, maybe frying up like a pound of bacon. You know, starting that way. No, no. Yeah, I'll have some bacon and 
for breakfast. So okay, okay, yeah. So um, yeah. So we have Psalm ninety four says, uh, "Good to see you back on with Christopher." All right, so all right, um, yeah. So um, yeah, kind of sounds like I jumped on at a. <clears throat> interesting time I, I was kind of listening while i was getting back and situated and everything from running errands and you were talking about chickens not having milk and jesus <laughs> and yeah kind of animal talk yeah well i i had uh, another brother here was was impromptu going to come on here because i i actually wasn't sure you were going to show up but uh yeah so um all right. So, uh, yeah, last time, um, it, uh, it didn't happen the way I was hoping it, hoping it would happen. So, uh, hopefully this time it will be much better. Well, I, I think at least we'll have one less distraction. Um, <laughs> makes it a lot easier. Um, <clears throat> having a discussion one-on-one. Um, yeah. I think. yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. That's the reason why I said, I asked, uh, kindly asked, uh, Onia over there if, if he would, uh, take a rain check on that. It was just a last minute thing anyway. So, um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, we can start where, where we left off before, um, or do you have anything you want to add? Maybe uh, and you you listened to a little bit. It sounds like before you came on. So I don't know if you want to pick up anywhere. Wait, I'll put the ball in your court. Yeah, I mean we can just talk. I I actually went back just to the beginning at seven o'clock um, just to sort of see where you were kicking things off and um, found it interesting where <clears throat> where you kind of came out of the gates talking about the new covenant and the new covenant being only for the house of Israel and the house of Judah um, and the grafting in and so forth, which that's always a, that's always an interesting discussion. And I think, I think not only on the, the Torah observance side, but in Christianity as a whole, I think people miss the boat on, um, on that particular thing. It's not, it's not necessarily something, you know, that can become a salvation issue unless it causes somebody to fail in rightly dividing God's word and leading to a misunderstanding of really what salvation is all about and how we're saved today and, and so forth. But I would say that, you know, that the whole idea of replacement theology started with the Catholic church um, and I think I mentioned last time I was on here with you how, in a lot of ways, I view Catholicism as, <clears throat> as you know, uh, Judaism rebooted without Jews, um, you know, and the fact that, that they take the priesthood and the altars and the sanctuary and everything and, and Romanize it, if you will, um, and of course they are very works oriented. Um, you know, coming out of the 
the way that learning the, the lifestyle of the children of Israel after the Mosaic law was given and so forth. Um, but even amongst a lot of, you know, Protestantism and, and churches that, that hold to more of an evangelical position, um, are under the assumption that we're under the new covenant and that the church, you know, essentially has been grafted into Israel. Um, and I believe you even mentioned something along those lines, uh, which <clears throat> I don't, I just, I don't, I don't hold to that position, um, you know, for a number of reasons. And I think a lot of it is the fact that, Kind of some of the things we talked about as far as, you know, you've got, you've got, you know, Israel under the old covenant and then mystery revealed to the apostle Paul. And it's a completely separate thing um, from both of those. In fact, you know, when we were on last time and Will was like, so if you're not the house of Judah and the house of Israel, you're not in covenant with God. And, you know, and he's right. Um, we as members of the body of Christ now made up of both Jew and Gentile um, during this particular dispensation of grace in which we live um, you know our, our, we are saved not through Israel's covenants and laws and everything we're saved through Christ alone and I think most people sort of miss that and it, it causes it causes a lot of confusion when, when you start, um, you know, spiritualizing everything from a, from a standpoint of, you know, interpreting the old Testament through the new Testament, reading back into progressive revelation and saying, oh, that was talking about the church. Oh, and when he said this about Israel and the children of Israel and being, you know, taken out of bondage in Egypt and <clears throat> and everything that they went through and the church in the wilderness and all that, that was all, now we understand that that was the church back then and, and just a number of things like that, you know, which I think that, I think spiritualizing um, things can, can, can cause a lot of confusion because, you know, my approach to scripture is that, that we take it literally unless otherwise clearly indicated as such. Um, you know, there are certain situations where, you know, you look in the, the, the figures of speech and the metaphors, like in a book like revelation where it says, and it was like unto a dragon and, you know, I'm trying to think of like, you know, like there's a passage in the Old Testament that they, they were like, like ants, you know, when it says like unto or like something, that's obviously, you know, making a metaphoric reference. But when you interpret scripture, you know, literally, that's the most consistent um, method of interpretation, which then it backs up to the other issue that I've heard you talk about a little bit tonight is the, the authority of scripture. Um, 
which is kind of one of those things that I'm, I'm, I'm sort of kind of wanting to understand a little bit more where you came to, um, to the point to where, <clears throat> you know, I heard you talk about, um, Paul's letters right in the mailbox, um, the, uh, the gospels with the sequence of Mark and the potential that, you know, which came first, um, the speculation that Mark could have been written 40 years or more after and that John, which you deemed as the worst of the <laughs> gospel accounts coming last, possibly a couple hundred years later and everything. Um, it seems like, you know, that in order to, to really hold the position of the, the Hebraic roots and Torah keeping and everything that it, it, it requires a, um, it requires you to at some point begin discounting um, the final 27 books of the old Testament or final 27 books of the canon of scripture that people refer to as the new Testament bit by bit. And then eventually you don't have a foundation necessarily to, um, to build your position on. Um, so I'm kind of, kind of wanting a little bit of your thoughts on that because there seems like you place a lot of emphasis on the red letters in scripture, you know, the words of Jesus, but those words are recorded in the four gospels that, that you then cast doubt on as being God's authoritative infallible inspired word revealed to us. So you know, that's, that's something that I wrestle with because if you don't have a foundation from which to build your position doctrinally, um, then you're on shaky ground all the way across the board. Then it's open up, then it's open fully to, you know, interpretation, you know, and somebody on here just said our foundation is the Torah, which is, I find very disturbing um, but that said because our foundation is Christ however to to say that a foundation is found in the Old Testament scriptures in particular in the Mosaic uh, books of Moses Pentateuch Torah why is that why, why would that be the, the basis of, of your foundation that, that everything lies upon that foundation and it's never brought in question that that is God's word versus the last 27 books of the Bible, if that makes sense. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of just <clears throat> rambling, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of wanting to understand sort of how you got to that, that particular position. Okay. <clears throat> um, I know you mentioned this tonight and I, I noticed that you had it on the, uh, um, uh, your thumbnails as well. Um, like biblical Christianity versus Hebrew roots. Um, I don't 
I don't, I don't look at myself as a Hebrew roots. Uh, there are a lot of people I know of that do identify as Hebrew roots. They, they say they're Hebrew roots. Uh, there are things that Hebrew roots people believe that I am against. Um, so, um, I, I understand how someone could think that I'm Hebrew. It's not, you're not, you're not the only one Wade. There's, there's, there were other people as well. Um, I, I have just as much similarity with Hebrew roots as, as you would with Roman Catholicism. There are a lot of similarities, but there are a lot of differences, a lot of major differences between me and the Hebrew roots movement. So, yeah, I, I definitely would not call myself Hebrew roots. I would call, um, I call myself a follower of Jesus. Um, I call myself a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I suppose you might call me like a messianic Jew, but even that there are messianic Jews. It's almost like calling yourself a Christian. It's like, okay, so what, what flavor of Christianity do you have? There's so many different ones. Like, I'm not sure if you heard me, um, reference earlier that there were, uh, 40 some odd thousand denominations. And so, so I remember my, um, my boss years ago, I used to work at this place and my boss comes up to me and I never, there was a time when I went around just preaching to everybody, you know, preaching the gospel, handing out tracts and that kind of thing. But when this boss came in, I never said nothing to him about it. But he came up to me and he said, are you a Christian? I'm like, well, depends on how you want to define that. He's like, oh, okay, well, are you a believer? I said, well, I don't want, I don't consider myself to be a believer, more like a knower. I want to know, <laughs> not just a believer. Um so, yeah, um, I'm not, there are people I know that are Hebrew roots. I'm not, um, Will, I'm not sure if he would consider himself to be, I, I really don't know him. I mean, we, we've chatted several times on, on, on live chat and a little bit of going back and forth on TikTok, but that's, uh. I don't know if he would consider himself to be Hebrew roots or not. I'm not sure. Um, me, I'm not as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, um, what, what would, and I don't mean to interrupt, but what would be a couple of distinctives? You said that you don't adhere to everything of the Hebrew roots. I mean, what would be a couple of examples of that? Okay. So Hebrew roots is, is a very, vast um it, it covers a lot of people but for the most part hebrew roots people are sacred namers i'm not a sacred namer uh people who like they're they're insistent that you call you you know jesus yeshua i do often but not always and i don't i don't have a problem with anybody calling calling him jesus or whatever you know your native language would dictate jesus or uh, <laughs> whatever, um, you know, Yeshua, whatever. To me, I'm not like that uh, sacred namer as far as pronouncing the four-letter name of God either. Like um, a lot of people, they hold, like Hebrew roots, they would hold to, you got to pronounce it a certain way. Don't say Lord, you got to say 
this, you know, Yahweh or Yahuwah or something to that effect. I'm not like that. Um, that's one major distinction. I remember I was, I was, um, I was invited to speak for a Hebrew roots per, um, organization. And they, that's one of the distinct, that's one of the things they said. They said, be aware, you know, we, we stick to the sacred name. I'm like, okay, okay. I'll, I'll respect that. Cause like, I really don't. Right. So that's one big one. Um, another one. And, uh, some people would disagree with me. And I know this is a very controversial subject. Uh, I've never spoken publicly about this before. This is the first time ever. Um, Hebrew roots people seems, there seems to be a very large community of flat earthers with the Hebrew roots people. I'm not part of that crowd. Um, for various reasons too. And maybe you know, Lord willing, one of these days I'll get into making a, a video on it. I think that there's a plenty of evidence against it. Just, you know, I'll touch on it because I'm sure there's people that are listening that are, they're probably going, Oh no. Um, in a court of law, one of the greatest strategies of the enemy is to, um, to discredit you, right? To, to catch you in something that can be proven to be wrong. Therefore, it would discredit your entire testimony, your entire message. I believe that the flat earth message, the flat earth, flat earth, whatever you want to call it, um, is one of the things that is used of the enemy to discredit believers. Um, that's a big one. I mean, a lot of Hebrew roots, roots people are into that. Um, and so I'm not. Um, and a lot of Hebrew roots people, like, for example, um, I got it right here. This is like the Hebrew roots Bible, the Sefer, it's called. Uh, you're probably aware of that. Um, it should actually be pronounced safer uh, in the Hebrew, but the publisher pronounces it Sefer. I've read through every single word of this, um, every single word. I do not recommend it. People ask me about it a lot, and I say I don't. Re I don't recommend it. I believe that it it, it is not what it claims to be, <laughs> or not what a lot of people believe it to be. They believe it to be a, a like a new translation, or I believe that there are. I, I have again, that's another whole video right there. But there are things in there that I believe is just a manipulation of the text instead of a translation. It's a, it's the add things they. It, to me, no. <laughs> so, and that's another huge thing when it comes uh, to Hebrew roots. A lot of he people just—that's their Bible. That's their thing. That's like, that's like their King James Bible. With me, no. That is the Bible, the Sacred Names movement, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. Sacred Names and Hebrew roots. So, uh, and and there are other things too, like Hebrew roots. Uh, uh, <sighs> A lot of the Hebrew roots people are more like, I'm not saying everyone. So if, if, if pe people that are involved in Hebrew roots that are listening to this, I'm not calling you this, but there are way too many that are Hebrew roots that are very cultish in the way that they like, we have the exclusive truth, you know, and, you know, it, very, very manipulating and very controlling. And that, I'm not like that. 
Okay. I'm not like that. Uh, I would tell you right up front. I said it actually earlier. Uh, I don't claim to have exclusive truth at all. I mean, I'm still learning and I'm still open. Um, and God forbid I get to that point. <laughs> I never do. Um, and those are a few things. I mean, maybe we can get into a lot more, but, um, it, like there is a, Actually, the Hebrew Hebrew roots name is actually a trademark name, trademarked by, I don't even know who has the trademark. I have no idea who owns that name. Um, don't know anything about them, actually. So, um, yeah, so I don't really identify with them. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, and I, I, I don't like to be mislabeled um, any more than you do. I mean, and, I, you know. If you're if you're not Hebrew roots or whatever it is that you would want to, you know, if you were to give yourself a label or what to be referred to as or or whatnot, then you know I can respect that. I just I, I consider Hebrew roots anything that falls under that you know umbrella, um, whether it be Gentile Torah keepers or Messianic Jews or. Um, some mess, many of the messianic Jews. There's even within. There's factions within it all. You know what I mean? I just see yeah. that sort of umbrella, and then you've got like, you know, under that umbrella, you have like the, like the Black Hebrew Israelites. You know, obviously, you're not part of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be in trouble if I was. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but you know, for example, that group. It's very much you know. Again, it's going back to we're Israel. We want to be Israel. You know, we we are the true Jews. You know, and it, it, it it's like um, it's like I don't know if you know who Amir Sarfati is. Um, no, but yeah, uh, uh, I don't agree with everything from him. But I just happened to be watching uh, one of his sermons that was streaming live last night and he mentioned something along that line and he was like kind of talking about gentiles wanting to be jews or wanting to be israel and he's like we don't want you <laughs> you know kind of from the jewish perspective because he is a he's a jew but he's also you know claims the name of christ and um you know i don't know he's kind of up in the air. I've never really heard a clear gospel presentation from him and stuff, but Christians like him, um, you know, and he gives a lot of good information about Israel and stuff, but, you know, and even with Messianic Jews, like if you go to Israel right now, that's an oxymoron to them. Like you're either a Jew or a Christian. You're not a mess. There's no such thing as a Messianic Jew to the Israelites, to Jew Jews in Israel. And really, you know, any Orthodox Jew around the world, um, you know, it's kind of like make up your mind, you know, which which route you're going and stuff. But there's just there's so much like, you know, that centers around because our art, you know, the Bible that I use is, you know, my King James Bible is predominantly a Jewish book, you know, and I acknowledge that. I don't need to become Israel or steal their blessings and promises like replacement theology teaches. Um, you know, I don't need to 
to have their covenants and laws and everything, you know, it's, it's a, I'm in a different program, you know, and I'm fine with that. And I love the Jewish people, um, love Israel. Think that, you know, theologically though, they're some of the most, you know, blasphemous people, um, for obvious reasons as a Christian, you know, and how they refer to my savior and Lord. But, you know, there's a, there's a, there seems to be a fascination right now in this uprise, quote unquote, I've heard some people use the term awakening as if God has this final revival plan for the world where all of a sudden the, in, in, in sort of an esoteric, you know, Gnostic capitalistic type way that, that all the secrets are found in the Hebrew roots, you know, got to go back to the Hebrew and all the truth is in the Hebrew and, and, um, scripture never, the only thing scripture indicates as far as the direction of believers and the world as a whole, as it relates to God is the opposite, that there'll be a falling away and an apostasy, not a, you know, a last minute, um, revival prior to the second coming of Christ and so forth. Um, but I did want to ask you about, are you familiar with, um, I think his name's Dean cousins. No, I think that's what his name is. And maybe somebody in the comments knows, but you know, he, uh, apparently he, he's kind of like, if you go back to, before the Jim Staley's and the 119 Ministries and all the 21st century, you know, proponents of this big surge of Torah keeping amongst Gentiles and so forth. He goes back into the 80s where he had a vision that, you know, that there was this like 747 that God saw in the tw- turn of the 20th century where he had mapped out how he was going to really save the apostasy of the world. And there was no engines on this 747 and, and he had a vision envisioned four engines to be added to it, to launch it, that launch us up to glory, to be with God where he is. And it was like the first engine was Pentecostalism. The second was the word of faith uh, and faith healing movement. The third was the, charismatic movement and then the fourth he predicted was the hebrew roots movement this is like april 13th of 1986 i think um which i found interesting because i don't typically see a lot of the focus on you know the 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 charismatic pentecostal uh word of faith stuff being adopted by a lot of the people that i that are that do identify as hebrew roots um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm wondering sort of what gets people to Gentiles in particular, um, to become enamored with, with the Jewishness of the Bible and, and those Hebraic roots, you know, of our faith going back, you know, all the way back to 
know, you want to even consider Father Abraham, but certainly after Jacob, um, you know, sort of where where that where that's drawing people in, um, you know, and I I've kind of thought, felt like that it was like some of the people I see that it's kind of a what I consider sort of a marketing ploy of, okay, you're a Christian. We're cool with that. If you want to call him Jesus, we're cool with that. Um, and it's not a salvation issue. Keep Torah, but you know, let's, and, and they start enamoring people with the idea of Yeshua being Jesus real name and the keeping the feasts and on, you know, keeping the Sabbath and, you know, but it's really, you know, if you're a Christian, it's all about real obedience. Like if you really want the next level of Christian life experience, you need to be more obedient, which means keeping Torah. Um, and then it just sort of progresses from there to where kind of what I would consider like the second phase is when they start developing an attitude against Christians, you know, and, and start pulling people aside and saying um, you really need to start referring to Jesus by his quote unquote real name. That's never mentioned in scripture of Yeshua. Um, but now it's not just, you know, it's a good idea if you really want a better experience of obedience to keep the law. Now it's, you need to everything except for the sacrifices anyway, because we don't have a temple or because the lamb of God came, you know, and paid the sacrifice. And then it's kind of like you get to that third level where it's now they denounce the name of Jesus. All of the Torah is applicable. And when the temple's rebuilt, the sacrifice sacrifice system is going to come back into play. And they have completely disowned and turned on the body of Christ, you know, Christians or whatever. That's just kind of how I see it as far as like this progression where people get into it. And if they, once they get around that second phase, now that now it's, now it's completely a different thing other than Christianity to me, you know, because now they're rejecting Christ. And um, I, I tell people that I think that the ultimate destination is where it's about Jesus and ultimately rejecting the fact that of his deity and the Trinity and so forth, that that's where it leads to. Um, but that's just kind of a progression. And I don't know if, if you consider yourself in or part of that progression or if that's foreign to your journey or, you know, which I wanted to ask you about that. Was there ever a time where you did believe that Jesus is God? Um, well, I, I mean, this, this is something that is um, very, every, like that means a lot of things to a lot of people. And even if, even within Christianity, uh, like you, you talk to many Baptists, a lot of them don't even know what that means. Um, say, well, he's God, but he's not God the Father. He's God. Uh, I do believe he is divine. Uh, I don't believe that he is. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. 
I don't believe that he is of the same. like equal in all ways with the father equal in some ways, but not in all ways. That's how I view it. Um, uh, so, and like, it, it depends on how you look at it. And, it, you know, the Trinity is described different ways to different people as well. Um, God in three persons or, um, then they would say, well, what, what's God and who, who's, how can, you know, all this, all this kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if I would say that my view of I'm just trying to think back in like the past three decades since I was involved in mainstream denominational Christianity uh, till today. In some ways it, it is. Um, I don't even know if I could. It, it, it's a it's a it's a tough call. It's a tough call for me to say that I view him as differently. It's a very tough call. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all, you can split hairs on the definition. What does it mean, Jesus is God? It's like how I shared before. I do believe that when he, let's say, you know, he said, you see me, you've seen the Father. I don't believe that he is the Father, right? So I believe that he is a perfect representation of the Father. And in the same way you see him, you see God, in the same way that he is a perfect representation of God. Um, and he is divine. I'm not, I, I, I would not, I've never said he wasn't. Uh, so. Um, Do you believe that yeah. at a beginning? At this, no. I've said it all along. He's been there since before the beginning. Adam knew him. Abraham knew him. Moses knew him. They all knew him. I'm going eternally. Either back. way, yeah. Either way. Yeah. See, and I think a lot of people, they get hung up on, like, you know, even Paul said, greatest mystery of godliness and goes in and talks about, you know, about how God was manifest in the flesh and, and so forth. And, you know, and of course, Godhead would be the, the most scriptural term as it relates, you know, to what we call the Trinity. Um, and I, I, I just, I don't think there's not a human being that can perfectly explain um, the Trinity. Like when people do the water, ice, gas, and all that, none of those, they all fall short of, of even understanding. And I don't think we'll fully grasp what that means in particular and, until we're face to face with the Lord, um, you know, but but the deity of Christ itself, um, I think is just, it's foundational in the sense that if he's, if he's anything shy of being, you know, God incarnate, um, 
and you know, I, I would consider co-equal, co-existent, and eternally existent with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But uh, if he's anything shy of that, it's a it's another Jesus. Um, and I know that's if it, for somebody that doesn't just have that foundational understanding and belief or whatever that he is God Almighty um, just to refer as another Jesus I know can that that that's, I'm sure that that's not that's not received well in the sense of any more than somebody saying well you know if you think this about Jesus then it's another Jesus or whatever but that's you know, the very essence of, you know, God is the same amongst the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And even though we can't wrap our minds around how they operate, and, you know, when you talk about, like, the co-equal part, you know, in the sense that he is just as much God as the Father and the Holy Spirit— Yes, equal. That's why he said, thought it not robber to be with God, Philippians and so forth. But there is a hierarchy in the way the Godhead operates um, that's particularly laid out during the earthly ministry of Christ that I think confuses people a lot. But even in the sense that he talks about that the man is the head of the woman, Christ is the head of man, and God the father is the head of Christ. You know, there's a, there is a hierarchy structure as far as the way that God operates. Um, and there's yet this relationship that's a perfect love between the, the father, the son, the Holy spirit, yet being three in one, like John writes about in first John five, seven, but um, but yeah, I, I'm just wondering if there was ever a time where if, if, um, if I had met you 28 years ago or 24 years ago or whatever, if you would have been like, well, of course he's God at that point. And you've kind of, for whatever reason, um, are more hesitant now and require more further explanation definition of well, what do you mean by that specifically? Um, because if that is the case, I'm curious where that change could have taken place to where you were reading something or listening to somebody and just meditating and just one day got to questioning the deity of Christ and thought, yeah, he's, He's the son of God, but he's not God, you know, to the point to where, um, and I've never, I've never heard you mention this before, but prior to me joining the last time I did, I noticed that you and Will were having a discussion and Will brought up, you know, well, we know he was sinless after the baptism, but prior to that, it's questionable blah, 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 implying that Jesus was a sinner like like all of us until he got baptized by John the Baptist and 
well done, how good faith serve from the Father and the Holy Spirit present, all three of them present at the same time. So that's a dig on modalists, Unitarians. But, like, and I didn't see your response to that. Like, do you believe there was any possibility that Christ sinned prior to the baptism at any point? Will was talking about that because actually I brought it up. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I went through a lot of talking about that, uh, with Will. So, um, I believe that Yeshua, Jesus is hundred percent human. And I believe that he has, that he is divine in that he has the nature of God. So, um, as he, as a hundred percent human, I believe that when he was born, he didn't know how to talk. He didn't know how to walk. And so he had to learn. And of course, in the process of learning, you're going to be stumbling. You're going to be trying to pronounce words. I believe that, I believe that like, we don't have evidence that he was like some, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, obviously, but I don't, I don't think we have evidence even in the gospels that he was some like super extraordinary child that everybody was like, wow, like, this is just on the contrary, they're like, oh, yeah, we know who he is. Like, he's just, you know, he grew up, uh, we grew up with him or, you know, our, our children grew up with with him. Um, so I believe he was very human, 100% human. Like, you know, I think that if I didn't say that, probably people would call me an antichrist. So you didn't say he come in the flesh. Jesus, you know, yeah, he come in the flesh. 100% human flesh. He was human. Um, also divine. Um but being human, I'm not sure if you want me to get into that, the whole discussion I was having with Will about it. I'm the one that actually brought it up. But uh, when I was, what I said to Will, if I, I might get into it now, but if I don't, um, just, to, just to let you know, what I said to Will was just basically thoughts. I'm not making any I'm not making any statements of truth or, you know, I'm not saying this is the way it is. I know for sure it was thoughts. I was talking to Will basically opening up and, and sharing with him. Um, I will say though, as I'm talking about this, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like the infancy gospels. There's some very amazing stories in the infancy gospels. Uh, about his childhood, take it for what it is. If if there's anything that's true or not, well, whatever. Um, but it's amazing. Um, familiar with that. I mean, me? as far as what's generally accepted as the canon of scripture, um, the only thing we know is that that he was born of a virgin. Um, and I don't even know your position on that. Um, but the purpose of that, obviously, was so that he had no earthly father to be born um, in sin. And 
when he was 12 years old and went to the temple and that's it. And then the next thing we know, he's showing up at 30 years of age, which is according to Torah was the age requirement for a priest that they had to be between 30 and 50 years old. And he was water baptized as priests were, and then anointed um, by the Holy spirit. And then eventually with the sprinkling of blood that met the requirements of a priest. Um, but that's it. We know his birth. We know that when he was, we know that when he was a toddler, was the three wise men came and gave gifts. They weren't there actually at his birth, um, which is a whole nother topic. That's not really that important. And then when he's 12 years old, went to the temple and that's, that's all, that's all scripture tells us, but we, but what scripture does tell us um, is that, that he was our spotless lamb without blemish that paid for our sins. Um, and if Jesus had sinned, he would cease to be God. He would cease to be deity. He would cease to be a sacrifice um, that could take away anybody's sins. Um, anyway, I don't want to get on that rabbit trail because it sounds like that was a deeper discussion. I was just, you know, kind of curious when we're talking about the the person of Christ and who he is, because that's ultimately that's critical. Like you said, you're, you're not Hebrew roots. You call yourself a follower of Jesus, you know, so at its very foundational level, like I said, somebody mentioned earlier, the foundation is the Torah. Um, but our sure foundation as members of the body of Christ today is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. Um, and in order to be a member of the body of Christ, it requires one to, to come to Christ the way that, that he has laid out in scripture for us to do so. And in this age of grace in which we live right now, it is to believe the gospel that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that by grace alone, apart from works, um, through faith alone, we can, we can be saved, we can be forgiven, and we can be baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ which is that mystery, you know, one of the mysteries that was revealed only to Paul. There was no body of Christ, you know, prior to that. There was no indwelling Holy Spirit and sealing of the Holy Spirit prior to that. You know, when you've got um, the, the law, the Mosaic law for Israel, who did not have the Holy Spirit, you know, it was very outwardly, just like, you know, you see the transition with the Pharisees and the Gospels, you know, it was, you know, fornication, adultery, you know, speaking lies and doing stealing very, very outwardly, even things like the beards and the tzitzis and all that stuff. Then Christ comes, you know, and he uh, addresses 
Israel on the Sermon on the Mount right out of the gate, just as Moses delivered the law, the law at the at Mount Sinai. Um, and he starts going inwardly and saying, look, you've heard it said before, you know, that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say um, only God could could change laws, you know, and he, he, you know, because he is the lawgiver. And he said, but I say, if you look upon a woman lust after her heart, you commit adultery. Same thing with the murder and hating your brother without a cause and everything. It came more inwardly. And, you know, two, two chapters earlier was when he said, John indeed baptizes with water, but I will baptize, or I indeed baptize with water, John the Baptist says, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And now as members of the body of Christ, which that was Pentecost, now we're baptized by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ and seal. You know, so now it's one inwardly where you know jesus slams the pharisees in matthew 23 for their hypocrisy and whited sepulchers inwardly dead man bones because they were still you know teaching and being hypocrites about this external law that no man could keep and no perfect righteousness could be achieved through keeping the mosaic law and Christ is the end of righteousness, um, or Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now it's more of an internal spiritual thing where, you know, we have something far better than the law. We have Christ and we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us to those that believe. Um, and it's, it's more you know, focus now on where our heart is and, you know, even doing, you know, like Jesus, you know, said, you know, give a new commandment, you love one another, you know, even as you've been loved by God, so forth. Um, just a totally, total different trans transition that took place upon the arrival of the eternal son of God and yet you have people that instead of understanding the Old Testament through progressive revelation in the New Testament, it's, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes of the Hebrew roots is interpreting the New Testament through the Old Testament. It's like they got it backwards. Um, but I don't know what your thoughts are on um, you said a few things I, I really be interested uh, to address. Um, well, the first thing you mentioned I haven't really talked to or talked about yet, and that is my take on the Bible, the Bible canon as a whole. Uh, another thing, um, this is a very deep topic to get into in a way, but I should come out and say it because some people I don't, I'm I you know I don't know Wade if you if you think this or not but I know a lot of people do a lot of people think that I am works based salvation kind of thing you gotta um, you gotta you gotta obey the Torah um, to be saved period 
Um, I do believe that, see, my, my idea of the Torah is much, uh, it's much more dynamic than when it used to be 25 years ago or so. I, I look at the Torah as, um, it's very much like the law of the land today. It's like things that apply to you might not apply to me. Be, like, for example, if you are walking down the street, you don't have to do a circle check around yourself. That's for, that's for trucks and for, <laughs> you know, that's for trucks and for bu buses to do. You don't have, if you're riding a bicycle, you don't have to obey the laws of aviation. You, you obey the laws that are applicable to you. Uh, so having said that, I do believe that Jesus taught as well as generally speaking, the entire Bible teaches that you have to obey what's applicable to you in order to be saved. Now, having said that, I do not say, I would not say I'm, it's, it's based on works. And just to explain what I mean, um, going back to a topic of babies and toddlers, um, I believe that they are candidates for heaven. They are candidates for salvation just because they have never broken any of the of God's law that's applicable to them. They are innocent. And so that makes them the perfect candidates for for salvation, for heaven, if you want to put it that way. Uh, with the with the possible exception of someone like Esau, okay. So Esau was hated from the womb, I believe, and so that's a different story. Um, but generally speaking, I believe babies are are heaven material. Um. So I I believe that it's it's all about a light. Whether you are it's not so much what you do, it's what you don't do. Almost like. Paul in Galatians 5, verses 18 to 21, telling the church, if you do any of these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's like, you know, I I remember back in the day too, it was way back in, well, it was, yeah, maybe it was 30 years ago. I thought, well, so we're not saved by works, but we're, we don't go to heaven by works, but we go to hell by works. <laughs> so uh, thinking a lot about that kind of thing. Um and there's a lot more to say about that, but that's just touching the surface of the idea that I believe in works-based salvation. Um, I believe that someone can go to heaven or get be saved, be on the right side of God without ever doing anything. Miscarriages, um, toddlers, children. Um, even elderly people that are innocent, they, you know, they don't know any better. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of other things. I just don't know. Go ahead. So I think one of the most important, I, I just, I believe that one of the most important words in scripture to understand is righteousness. Um, and so, you know, God will not allow, you know, um, okay, so you've got, when it comes to salvation, 
part of it is forgiveness of sin, which is through only through the blood of Christ and his death. And he was buried and raised again for our justification, legal term of being just and made righteous um, in the sight of God. And, and I think that Romans 9, 30 to 33 is probably one of the best summaries as Paul's talking about the past of Israel, going back to the, like you referenced the Jacob Rebbe abuse all hated and Paul's burden for Israel and dealing with the past and Pharaoh and all that. And then Hebrews 10 is more present tense for Israel. And then Romans 11 is talking about the future salvation of Israel. Um, but when he, and if you don't mind, I'll just read it. This, those verses or whatever, but I think that whether you're Jew or Gentile, it's crucial to understand the difference of what he's talking about here. Um, glasses, let's see. <clears throat> so in Romans 9.30, he says, What shall we say then? that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, which was Christ. As is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So you've got you've got two different kinds of righteousness contrasted, where you've got the righteousness attained through keeping the law and the works of the law versus the righteousness of faith. So you know he's he's essentially saying you got these. You know, Israel, who had the law, because Romans 2.14, Gentiles never had the law, um, but by nature did the things in the law and were law unto themselves and so forth. But he's talking about contrasting that righteousness that Israel was trying to keep the law and do what God had commanded, keep the Torah, um, and could not attain the righteousness required for eternal life um, because they saw it not by faith. Then you have the, the righteousness of faith, which is the righteousness that he talks about in second Corinthians five 21, where he's like, you know, he had talking about Jesus said he had made him to be sin. He who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So ultimately that choice of righteousness boils down to your own righteousness and your self-righteousness, which the Pharisees were quite well known for seeking. And even Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. Um, and then you've got the righteousness that, that is sufficient for salvation and eternal life which is the righteousness um, of God in Christ Jesus. So it's, it's his righteousness 
or your righteousness is the choice. And the only way you can get his righteousness, which is the only righteousness that will save, because as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one, but is through faith in Christ and believing the gospel. That's, that is, that's the crux of it. So if you've got, you know, people that, you know, are given a law to keep, and if you get, you know, like James said, if you're guilty of one, break it in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. And it was the ministration of death and there was no life giving power in the Torah, but then Christ comes along and pays the price for our sins, buried and risen again for our justification. If you had not been resurrected, you're yet in your sins, your faith is in vain, our preaching is in vain, so forth. He had to rise again um, for justification of those who believe. So it's, you know, it's, it's all throughout the Bible. You've got these different, you know, uh, relations as it is with, with righteousness, you know, and our righteousness, like Isaiah says, filthy rags, you know, in light of what God's standard is, because his standard is perfection. And I don't care how much you keep the Torah. If you break one, that's it. You know, you're, you're damned to, to eternal destruction in hell and eventually cast into the lake of fire. Um, you know, that's why the law pointed to Christ all along and why Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, there's coming a prophet after me. Listen to what he says. You know, it was not it was not like Moses was going to just be forever the prophet to to the world. He, in fact, he never was to the Gentiles, but um, but the law was our schoolmaster and we have something better now than the law we have christ and so um we're no longer needing a schoolmaster to to show us our you know our sinfulness our falling short and you know and i think that one of the big mistakes and misunderstandings people have is they they equate you know you'll see people that say you know sin is transgression of law which scripture does say that but that's not that's not just saying that sin is breaking the Torah. That it's sin is transgression of any of God's laws. I think you even mentioned earlier about Jewish laws versus God's laws and, and so forth. Um, you know, it talks about um, I think it's in I think it's Romans two or First Corinthians two. Anyways, talks about sin without the law, you know, prior to the law being given to Israel by Moses, there was still sin, but the imputation of that sin was different because there was no law. And that's why, you know, Paul talked about, and then when the law came, sin revived and I died and so forth. Um, but there's, there are, there, you know, Sin is ultimately sin is disobedience to God, period. Any form of disobedience to God is sinful and sin. Um, but because God told some someone else, don't do this, 
you following their instructions is not obedience. You know what I mean? It's like, like you're talking about with the aviation and stuff. It's like, I don't know, tie that in specifically, but if, you know, I mean, you just think of it as growing up at home. I don't know if you have brothers or sisters, if your mom tells your brother, go take out the trash and you go take out the trash. That's not obedience. Those weren't your instructions. You know what I mean? Or if it says, you know, if you're, if one of the brothers is bad and you're grounded, you know, you can't, you're, you can't be on the computer or your iPad for the weekend. You're not transgressing that parent by getting on your iPad because that was not given to you. And that's where people extrapolate the mosaic law across the board and apply it to every generation, every Jew, Gentile, and then everybody gets confused. And then you end up with a bunch of Gentiles wearing ZTs and not eating pork and petting their beards, you know, a certain people way. Like me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of tongue in cheek, but you know what I mean? It's like, there's, there's, there are things that, you know, your interpretation of the law and the applic application is obviously, you know, seem completely different because I eat bacon burgers and turkey rolls and ham and turkey rolls and things like that or whatever. Um, because, you know, I get my instructions to scripture that is, that is addressed. All scripture is profitable uh, for us. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness and everything, but it's not all specifically to us. And if you make everything in scripture to us, like I said, you end up obeying instructions. You know, that's why, like I mentioned last time, that's why I'm not building a boat right now for a flood that's coming flood the earth those, those were not my instructions but if noah disobeyed god his whole family would have died in the flood but he they were saved because he demonstrated his faith by obeying god and you know building the boat or whatever um but i just like i said i'm i'm I just think there's a misconception because, and not just, not, not just, you know, from you, but just anybody that, 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 you know, professes to keep Torah and all that, um, regardless of if they'll admit whether or not they think it's for salvation, that it's a salvation issue, it's positioned of really obeying God's law and, and learning God's ways, you know, and really going to the next level of obedience or whatever. And, you know, we're, um, you know, we're not against obedience to God and lawless. It's, it's just understanding a, who are the instructions given to who is that particular law for kind of what you're mentioning about the different scenarios of application and everything, the Mosaic law was clearly given to Israel. Like it consists consistently in scripture. That's what it says, old and new Testament. And then, you know, you've got things that, you know, that, that we know, you know, are wrong and sinful 
by our conscience and, um, you know, Gentiles by nature, you know, that's why you can go to the most godless countries in the world and they know that murder and lying and stealing and all those things are wrong. Just it's ingrained in, in our human nature. Um, you know, and Paul was certainly not lawless in the sense that he, you know, he mentioned sins, you know, a lot. And, um, you know, talks about like people think that grace is, you know, lawlessness, license sin, all that. No, Colossians 2 tells us, you know, that grace teaches us denying ungodliness and worldly lusts and so forth. Um, but ultimately, it goes back to that crux, which I know gets twisted around on Romans 6 14. You know, and Paul says that, you know, twice and just a couple of verses there that, you know, we're not under the law, we're under grace. And that's, 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 that's a reference to, you know, Jew or Gentile in this age where, you know, we're not under the dominion of, of the law. Um, people don't understand grace. I don't think. Is where a lot of the confusion, you know, God is dispensing grace right now in this world, in this age that we live in, which is why so many wicked sinners are successful in life and seem to get away with everything. And, and it's because he's not judging right now. And you can't have a law. He will judge, but right now he's showing grace and long suffering. But, you know, the other thing is, is that people talk about getting blessings, um, you know, from obeying the law, but you know as well as I do, you can't have blessings for keeping the law unless you have cursings that go along with it for breaking it. And there's nobody, I, I've yet to meet a Torah keeper that has ever talked about the curses of breaking dead laws and especially the cursings that, that Moses clearly laid out, you know, that go along with it, including stoning for adultery and things and working on the Sabbath and, you know, an unenforced rule is no rule at all. So if God's not bringing cursings on people for breaking the Mosaic law, then people aren't getting blessings for keeping Mosaic law. That's a lot. You said a lot, Wade, you said a lot. Um, All right. Um, so, since it, you put it like we, we talk a lot about righteousness, so I don't know if I should start with that or not. Um, Maybe I should start with with my view on you were talking about at the, at the at the very beginning about my view on the Bible as a whole the the Bible canon. I can see it coming back to that anyway. So, um, you asked you said that you'd like to know my position on that. So, and how that came about.
I, that came about through a lot of research, through a lot of reading, through a lot of thinking, um, studying, and many of the sources that I've heard, like the different um, scholars or historians, include, I'm not even sure, like I mentioned next Friday, there'll be where we have a church historian and um, pretty much a, a scholar, uh, Dr. Staples uh, with us. I'm not sure too much about where his stand is on that, but most of the scholars, most of the teachers, most of the sources I have ever ran across that said, for example, like, like for example, the, the gospels, right? The, the, the order of the gospels or um, the prominence or lack thereof, or the hierarchy, the authoritative part of Paul. These people are not Torah keepers. Um, you know, I, you said earlier that um, you see, you understand that there's a need. <laughs> if I'm going to be a Torah keeper, there's a need to uh, to deal with people like Paul or, you know, uh, maybe another scripture like that. So I, I don't I don't I see that there would be a need in a way. But there's a lot of people like, for example, uh, this is an extreme example, but uh, you, maybe you maybe you've run across this lady or not, um, Courtney from Biblical Apologetics on uh, TikTok and on YouTube. Now she's a unique uni uh, individual. I, uh, she was on here a few months ago, and um, she's like one hundred percent pro, like all, like just as much about like Paul is the highest authority word of God that you go by. And yet she is a very strong believer in Torah observance as well. Um, so I know people all over the spectrum on that. Um, myself, I, I do, it's almost impossible for people not to have some kind of bias one way or another. Um, but I do my best to ensure that there is no bias or preconceived ideas. What? So my view on the Bible canon is that it's unbiblical. I've said it before, and it's a little bit of a provocative statement, but it's, I'm, it's, I mean it to be a thought-provoking statement. That is that the Bible is unbiblical. And I believe that. Uh, not the contents. I'm not talking about the contents. I'm talking about the actual canon of it. Uh, and, and just to explain what I mean is, it, I've studied this for a long time as well, and I've I've gotten to the point where, uh, for example, there's this um, there's this. I believe he's a reformed Christian teacher by the name of Michael Kruger. Uh, he teaches a lot. He, he teaches a lot about Bible canon, and I at one point in time I did like him. But the more I again, the more I thought about it, the more I looked into it, I thought um, a lot of his arguments are not very strong, in my opinion. Um, so the way I look at it is, like the history of the Bible is is quite muddy. In a sense, what started, it started with Marcion in the second century, putting together the letters of Paul with Luke. And then after that, the church 
tweaked it, you know, added James, added first John, you know, added Hebrews, added these other letters into it. Actually, at one point in time, we have, uh, we know this because we have the Codex Sinaiticus. At one point in time, we had 29 books in the, in the uh, New Testament, including, uh, actually, I think it might have been more than 29 books, but it was including the Shepherd of Hermas and also the Epistle of Barnabas as well. But over time, you see how you got the various churches, they kind of branched off and they own each one kind of molded their own Bible canon. So we have at least 12 different Bible canons throughout Christianity, not mentioning any of the cults or anything like just, just Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, just those three branches, if you will, of Christianity. There are 12 different Bible canons. Um, I did hold to the to the view of there's only 66 books in the Bible, no more, no less. I used to hold that view back when I, again, when I first got saved and got involved with uh, mainstream, uh, mainstream Christian denomination, and, and even uh, for years after that as well. Uh, but looking into the history of the Bible, I see how it was changed throughout time. Books were books for the most part. I mean, the first, maybe the first 400 years books were added. And then after that, usually like generally speaking, after that, things were just kind of taken away from, you know, the shepherd of Hermas fell out, the epistle of Barnabas fell out. Then, you know, after the Protestant reformation, not long after that, of course, you know, like the Apocrypha fell out and um, Second Esdras fell out too as well. Like the Roman Catholic Church took Second Esdras out from what I understand. And um, so I do not, I'm not aware of any evidence, even anybody claiming, because if someone claims it, that's one thing, because then you'd have to test it whether it's true or not. But I don't know of anybody who even claimed that they received from God a list of 66 books or even a list of par- part, part of those books. I don't know of anybody who ever claimed that in all of church history. It's all, it's, it, it was, it, it, the Bible that we have today, especially the 66 book Protestant Bible, is a product of, church tradition as far as i see it's a it's a it's a product of church tradition and same with the catholic bible and same with all of the what is it now nine different orthodox canons now with different orthodox you know you got everything from every every different kind of orthodox church has got their own bible canon uh and after after reading the Apocrypha myself and, and studying it and the other books as well, such as, well, I don't know if I want to mention them or not, because I'd open up another whole topic there, but extra biblical books, such as some of the ones that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Let me just put it that way. Um, and, and honestly, testing all of the objections 
Uh, I, you know, listen to many videos, many different articles, websites, you know, this is, you know, this is like 80 reasons why the Apocrypha is not inspired, or this is 20 reasons why the Apocrypha is not, or this is X number of reasons why this other book is not inspired. And so I went through them all. And I have come up to the, come up with the conclusion that none of those, none of them hold water. None of them hold water. This took a this took years for me to get to this position where I am now. I'm at the position where it's like, say the Bible. I look at it like a like a collection of books, which I believe it is a collection of books. It's like a library. Is I believe that the Bible, as the sixty six book canon, that frame is not of God. It's not of God. When Yeshua or Jesus walked this earth and in the book of Acts or anything like that, like they, from what I understand, historically speaking, they didn't have a Bible. They had separate scrolls and all these scrolls existed in, you know, and, and like, for example, they had, um, they would have like a Torah scroll and that Torah scroll would be kept in a special place, just like how it is today in, in synagogues. It would, it would be kept in a very special place. Then they have the, the prophets, right? The Nevi'im, and they would be kept in a certain place. And then they would have the other historical books, the Chronicles and Psalms and all that kind of stuff that would be kept in a different place. All these scrolls were kept separately, just like how we see in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And Jesus had no problem with that. I don't, I'm not aware of any prophet or apostle or disciple, anybody, even a church father. I'm not aware of anybody who ever said, you know what, God spoke to me or an angel came to me or the Holy Spirit spoke to me or whatever and said, here's a list of 66 books, put them all together in one book and call it the Holy Bible. Or even here's a list of 20 books, except perhaps in um second esdras now second esdras we know know, that's not part of the it's i find it kind of ironic that the the only book that actually even hints about a canon is second esdras which is out of the canon um and that says supposed to be from the prophet ezra that there was 90 uh, let me think now 94 94 94 books that was that was um of god kind of thing um which included the 24 book uh, tanakh which is now our 39 book old testament i'm sure you probably know this wade but for anybody else that's listening you know back in those days they had 24 book tanakh which now we've divided it up like we cut you know chronicles in half now we have first and second chronicles and what used to be i think it was called kingdoms now it's first and second samuel and first and second kings you know so we've cut it up but it's the same 24 books cut up in now we have 39 books which is called old testament um so according to second esdras there was those 24 which would be our 39 plus 70 books that were hidden, i.e. hidden Apocrypha books. Um, but apart from that, there is nothing, and, it, and they don't list what those books are. I know we, we know, we're pretty sure what the 24 books are, as that's very historically 
proven. And even in, in Jewish circles today, they, they, they look at their, their Bible as being a 24 book Bible in, in some ways. But then there's those other 70 books that, that is assuming that second Ezra is accurate or correct. That's the only place I know of in all from Genesis to Revelation and beyond that mentions anything to, about any kind of number of books or any kind of Bible canon whatsoever. So in my view, the 66 book Bible canon is very misleading, very inaccurate. So, in way, okay. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. So I'm curious. So, um, so do you believe that, that the Pentateuch books of Moses, are those part of canon of scripture? I don't really even believe in the canon per se. Okay. That's what I'm trying to say. Whereas are those, are those actually five books that made up the original 24 book Tanakh? Yeah. That are absolutely the word of God. Uh, that's a, that's a big, that's a big uh, question because, um, <laughs> yes, yes. In a general sense. Yes. But we have a lot of, like, for example, we have uh, ancient, ancient copies of the Torah. For example, this is a, the Israelite Samaritan, which was, this is translated from the original Hebrew that predates any of the, Bibles, uh, the Masoretic texts. So again, Wade, I sure you, I'm sure you know this, but again, for, for the sake of our list, listeners, uh, for the most part, except perhaps, um, I got, I got an Orthodox Bible over here, Orthodox Bible. This Orthodox Bible I have is based upon the Septuagint, but for, like nine out of 10 other English Bibles, or even more than that, nine plus out of 10, um, are based upon the Masoretic text, which is a thousand approximately. I know our brother Onia, if he's still listening, he does a lot of research and study on this kind of stuff as well. Uh, the Masoretic text would be approximately a thousand years younger than something like this. Um, <clears throat> and the Septuagint as well, which I do have a copy right here too. So, I mean, you got all of these different copies of the families of manuscripts and this Septuagint would uh, predate it dates all the way back to 250 bc approximately 250 bc the uh the torah in here and the other one the septuagint the samaritan that dates about the same time which is like again actually no about a thousand years maybe even maybe even a little bit more than a thousand years older than the manuscripts that we use today you compare all these manuscripts, you'll see lots of differences. So um, lots of differences. Most of them are minor, but some of them are not so minor. Lots of things either missing or, at, or, or added. Um, my point is this. Um, like when you say, do you, do you believe the Torah is, is canon or do you believe the Torah is the Torah we have today is part of the 24 books back then. Yes, in a general sense, but taking into consideration all of these historical texts, <laughs> it, 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 gets, it gets complicated. <laughs> As you can imagine, it gets complicated. 
Well, and the reason I'm asking is, and you may kind of picked up on it where I'm headed with it is, you know, if, if, if there's no, whether you want to use the term canon or, or not, that's fine. Um, but if there's so much in question as the, the idea of the canon of scripture being unbiblical, use your term, um, how do you even know as someone who follows the Torah, where's your authority of that? Like, how do you even know that Moses even wrote those books or anybody even wrote those books at all? Like if you're basing, you know, your faith on a foundation found in the first five books of the Tanakh uh, with various, you know, manuscript evidence, um, you know, not even considering the addition of the apocryphal books and so forth. Why, why is your faith grounded in the Torah? And I'm, in this case, I'm using Torah in the way that the Jews do, that it's referring. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you, how do you, how do you look differently upon the Torah than you do all of the other ifs and ands and possibilities and the Ezra's and the Barnabas and, you know, who's to say that, that the books of Moses wasn't a farce. Excellent question. Excellent. Excellent question. Uh, there's so many ways to talk, to go from here. Um, So, to me, it adds a lot more excitement to my walk in my walk with God because it's it's it has become. Now, I'll, I'll talk about uh, a couple of different ways we can go with this. Number one is like the differences in manuscripts, and then there's answering a question like, how, why would I even view the Torah as more authoritative than anything or whatever? Um, and those are like either way, it's excellent, excellent. Um, so I believe that uh, oh, there's so much going through my mind right now. Um, yeah, there are many different differences and variations and even somewhat contradictions in certain ways, additions, subtractions between the manuscripts of different fa the manuscript families of even the Torah itself. Uh, that's not even to mention some of the prophets, which can even get worse than that. And the New Testament, which is actually even way worse than that. They say that there are over 300,000 or 400,000 variations, most of all, most of which is not even significant. Some are, but most of them are very insignificant variations, you know, misspelling a word or um, mixing up the words or whatever, um, missing a letter or whatever it is. Um, they say there are more variations in the New Testament than there are and between New Testament manuscripts than there are words of the New Testament. And I believe there's a good reason for that as well. I, but let's start with the Torah. So it is an exciting, it, it really brings excitement to my walk with God because it's, it's like God, and maybe you heard me say this before, it's like it's the glory of God to, to conceal a matter and it's the glory of kings to, to search it out. To me, it's like forensic science. 
it's it's just absolutely amazing to sit down and to spend time with oh say like for example if we if we pour up if pull up four different families and manuscripts the Dead Sea Scrolls compared to the Septuagint. By the way, the New Testament writers, including Paul, quoted from the Septuagint more than anything. And the Masoretic texts, which our English Bibles are mo- mostly the Old Testament or mo- is mostly based on. And then the Masoretic, or excuse me, I mentioned that, uh, Samaritan. So we got those four, right? Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, Septuagint, Samaritan, and Masoretic. And to look at all and, and to see what the differences are, most of the time, it's hardly anything. There are some, but some of them are very significant. Like, for example, in, this, in the Samaritan uh, Torah, the difference is where to worship God. You know, Mount Gerizim or Mount Nabal, like the difference is where to worship God. And that's the reason, like, so once you know, like once you study this kind of stuff and you say, ah, that's the reason why that Samaritan woman asked Jesus, where do we worship God? Because their their Torah was different than the Masoretic or the Jewish Torah. It's like, oh, so she's trying to she's trying to pick Jesus' brain, so to speak. Okay, tell me which one is actually the truth here. I want a, a really good question. I mean, I would be asking Jesus the same question. Like, so we got the Samaritan says one thing, and the Masoretic says the other, and it's like they're obviously con- contradictory. Jesus, which one is it? <laughs> Where do we worship God? Uh, and you know, is is answer was just absolutely phenomenal but to me it's it's an amazing journey of of searching out and i believe that god loves it i believe that jesus wants people to read like have you not read do you not know you know he even goes to, as far as to say are you so dull to some of these people um i believe that he like the god of of knowledge, the guy, the God who hides things. I think he he enjoys it when his children seek it out, learn, get educated, knowledge, um, study, study to show yourself approved, as Paul said. So, to me, it's 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 an awesome journey. And does it does it cast doubt on? The scriptures or the word, uh, my faith, especially, does it cause cast doubt? To me, it has the absolute opposite effect. My faith, honestly, is way stronger than it was 25 years ago, 20 years, even 10 years ago. Way stronger. Because once you know, and when, when you see errors and differences, and you can trace them, Oh, I see. Okay, so it wasn't in the in you know the oldest manuscript, and it wasn't in the second oldest. But it, oh, so it happened somewhere in these years. So you can kind of trace some of some of the stuff where what what happened, where it happened, sometimes even who did it. Um, but it's amazing, and 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 I believe it's God's divine will that there is not one Bible that's perfect, or not one manuscript that's perfect. Because if it was. It would be just like the the bronze serpent, right? Where it would be worshipped, it would be idolat, you know, they'd be uh, idolized. It would be people would be committing idolatry with with that particular version or manuscript family or whatever. I think that it's 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 of divine will that we have it. We have what we have. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard references before of people talking about idolizing. 
versions of the Bible or idolizing the Bible and everything. Whereas, you know, even in the Tanakh in Psalms, you know, it, it's recorded that God's magnified his word above his name. You know, I don't think that, in other words, I, I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, God is inseparable from his word, you know, in fact, prior to his incarnation, you know, Jesus is referred to as the word. Um, and, you know, I don't think you can put high enough emphasis, you know, on God's word. Um, but to your point of the, that God not wanting there to be a perfectly preserved copy of his words. Um, and I'm, this is just what's going through my mind. We're both kind of like thinking through and talking through this, whatever. The, the, the very first person, as you know, that ever questioned what God said was Satan in the garden. when he said, yeah, have God said and question to Eve um the word of god you know and i don't see I, I i can't i can't fathom the desire that god has to want variations that of of what people consider his word that he never said just i would put that in the same category as these modern day social media prophets that say god's given me a word you know and you know, God's saying this to you right now, other than quoting scripture, that's putting their words, their quote unquote revelation on par with scripture. Um, and in kind of the same way, you know, there, there are truths that God has kept hidden since the world began that was not revealed until, for example, you know, the Paul's gospel and the mystery of the body of Christ and so forth. You know, Paul said to establish you according to my gospel, according to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Um, but it was for a purpose, not, not to keep people in the dark from being saved, but it was kept in the dark from Satan because ever since the garden of Eden from Genesis 315, Proto-Evangelium, bruising the um, head and bruising the heel, you know, his conquest was to destroy the seed and keep Christ um, from ever accomplishing, you know, what he was meant to accomplish. And little did he know, nor did anybody else know prior to Paul that there, that was, that turned out to be good news that Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again. It's like you said in first Corinthians two, if the prince is the world known, they would not have killed, crucified him. Um, you know, so there are, there is wit, hidden wisdom in God, um, that he does keep secret until the time of his choosing to then progressively reveal more truth, which is, the way that he's operated from day one, you know, which is why we interpret the Old Testament through the new and not vice versa, because now we understand, you know, what the purpose of 
you know, the law was, for example, and um, we have an understanding now in relation to who the king of the kingdom promised to Israel, you know, is and and what what the requirements are and so forth. Um, but all these things that just continue to progress, you know, over a period of time, um, I don't see, I don't see God playing hide and seek with his word, if that makes sense. That's the point I'm making, like that he would just allow and take pleasure in giving a hundred different versions of what he said and saying, you know, I want those inquisitive minds out there, you know, that they'll put in the extra effort to try and figure out what I really said, if that makes sense. Um, I kind of, I, I kind of get where you're saying the, the excitement of discovering and learning things and building, you know, knowledge and growing wisdom and things like that. But there are things that when it comes to like the infallibility of God's word, is not something that I play around with as far as like, I, I don't want, I want to have full confidence that when I pick up my Bible, my King James Bible, that's going through from Hebrew to English and from Greek to English, that what I am reading is God's word. And without, you know, having to question um, the, the inerrancy and truthfulness of it, um, because it's the foundation of, of God's divine revelation to man. You know, we don't, we can guess and go by premonitions and think that the Holy Spirit, you know, gave us some kind of a direction or divine revelation. But if it doesn't line up with scripture, it's just that opens up the floodgates for more denominations, more cults, more everything, you know, because now everybody's making themselves the authority um, versus scripture, which is, which is why the Catholics can't stand sola scriptura. You know, they want, they want that authority within the church to be able to, you know, have the final say so. And if need be correct, God's word and, redefine that all these new doctrines found nowhere you know, in the Bible. Um, but I guess, and, and here's kind of where I'm going with it. Cause like, you know, in the same sense that I'm asking you, how do you know that, that the Torah is not a farce and that Moses was just, you know, the figment of somebody's imagination or, you know, he's a real guy, but he embellished a lot of things. And then somebody else decided to write some stories about it. And here we are, you know, today discussing what he wrote about in particular, you know, law and so forth. Um, and yet for the most, whether you're, whether you're a Jew or a Christian or, you know, Messianic Jew or Hebrew roots, whatever. It's, it's typically, I don't know of any, anything associated, um, you know, with, uh, within Christianity for sure, even really within Judaism that rejects the Old Testament in particular, 
the Torah, but the talk as a whole is pretty much agreed upon. And then through the apocryphal books and additional epistles and so forth, you mentioned all the different variations of canons of scripture, which say like there's nine Orthodox and, you know, this, that, and the other. And yeah, there are, and the Catholics think the Apocrypha is part, so they have a 73 book canon. But regardless of all the different variances, can you name one element of Christianity um, that does not include Paul's epistles as part of their canon? Even if there's even if there's a hundred different variations of the canon, is there any kind of and I'm not talking about some aberrant movement that popped up 20 years ago or whatever, but in the history of the church, the body of Christ, and I'll even include the mother church in Rome and her followers um, from the Vatican that I don't believe are Christian, but can you name any sect of Christianity that does not except Paul's epistle as canon. Like they just rip Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians out of their Bible. No. Uh, if I, I don't want to, and never would, I can't see it happening. And I wouldn't want it to happen. But if I somehow spurred another denomination or a family of Christian church, whatever, um, some, if I, if I started another Orthodox church, I wouldn't take Paul out either. I wouldn't. Uh, so the question to me is how is Paul viewed as not so much as what is, or how is the, the Bible canon viewed? And this is really what I was getting at. Yeah. I mean, I, I have never told people have asked me, should we throw out Paul? I'm like, no, no. Um, I have never advocated to throw out Paul. There are a lot of um, interpretations of Paul's letters, and I, I, I mean, Paul is Paul. Uh, you know, he. I believe we should look at him for who he was, um, not who that some churches say that he was. Um, but to answer your other question as well. Um, and, and I think we, I need to speak to this as well, because this actually was brought up by somebody else, not online, actually somebody offline. I have a good friend of mine, a good friend of mine that also, you know, believes very much in the traditional Christian evangelical ways. And he said the same thing. Well, you know, it's the devil that's trying to get you to doubt God's word. Um, but if you really look at it, and this is the truth, I'm not twisting it or saying whatever, but in Galatians, or no, Galatians, Genesis, getting late. Genesis chapter three, um, Satan put words in God's mouth. He didn't really make Eve doubt God's words, but he, like, so God said, you can eat from every tree, just not this one. And he told Adam alone. He didn't tell Eve. He told Adam and he let it, he gave Adam the uh, the job of relaying that to Eve, right? So Adam was the only one that heard directly from God. He's the only one that had the word of God. So Satan knew that, right? Kept, goes to Eve, 
and turns it around, not doubting what God said, but putting words into his mouth. Has God said you cannot eat from every tree? She should have said, no, that's not what God said. God said, I can eat from every tree, just not that one. So Satan really didn't make her doubt God's word. Satan tried to put God, put words into God's mouth. Um, well, first he, that he didn't say. Yeah, God Pardon? said. I, I think first he, he questioned what God said. Then he, um, then he added. Well, actually, through the deception, he actually got Eve to add to God's word and said, not even touch it. You know, God never said that to Adam. You know, it was all part of, you know, like it goes on later to say in, in the New Testament about that through subtlety, the serpent beguiled Eve and deceived her, um, making, you know, which is one of the reasons why men are the leader in the home and in the church and so forth. Um, but there was a, there was, there was deception going on, you know, and redefined as such later on in scripture. Um, but I agree there, there are different facets. There was adding to, there was questioning. Did he say that? And eventually, you know, uh, he got Eve to add to God's word and then obviously disobey. And then it led to Adam's actually, Take it for what it what it is. Take it for what it is. Again, I'm not making a truth statement, but rather just kind of putting this out there on the table. Um, Jew, Jewish legend, <laughs> legends of the Jews. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's in the Talmud or not. To be honest with you, I'm not sure. But anyway, it's out there that Adam told Eve. Not again. I know you're going to say, well, that doesn't mean nothing, but just, just because we're on the topic, the legend is that Adam actually told Eve, you can't touch it. You know, you can't, you can't eat from it or you can't touch it. And it was that adding to God's laws or adding, you know, adding to God's word that that Satan used to deceive Eve. See, so Satan got Eve to touch it and then, oh, see, nothing happened to you. So now you can eat it. See, it's all, it's all, it's, it's all a lie. Um, that anyway, that's that's just the legend. Take it for take it for what it is. Um, yeah, and again, you know, it's kind of like when we started off talking about just the authority of scripture or anything. If you tell me that that you believe that Paul's epistles are that you would you would not remove them from scripture, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but you interpret it differently than I do. That's cool. Like I, I, I'm okay with, with somebody interpreting something differently, but you have to at least have a foundation. You know what I mean? To actually have a discussion. That's why I don't debate atheists. It's a waste of my time to debate somebody that, that, that I need to a prove the existence of God, which we're not ever told to do. He's already revealed himself through creation and our conscious. And two, as they always say, but you can't use the Bible. And how do you know it's the Bible's word of God? Because it says it's the word of God. That's circular reasoning fallacy. Well, deal with it. You know, it's, so it's like, you know, that's why it's important to be able to establish that, you know, foundation. But if you just say, ah, you know, these books shouldn't be in here in particular, you know, poor old Paul, um, you know, then it then it makes it even it's, it makes it impossible really to um, to define the most 
crucial elements of our faith and what, you know, what we believe as far as salvation and the body of Christ and the gospel and, um, you know, and the same thing is true as far as like with, like I mentioned earlier with the gospels, there's a lot of emphasis by a lot of people in the Torah keeping Hebrew roots movement that they, you know, like Will was like, red letters of Jesus, Torah, like they're equal, red letters of Jesus and Torah. Now, I don't believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, you know, God's inerrant word and scripture and all that, but red letters, if it's, if it's red, which God never inspired his word in colors, you know, <laughs> that's why I've never owned a red letter edition of anything. It's all God's word, but you know what I mean? It's like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't even make logical sense. What not, I mean, taking spiritual discernment aside and everything else to say, you know, I believe that everything that, that John or Luke or Mark or Matthew recorded that Jesus said, but I don't agree with everything else that they said, you know, just all commentary. And, you know, they're all just kind of making things up and contradicting each other. And because if you're going to throw out, you know, any of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you got to throw the whole thing out. And now you have nothing, no infallible source of what Jesus Christ himself said. You know what I mean? It's just, you can't, it's just, it, it, it's just not how it works. You know what I mean? It's like, if you don't, you don't agree, if you don't, if you think there's issues with the gospel of John, for example, then you can't, even if it's red letters, you can't quote <laughs> those red letters because it's what he recorded, you know. That's why it's so crucial to have that foundation of scripture. Yeah, before we get too far off the, the topic of the different variations, especially in the Old Testament, I do have in front of me, I hope uh, Onia from Dead Sea Scrolls does not, not mind me doing this, but if you don't mind, Wade, if I flash this up on the screen for like 15 seconds, give you a little bit of an idea of what I mean, the differences. Uh, yeah. Now, I'm I, I'm telling you right off the bat here, I, this is not my work. This is Onia's work. And I, I, I don't even know what is more or less different here. I'm just starting from Ezra. This is Ezra chapter one. I know he's working on Ezra right now. So just a little bit of an, uh, a sneak peek. Um, he's going to come, come on in July, Lord willing. Onia is going to come on. He's actually working. This is a work in progress, but he's going to come on and talk about this. Uh, so this is Ezra. And he, what he did was there are three lines, right? Like the Three lines like that. It's not. It's, it's almost like the opposite of a parallel Bible. Instead of it being side by side, it's right line after line. Now, I don't know which line is which. If if O'Neill is listening to me, please forgive me, brother. But one of them are one of them is the Masoretic family of manuscripts. The other one is like the Septuagint, and the other one would be a different family of ma manuscripts. And he pointed out like the differences, which you see here. We got this all this big phrase here that's added. Uh, some some things are taken out, some things are added. Uh, and again, uh, please understand, 
I don't know any of this. So I'm, I'm not pointing out the worst. There's probably a whole lot more that's worse than like all of these differences in the manuscripts. And there are uh, like, you know, if, like, for example, with goods versus with gifts, with horses, with cattle. Um, and so th- there are a lot of differences between these manuscripts. Now, to answer your question, and this is what you see throughout all of the, the Old Testament and even more so in the New Testament. To answer your question about like, how could I be confident that what I'm reading is the word of God? This is how I read it. Like personally, this is how I read it. Um, I usually read from a major uh, in, uh, translation. Um, I usually go with like the New King James, sometimes the NASB. Uh, the odd time, perhaps the King James, it just depends. It's harder to read because of the old style with many people. Uh, but anyway, um, if there's any particular passage passage that's, that's like, I say, I want to know more about this, or I question this, like, what does this really mean? Or this, this sounds really interesting. This, this one verse, I wonder if what the other families and manuscripts, if it's the same, and most of the time it's the same. Sometimes it's vastly different. Um, so, uh, it's yeah it's awesome i i i love it uh, since i learned about these things and studying it this way it's amazing and you know god bless onia for what he's doing and uh, it's an amazing work um it, it, he's doing masoretic septuagint and then what dead sea scrolls or yeah dead sea scrolls and then there's some i know that he sent me some and i Actually, I did a, a video with him several weeks ago on my channel. It's, it's still up there uh, called uh, Evidence of Manuscript Corruption. Um, and he goes through a whole lot more. There's, there's some that he's got five different sources that he goes through, five different ancient sources. Uh, very intriguing, very interesting. And just it just adds more depth. In my opinion, it just adds more depth to the knowledge and it just expands, it just expands everything. And, um, yeah, so I, I just read it like I just take one of my favorite versions and read it. But when it, when it comes to a specific passage, sometimes I go, okay, let's see what the, you know what? (laughs) I went through the, uh, Proverbs not too long ago and just, just compared to just the Septuagint with the, with the Masoretic. The differences are, it's almost like a totally different book. I've never seen any, I'm still learning myself. I haven't compared everything yet. So, but I have not seen anything so different, vastly different um, than the Masoretic Hebrew Proverbs versus the Septuagint Proverbs. It's amazing. Well, what's interesting, a couple things is, uh, number one, <clears throat> you know, the Jews that I have spoken to that, whether it's especially Messianic Jews, and I'm talking about people that are Hebrew by birth, um, have told me before that, that when it comes to English Bibles, um, and translations of the old testaments that the Jews themselves, um, stick with the Masoretic text. Yeah. You know, that's why a lot of Messianic Jews are King James only because a lot of 
the non-King James only are based off primarily the Septuagint for the Old Testament, which is my second point that, and I don't know if you've ever studied the history of the Septuagint. Um, you had mentioned Jesus and the disciples quoting from the Septuagint. I, I, I don't believe that, I believe that the Septuagint in, in many ways was a hoax in the sense that, you know, it was, if you, you know, check Wikipedia, it'll probably say that it was translated, um, you know, around 257 BC or 247 BC or somewhere around there, somewhere BC in the second or third century. Um, and they based that on a single letter written by a guy named, um, I think it's Ananias. Um, I think so. Um, or Aeneas. But anyway, it was based on one letter that was found that it referenced the Septuagint and there were supposedly references made to various people that were supposedly contemporaries of him. Uh, Aristeus, and said, thank you. Um, that he got it all wrong. Like they were people that were like dead 60 years before he was alive and people that were, you know, born 40 years after he lived. And it was just, it was all over the map. There's so many holes in that letter. And that's the only documentation historically that places the Septuagint before the time of Christ. Um, I, I, I believe the, the opinions of the scholars that would place it more around two to 300 AD um, and that it was essentially translated. I think they even, to my knowledge, it was translated in Koine Greek to make it even more authentic, you know, to pass off as being older, um, you know, number of things or whatever. Anyway, I don't know if it's something you've ever looked into, but I don't put a whole lot of stock in the Septuagint, put it that way. And neither do the Jews. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm I I only study the King James Bible for a number of reasons, reasons, but but a lot. One of the primary reasons is just the the text behind it, you know, and the manuscript evidence, and um, you know, I, I I don't I don't adhere to the Alexandrian text, the Codex Vaticanus, Codex Sinaiticus, Dead Sea Scrolls, um, which are all relatively new. You know, none of, none of those manuscripts were available for translation until the 19th century. And, of course, Dead Sea Scrolls was the 20th century. But I don't trust anything that was under lock and key in the Vatican for the Codex Vaticanus. Sinaiticus was found in a monastery trash can in the 1800s. So. But that being said, you know, it's it's still it's just it's just so crucial to have a scriptural authority um i just don't trust you know man coming up with very variations and revelations and added revelation and new 
new revelation or anything. I believe that divine revelation of God's word to man ceased, you know, with with the book of Revelation, and God will not reveal new divine revelation until after body Christ is raptured out of here. I have done studies on the Septuagint as well. Um, you, I get, you hear both sides. You hear uh, from the Jews. The Jews accuse the Christians of changing it, and the Christians accuse the Jews of changing it. And so you get it from both ways. Uh, the Christians say, I mean, I hear Christians say that, yes, the, the Septuagint was translated and finished before the time of Christ. And that in, and actually there is quite a bit of evidence that now not, not all of the New Testament quotations of Old Testament are from the Septuagint. Uh, I know that. Um, some of them are like a mix. I don't know what manuscript there were or what bible they were quoting from uh some of them were like right in line with the, with the masoretic but not with the septuagint but overall generally speaking uh it was more favoring the septuagint more than anything else um yeah but and, see realize that if it's written after the fact and they're trying to play it off as being older than it is especially predating christ they already had, you know, available to them the actual, you know, scripture, you know, they could, they could go in and, you know what I mean? Like if I, if I decided I was going to write a new manuscript today in Greek, um, you know, I could manipulate it to make it look more authentic by lining it up with say quotes of, the Old Testament type of thing, if that makes sense. I just, I just don't believe that that the Septuagint was was translated until after the time of Christ and the disciples. But either way, you know, even if it was, I, you know, the Jews are the most meticulous in preserving Scripture and making copies of copies and getting every jot and tittle right over generation after generation. And the present-day Jews adhere to the Masoretic text. Yeah. Well, are you are you aware of like there's there's one good example, but not. I mean, this is not the only one. You can, you can spend a lot of time in this too. But uh, like Hebrews chapter ten, when it quotes Psalm forty, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepare me. Um, have, have you ever looked at like the differences between that and the Masoretic and the Septuagint? Um, what was it that you were reading from? Okay, so um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8. Uh, I have it up here. This is just an example. And this is, I mean, I, there's another one too, a really good one that Paul did uh, quoting Isaiah. And it, but this is one anyway. This is Hebrews chapter 10. And I'll oh, just pull this up. Are you aware of that one? Well, there are there are instances where whoever the writer of Hebrews is, and I do not believe it was Paul, but you know, when you compare Hebrews 10, 8, is it? Um, yeah. 
to where he's quoting, let's see. Sacrifice offering, burnt offering. Okay, so in that case, I have not lined that one up and compared it. I have with like in Hebrews 8, same writer two chapters earlier in Hebrews 8, 8 through what, 11 or 12, where he's repeating Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34 for the new covenant, um, which I believe is pretty on, on that one. Um, what were you saying that the, that the difference was on 10, eight. Yeah. Um, I'll just pull it up here. So I'll pull it up here on the screen. This is on the right side is Hebrews 10, eight in the King James. Uh, it says above when he said sacrifice and an offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not neither hadst uh, pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Okay, so actually, you know what? Actually, it should be Hebrews 10 verse. Okay, well, yeah, Hebrews 10 verse 8. So that's, that's basically the passage. He's quoting from Psalms 40 verse 6 and 7. So in the Masoretic, in the Hebrew, it says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened. Burn offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then I said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. So you notice, like comparing these two, there's a major difference here in, the, in Hebrews 10. Verse 8, it says, uh, let me see here. Uh, this thing just, this thing just froze on me. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Sorry, I don't even have the right one up here. Uh, this thing is giving me trouble. Yeah, so anyway, in Hebrews 10, verse 8, it says, Sacrifice and offering thou you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I, then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Is that what you got in your Bible? Are you, wait, was that Psalm 40 you were just reading? No, that was Hebrews 10. Which verse? Hebrews 10, verse 8. Um, I'll have to share my screen here in a different way. Yeah, so Hebrews 10, verse 8. So what I got here is above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, uh, which are offered by the law. Yeah. What is that what you have? Yeah. 
Okay. So in so in my, in most other Bibles, uh, it says, "But a body you have prepared me." So if you if you look at the different Bibles. You're talking about it, it that's added in Hebrews 10? No, I'm not saying it's added. Um, just a second here. Hebrews 10, so, oh, excuse me, I'm, I got that wrong. My, yeah, I'm sorry, that's, it's, it's Hebrews 10 chapter, no, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Sorry about that. My mistake. Oh. Hebrews chapter, yeah, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Uh, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, now, I'm just going to put this one here in King James. Yeah, sacrifice. Thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Yeah, yeah. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast thou hast had no pleasure. Then I said, uh, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Okay, so those three verses are a quote of Psalm 40, verse 6 and 7 and 8. Six, seven, and eight. Okay. Okay. So in the in the Hebrews 10, verse 5, you got this phrase, but a body hast thou prepared me. Oh, I see what you're saying. And in the Masoretic, it says nothing of the sort. It just says, My ears hast thou opened. Now, obviously, this is a quote because everything before it and after it is is correct. It's just that one thing there but a body hast thou prepared me um so here's the thing if you go to the septuagint and i'll show if you look up on the screen here i'll I'll just switch this over to the septuagint okay oh this thing is giving me trouble so septuagint is actually it's under psalm 40 but it's actually psalm 39 in the septuagint but it but it's it says, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Exactly how it is quoted in Hebrews 10. Um, so there, there are several things like this where it seems, now I, I, I'm not making, again, I'm not going to say this is the truth. I'm not saying anything like that, but I'm just saying it seems. Now let's just, let's just say, for example, Let's just say, just for the sake of thinking about it, just 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 suppose the Septuagint is actually older than the book of Hebrews. And the author of the book of Hebrews was actually quoting the Septuagint, which it looks very much like that's, that was the case. It looks like that. Everything else is pretty much on par. Um, so if that's the case, then the Septuagint in the original the Septuagint translated from the original older, older or oldest Hebrew actually said, but a body hast thou prepared me, 
which was quoted in Hebrews 10, 5. You, you following me? Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. And I, I'm going to dig in a little bit because there's some a little bit of variation here on it. I do. I do have a correlation between that those verses in Psalm 40 and the ones in Hebrews 10. Um, there's that up and structured a little differently. Um, but I, I know what your I, I see what your point is as, as far as so, potentially minimizing the Septuagint predating. So the so of- the point the point is that Jeremiah eight verse eight is right, and that is, um, it says uh, okay. So how do you say we are wise and the law of the, of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain he made it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. Now in the original again. Uh, this means that the pen of the scribes is lying. Uh, you'll see this in, in other translations as well. Um, yeah, so you look in, actually, you look in the original, you'll see that the actual word for vain in the Hebrew means like falsehood, lying. And you see this reflected in the other Bible translations. Like um, New King James says, look, the false, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. Um, another one says, when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely. Another one says, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. Another translation, the lying pen of the scribes has produced falsehood. And on and on it goes. Most of the other translations actually... Uh, translate that word vain into lie, uh, which makes sense because the word uh, like belier, belial means lie. It also means vain or worthless as well. Uh, so, so anyway, so one of the theories, one of the theories is this by the Christians. One of their theories is because of the evangelical push in the, the first several centuries like ad they would use this as their proof that jesus is the messiah but a body has thou prepared me they would use this to to say hey jew um look at your your uh it says in psalms 40 that actually jesus is going to be a, a sacrifice look at it says but a body has thou prepared me you didn't want sacrifice and offering but a body Hast thou prepared me? And of course, in Hebrews 10, verse 5, it's in the context of the body of Christ or the, the, the physical body of Christ being sacrificed for us on the, on the cross. And so the theory is, again, this is just a theory. Don't quote, don't say this is what Christopher Enoch actually believed. I'm just saying this is a, this is a theory and it, it could be, could be true, but I'm not saying it is. The theory is, is that over the centuries of the Jewish people being hammered with this verse to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, they changed it. The lying pen of the scribes, as Jeremiah 8, 8, they changed it. They took out the body, prepared me, and just put in, my ears you have opened. So they, 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 they disarmed Christian missionaries by doing that. Say, oh, no, it doesn't say body you have prepared me. It says my ears you have opened. Because, and, and, you know, again, this is just one example. I mean, there's a, there are a lot more. There's a lot more. 
But you, know, you think about what Jesus said about the scribes too. The, Jesus had nothing much good to say about the scribes. And it's the scribes that actually are the ones who were the Bible publishers back in those days. Like, I mean, they, uh, whether or not you trust them or not, uh, well, I mean, it very well could be. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying for certain it is, but I'm just saying it, it could be that the scribes actually did change that just to get the Christians off their back. Oh no, it doesn't say body. No, no. My ears you have opened. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. And there's a lot of moving parts to it. Cause then you start saying, well, if, if that's true and the Septuagint predated, and that was what the writer of Hebrews was, was referencing. Now you've, now you've negated the Masoretic text as being inerrant, which then has repercussions that carry through throughout. And that, you know, of course, then now we're looking at throwing out the Pentateuch and everything. <laughs> no, you know, it's to me, it's not like it's not that it's like it's not it's not extreme one way or another. To me, it's it's like to me that's like a false dichotomy. It's like to me, it's not like either throw it out or or not to me it's like hey very well could be that the, and this is one example there's others too there's others especially when it comes to jesus it's changed i mean if you really if you really like every every reference in the new testament referencing the old testament if you look it up a lot of times it's way different and so but you look it up in, in the septuagint it's Many times it's like right on, perfectly right on, just like how this is. But, but, you know, same thing with the Gospels, you know, that are synoptic and they, you know, essentially retell a lot of the same events from a different writer and perspective that, you know, may have more detail, less detail, maybe kind of work a little differently. Um, so then you're kind of like pitting the Gospels against each other, you know what I mean? Kind of in the same way. Um and I'm not saying you're pitting one against the other, but I'm just saying that that this goes back to inspiration and God revealing, you know, who is the author ultimately. We know who the writers are in most cases, other than Hebrews, which I think was Peter or James. But anyway, you've got all of these these penmen that are recording god's word you know and then god preserving that word and and the the faith comes by hearing the word of god and so forth i mean it's it so when you've got inconsistencies as long as they're they're not contradicting i i just i have always believed that that god you know has 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 revealed his word from different vantages because there's still a, the human elements there and the, the kind of the personality of the writer in a lot of ways and stuff. But, but ultimately those words that are penned and then preserved is what God wants to reveal to us. If that makes sense. So, you know, it's not, it's never been an issue of question, you know, when I see something like that and um, I wasn't aware, which is something I'm interested. I'm going to look into more about the Septuagint quoting of the new Testament. Um, 
just to see what kind of instances there are in there. But um, I don't know. I'm just uh, I've just always adhered to the uh, Masoretic text for for my Old Testament. Um, yeah, there there are other uh, other. Um examples as well i mean that that is a really good one uh and another one is romans chapter 11 when paul is is quoting isaiah chapter 59 if you look at masoretic it's like wait a second that's kind of like the opposite but you look at the septuagint looks pretty good looks pretty good looks like that's this is what paul was actually quoting from and yeah but you see what i was mentioning about the potential hoax of the septuagint you know, if I decided even today to to write a Greek translation of the Old Testament, you know, then I could go in and change it to line up with the exact words of the writers in the New Testament. You know what I mean? And then it would essentially see. That's what the Jews say. That's what the Jews say. They're saying that the, that the church is actually changed the Word of God to match the New Testament. But I mean, hey, I mean, you got two. <laughs> again, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say one way or another. I'm just saying there are two sides, right? There are the, the Jews who say, "Yeah, look at Christians did ch they changed um, uh, Psalm 40 verse six, you know, to match their New Testament just to prove that Jesus is Messiah." But that's a that's false. It's it's not it's not true. The real truth is it doesn't say anything like it. So therefore, Jesus is not the Messiah. Uh, then you got, you know, the Christians that say, oh, no, no, no. You guys are the ones that changed it. You changed it just to, you know, just to suit your own needs. <laughs> so they're, 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 they're accusing each other. And it's a, it is a very interesting study. I mean, I'm not going to get into all that tonight, of course, but it's a very interesting study to see. There are, there are times, I will say right, up, right off the bat, I'm not like, I'm not like a big Septuagint fanboy. Uh, there are many times when the New Testament authors actually quote, looks like it's more closely aligned with this, the Masoretic. But as far as I know, the majority of times it, it favors the, the Septuagint. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's one. I, I look at the Bible, I look at it as, as it was in the first century. I know that sounds weird. I know that sounds really weird. I know that may sound counter, whatever, counter faith, whatever. But I look at it, it, it just in the way I believe that the disciples looked at it, the way that Jesus himself looked at it in the first century. I looked at it as separate books and each one having a different level. And this is, this is one thing that I, just so you, again, actually just continuing answering your question, your first question about my view of the Bible, I view the Torah as the top uh, in authority because, not just because the Jews say it or not just because, you know, it's the Torah observant thing to do or whatever, but um, because of what it says in the scriptures for two reasons, two reasons. Number one, in Exodus chapter 19, when Moses received the revelation, it was on Mount Sinai publicly for all of them to see the whole entire, like all of the children of Israel and all of the mixed multitude that were with them, the entire crowd 
estimated to be at least hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Um, I know it says 600,000 men alone was there. Um, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, there were a lot of people there. And Moses uh, met God and they heard God's voice speaking. I mean, Moses didn't have to prove anything when he came down from the mountain. He didn't have to prove he, he, nobody, there were, I don't think there were any atheists. I don't think there were any atheists at that time. I don't think uh, Moses had to say, oh, I'm a prophet. Believe me, I am a prophet. No, no. I think that um, they all knew that he was the man of God and they all, they didn't question what God said. And it came publicly, it came with the greatest of power and glory. Um, and so that, if you want to use the word canonized, I'll use it, uh, that there canonized everything that was spoken there on the mountain instantly. Nobody had to prove anything. There was no process of testing or anything like that. There was no church uh, councils or synagogue councils or whatever. I mean, it was all, uh, as it says in Exodus chapter 19, it was all done there in front of everybody. Um, so this is how I understand it. After that, I mean, after the days of Moses, oh, it, for, oh, let me back up. I said two reasons. That's one reason. The second reason is Numbers chapter 12, when Aaron and Miriam were like, Ah, oh, hey, if Moses, if God can use Moses, he can use anybody. Look at Moses. Look at the guy. Look at his wife. You know, I can just imagine what they're thinking. The guy can't. The guy can't even speak. You know, and look at the kind of look at what he look what he's got for. If God can use someone like that, he can use anybody. And you know the story where God got angry with them, and God said, "What basically? I'll, some, I'll paraphrase. I don't have it in front of me, but." Like, who do you think you are? Um, who you, who you think you are speaking against Moses? Uh, there's nobody that I speak to face to face like I speak with Moses. All the other prophets, I speak to them in riddles and dreams and visions, kind of like as Paul said, through a dark glass. But with Moses, face to face, clear as a bell, I speak with him. You, like Miriam, Aaron, who do you think you are? You're not even a prophet, let alone Moses. And Moses is higher than all the prophets because I speak to him so clearly face to face. So that really put Moses on the top of all the prophets. What, what God said to, about him in Numbers chapter 12 and the fact that it was delivered publicly. The word of God was delivered publicly for everyone to see and, and, and hear. Um, so when the prophets came around, they had to be tested. Some of these, according to Oxford University Press, some of these Old Testament books, especially in the Ketuvim, like Chronicles and Psalms and you know, talk about Esther, Esther and these kind of books like that, um, they weren't even officially canonized until like about two something, 200 AD, when they were officially canonized. Um, but the prophets, it's like they had to go through, a, a, obviously, according to the law of God, according to Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, they had to go through a series of tests. Like, okay, so Ezekiel, you said you had a vision. How do we know you had a vision? 
How do you know? How do we? How do we know that you're just not hallucinating? You didn't, you know, eat some magic mushrooms or something. I mean, how do we know you're not just thinking something up and you, you got an imagination, whatever? How do we know you're a true prophet? So, uh, it took a while for the spiritual leaders at that point in time and the, the leaders to finally declare it as this is legit. He is a legit prophet. Same with uh, Isaiah and the rest of the prophets. They were all put through all that test. Um, and so when, when, um, when Paul came around in Acts chapter 17, you know, he went to Berea and it says the men of Berea were very noble, uh, honorable men. God never rebuked them for doing what they did. Uh, they had a good name. They earned a good name. And what they did was, it says, they listened to Paul, every single thing he said, basically. I can just imagine them taking notes concept by concept and saying, okay, Paul, we'll hear you out, but we're not going to believe you unless we, we we're going to search out the scriptures to see whether or not you said is true. And in those days, of course, the scriptures did not include any book of the New Testament whatsoever. It was the, it was the Tanakh, the Old Testament, Tanakh. So everything had to line up with Paul, or Paul had to line up with every, every, everything else before him in order for him to be legit. And that's the way it should be. Um, he wouldn't be accepted. I mean, to be honest, Luke or the, the author of Acts didn't say what the actual conclusion of their studies were, but they wouldn't accept him, whether they did or not, they wouldn't accept him unless they saw what he taught was true and in line with the Tanakh. Well, you know, okay, so, <clears throat> so I'll just say this. I agree with everything that you said about Moses. I think, you know, as far as the Jews are concerned, the greatest man that ever walked this earth was Moses. You know, I mean, because they reject the Messiah, obviously. But... um everything that you said is true in relation to him speaking face to face with God and how he, you know, revealed his glory and gave them the law to Israel. I, I, you know, you mentioned the multitudes there and, you know, whether it's Deuteronomy four or five, Exodus 12, all throughout, you know, there's, one reference after the next, as well as in even you know even in the New Testament, as far as that the law was given to Israel. But that that being said, um, you know that is fully in alignment, and in, I'm in full agreement of of everything. But then that's not where the story ends. Is the point is that just like Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, he's you know, that one prophet that he said, there's going to be another one come. And he said, I don't want to hear, I don't want to go back and face the fire of God and go through all that stuff again. And the Lord, you know, said unto him, you know, that there's going to be a prophet. And he told him that I'm going to put my words in his mouth and listen to what he says, you know. And of course, we know now because of progressive revelation, you know, and where we are in the timeline of history of, of time, we know specifically he was referring to the Messiah. And when Christ came, you know, 
we know that by Moses came along grace and truth by Jesus Christ. Um, and that was when there was this, the, that was, that was when the, the world was flipped upside down in the sense that everything changed when Christ arrived for Israel and for the Gentiles, you know, because he came in preaching, repent for the kingdom of heavens at hand and was offering Israel their promised millennial kingdom that they rejected him. And, you know, God put his time clock for them on hold and, and saved the apostle Paul. And in the same sense that, you know, here's the thing is like, you know, I saw this one guy, I don't even know he's still on here, just ranting about Paul. Like it's just the name Paul was driving him crazy in the comments. And he just had to keep saying all this stuff and calling me Paulian, Paul worshiper and all that other stuff. It has nothing at all to do with Paul himself. It has to do with the fact that after the ascension of Christ and Israel rejecting um, their Messiah, that Jesus himself came back to Paul and gave him additional revelation, um, including the gospel we believe today, the mystery of the body of Christ, and on and on, um, the mystery of the rapture. That was that was specific, just in the sense that Moses had face-to-face encounters and received the, the Mosaic law, from, you know, God on that mountain, you know, he specifically came to the apostle to the Gentiles, not a apostle, the original 12, you know, replacing Judas with Messiah. They were, they were apostles um, to the Jews. And then Paul was the single apostle chosen by Jesus Christ himself and sent out and given a dispensation of grace usward, you know, you've got for both Jew and Gentile, the arrival of Christ and his um, death, burial, and resurrection. The New Testament could not begin until the testator died. And he began, you know, fulfilling all of the prophecy as it relates you know, to the Messiah, there's still unfulfilled prophecy that'll be fulfilled at his second coming, but going in accordance to God's redemptive um, plan for both Israel and eventually the world, um, he put an end to the, um, to the law for righteousness to those who believe in the sense that there's no more um, attaining of righteousness being sought out by keeping the Mosaic law. It was now about putting faith in Christ himself. And, you know, the whole program that was given to Paul, you know, was a completely different program that was dealing with, dealing with primarily to the Gentiles, dealing with mystery and was heavenly versus, and I talked about this a little bit last time with you, you know, then the earthly program goes from 
you know, it's an earthly program that deals with through Israel and is dealing with prophecy because prophecy always relates to Israel and people don't see the mystery. They see the new covenant and is, or the old covenant in Israel. And then they see a new covenant and they throw everybody into the new covenant, Jews, Gentiles, you know, Christians, everybody's part of the new covenant. And that's not the case. You know, the new covenant, which is still future when nobody I'll have to say, know the Lord, cause they'll all know him. And that's when Israel's sins will be forgiven. That's the second coming, you know, just like Peter preached in Acts 3, 17 and 9, 17 to 21, you know, that when the times are refreshing, come in that their Israel sins will be blotted out. They'll no longer just be remitted. They will be completely blotted out. Whereas we in the body of Christ today have all of our sins forgiven. Colossians 2.13. Um, we don't have to wait till the second coming to have our sins, you know, blotted out. And, you know, so if, if you don't, if you miss the mystery and you're only going on, Israel's time clock, Israel's law, Israel's prophetic program, then, then it will keep you from being able to know what is applicable to us today as, as, as members of the body of Christ, those who believe Paul's gospel, um, you know, and are saved. And again, it's, it has nothing to do with elevating Paul. He just happens to be the one that was chosen. When we say Paul's gospel, it's because it's because it was not that gospel was revealed to Paul and Paul alone in Romans 16, 25, according to the revelation, the mystery. And it's not because it's, it's, it's the gospel, of the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he means when he says my gospel, because prior to that, the good news was not that Jesus died and was buried and you know the resurrection all that you know as it relates to israel's program is different you know that's that's what that's how we get saved by grace alone through faith alone is understanding you know the good news the gospel that jesus died for our sins as our sinless sacrifice god incarnate god in the flesh John 1, 14, and, you know, being buried and resurrected and that through faith in him alone and all of our trust and faith in him, we get his righteousness, which is the only righteousness that'll, that will, that will satisfy God, you know, as opposed to going out and trying to attain your own righteousness and everything. It's like, um, you know, if somebody wants to put themselves under the Mosaic law, um, you know, more power to them, you know, but, but it's not getting blessings from God because it's also not getting cursings. Um, it's not tallying up anything that contributes to salvation, um, you know, because the law ministers death, you know, and that's why... I think one of the best passages for, as it relates to Moses, you know, and the transition, you know, to Christ is Second um, Corinthians two.
where it says, uh, not that we are sufficient in Second Corinthians 2.5, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth and the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones, talking about the law, the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the spirit be rather glorious for if the ministration of condemnation is glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away, referring to the old covenant for, and, and the law of Moses, for that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious, seeing then that we have such hope. We use great plainness of speech and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, the law. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. You know, I mean, and it goes on, but, you know, he's describing um, how Israel to this day, they totally miss the boat with Christ and they have a veil. And even reading the Old Testament, they don't even see Christ in the Old Testament. They don't understand and have discernment of the Old Testament and its application you know, as they read it and everything, because they missed what it was all about. And there's a veil and it says that veil will not be lifted until they, um, it shall be. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil should be taken away. Well, when is that going to happen? At the second coming, prophetically, when Christ comes back, they will look upon the one that they pierced and mourn because then they'll believe and all of Israel that remains at the end of Daniel's 70th week, tribulation, will have their sins forgiven and be saved, you know. But, you know, for right now, there's there's a mystery of the blindness in part to Israel. And until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, there's going to be that blindness where, to this day, you go to Israel, you know, they're completely blind to Jesus. You know, they don't want to hear about him. They reject him. They're still looking for the Messiah. And to me, when somebody as a Gentile today starts subjecting themselves to live as Gentile Jews in 2022, they're essentially putting themselves under the veil of blindness and in, 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 in all regards by placing themselves back into the law of Moses have essentially rejected what 
what Christ came to do, what he accomplished and who he is to the, to their detriment, you know? And so the one group of people in this world today, scripturally, that's blind to Christ and, you know, has no discernment regarding Christ and certainly the gospel and everything is the Jew. The veil will be lifted after the body of Christ is taken up out of here. But right now, that's the blindest people to where even when it comes to reading the Old Testament, they don't get it. And to line up as a Gentile and say, you know what, there seems to be more to this spiritual life than Christianity and Paul's letters and all that. Let's go back to the Hebrew roots. And it's, it's subjecting yourself to that yoke of bondage that Paul talks about, you know. Stand fast in the liberty that we have, not liberty to sin, but liberty to serve the Lord and to be able to, to not be overcome in the dominion of having to keep a law, but to have salvation by grace and to live out our grace life and be enabled by grace because grace doesn't stop at salvation. You know, we live our Christian life by grace and grace teaches us to deny, you know, worldly lust and ungodliness and, and so forth. It's just, I don't know, man. And I'm, that's why I'm curious of talking. And I know that we disagree on a lot of things, but it's like, I know that there's a tie in between the people that, that subject themselves to the law of Moses, whether they call themselves Torah keepers, Hebrews, Torah observant, whatever. There's a direct connection between the people that 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 have put themselves into that category or you know lifestyle, whatever, and the person of Christ and their understanding of Him. It's 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 you know. And you know what I'm talking about. There are people that just flat out will rebuke anybody for saying that Jesus is God, slamming the Trinity, slamming Christians, everything. Christians are all a bunch of pagans that, you know, whatever, and they're all lawless. And they, just, I mean, they just, they hate on the body of Christ and Christians more than anybody on the planet. And then you have the even more extreme, like the black Hebrew Israelites, so forth. But but I just think that that it's this it's a it's a I just believe that it is a deception that um, and I don't know, maybe what attracts people is they can't accept because of their lives, and I'm not pinning this on you at all. I'm just kind of thinking out loud and talking stuff, but I think a lot of them, you know, whether it was a situation that they were in in their life where either they could not grasp grace and they couldn't accept that God would forgive them or something. And that the gospel is too simple and, and everything. And it just, it can't be a hundred percent Christ and zero percent me. There's something I need to do to earn God's favor. And the, it's like, I need rules. I need things, targets to hit and things to, 
do and not do and 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 begin building you know and establishing their own righteousness you know like paul said in you know romans and comparing that they did not attain the righteousness israel because they sought it not by faith they tried to attain it by the law but the gentiles you know who don't have the law they attain that righteousness of christ the righteousness of god in christ by faith and that's what god you know that's what god's doing today he's not doing the same thing on this earth that he did four thousand years ago or you know even two thousand plus years ago oh the game changed when christ was incarnated and you know did what he came to do and um you know that little small percentage you know right now there's what 14 million jews i think in the world out of seven eight billion people and everybody's just trying to go back and i want to be israel i want to be a jew i want their law i want you know and it's like god's got them on time out right now and he's going to resume his dealings with them but for right now in this age that we live right now he is building his body christ the head we are members of the body of christ when we believe that jesus christ as revealed in scripture died for our sins and that there's nothing no amount of works that we can do um, to earn favor with god and putting our faith and trust in him through his death burial and resurrection and believing that that's what saves and that's what that's why it's called grace i mean you know it's just i don't know i'm just it breaks my heart to to see people especially as it relates to the person of christ and to feel that that they're earning bonus points by keeping a law given to Israel, you know, four thousand years ago, and um, when it's all said and done, and a person's heart stops beating, and they stand before God, you know, it's it's it you know it's kind of like the matthew 7 passage which is not us dying today and standing before jesus in heaven that's matthew 7 is about the kingdom of heaven and the sheeps and the goats and have we not done this that and the other and he'll say depart from me i never made any workers of iniquity um but it's kind of the same thing where i think people at the great white throne will you know I don't think they'll say anything. People are like, oh, I'm going to tell God this. I, I don't think anybody will say a word at the Great White Throne Judgment, but will literally show up at that moment trying to present their righteousness in some way. God, I did this and I, I, did, I didn't eat pork and I, you know, I didn't work on Saturday and I, you know, I did this, that, and the other. 
and it doesn't, it's, it's not going to matter for anybody. There's no amount of righteousness that we can accumulate that, that is going to give us the, the complete righteousness that we get in God um, through Christ. It's his righteousness. We either choose our righteousness and fall short or his righteousness and find ourselves secure eternally in him. But there's such a, again, it goes back to that person of Christ and such a wide range. I don't think I've met two tour keepers that have the same exact position on the person of Jesus Christ. It's all confusion and difference, you know, of, of opinions and struggling with, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, if he's anything shy of being God almighty, then, then it's another Jesus. And he's clearly revealed as God throughout scripture, both in the old Testament and the new Testament. Can we fathom and understand how the Godhead operates? Um, you know, I don't know, but I know like in Hebrews one, the father called the son God and, I know in Isaiah nine, he's referred to as the mighty God. And, but that's a, again, it's, it's, it's not even getting hung up on the, the term God. It's understanding that he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and the creator of all and eternal, no beginning past, present and future. And, you know, the alpha and the mega. And I mean, he's everything that's got God's whole program. He created the heaven and earth in the beginning. God created the heaven and earth ends with a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. And the whole plan is through Israel's earthly program and prophecy and the body of Christ's heavenly program of mystery is to bring all things under the full authority and gathering all things in one in Christ. It's all about Jesus. The whole Bible is about his son and about Christ, his purpose for heaven and earth that's fulfilled in bringing all things into subjection to the son of God. And if somebody misses that, um, you know, and submits themselves to something that would cause that veil, you know, because we as Gentiles are not given a veil. It has to be, selected and chosen that okay i'm gonna put myself under under the law i'm gonna you know believe in a different you know yeshua that was a you know that was a he was a pretty de decent man did some good things and died on a cross but you know and even then it just it was all over the place. Did he just die for Gentiles? Did he just die for That's like, he did it all. He, he, when he paid it all and said, it is finished, you know, every, nobody from Adam to the last person that's born will have eternal life apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody. But the message changed and the revelation was progressive and, you know, man fell and then they needed to be told you know 
how wicked they are by giving them the law and, and teaching sin and being a schoolmaster and pointing us to Christ. And then Christ comes and fulfills what he came to do as the word made flesh, God incarnate, and the Jews, because they rejected him, subjected the last 2,000 years of, of blindness to the Hebrew people. And then here in this little last window of the history of time is this new awakening of Gentiles going back to Hebraic roots. When they feel like it's getting me closer to God, closer to God's original plan and law, you know, and a higher level of obedience and so forth, when essentially what they're doing is they are bypassing the Lord Jesus Christ and, you know, essentially discounting, you know, everything that he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection sacrifice that he paid and realizing that you cannot get to the Father apart from Christ, period. And the people that, you know, otherwise you're no different, not you necessarily, but you're no different than a Muslim, you know. Oh, yeah, he was a good prophet, Isa, that guy, you know, and Mary was a good mom to him and stuff, and there's one God, but, you know, Isa's certainly not God, and, you know, and, and they just, you know, and I, I don't know if you've ever watched like people like Sonia Azam that, you know, came out of the Hebrew roots. She was, she went from Muslim to Christian to spending a year in Hebrew roots. And now she got out of it and talk about somebody that's got a perspective of the whole gamma of things. And she parallels all the similarities between the Hebrew roots and Islam, you know, and, and, and how the Tanakh and, you know, is, is the Quran of Islam and how it's, I mean, she, she, she obviously lived it, grew up in a Muslim home and understands it a lot more, but, but Satan is busier more than anything. He says, if our gospel we hit, it's hid to them that are lost and, and that the, that the God of this world has blind minds of them that believe not. And that's, that's his number one objective. You know, he doesn't care what a person believes or does or how holy of a life they live as long as they do not put their faith and trust in Christ alone and believe the gospel that saves today. That's all he that's all he cares about. Um, be a good upstanding citizen. Be religious. You know, and I, I think a lot of folks, you know, like I believe that you genuinely you genuinely you know, love God and desire, you know, to do what God wants you to do. Um, some people, I wouldn't even say that. I think, you know, I don't see it. I don't, it's not, there's zero fruit that there's any true, genuine love for the Lord. Um, but but if it's anything other, it, it just, you can't miss Christ is the thing. Um, 
He did it all, you know. That's why we don't keep the Sabbath, because you follow even if you follow the chrono- chronology of the week of the crucifixion, Passion Week, and everything. It was two Sabbaths, annual Sabbath, and then the the feast of uh, unleavened bread. I think was the second day. Third day was a Saturday. Nobody worked all three days, and that wasn't a coincidence because Christ was finishing his work for us. And now we don't, you know, that's an earthly working, physical work, physical Sabbath observance. Whereas now we as believers rest in the finished work of Christ and understand that, you know, that for us every day is our Sabbath. And Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And um, I don't know, man. I know I've been kind of rambling and stuff, but I'm I'm just I'm just trying to understand what is drawing people to to the Torah in most cases above Christ and then blinding people to who Christ truly is. But we don't have to understand everything and be able to explain, you know, all we can go by is what's revealed in scripture. And even if we don't fully grasp everything, there there has to come a point of surrender where the light comes on and you realize that he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and that he is God and, and must be believed on as he's revealed in scripture. He's not the Father and he's not the Holy Spirit. That he's the eternal son of God. He's the word. He's Jesus. He's, I agree, 100% human, like you said earlier, but he's also 100% God. And only he could have done what he did. And it was the plan all along by the father of how he wanted everything to be accomplished according to his will. And, um, I don't know. Now I'm sorry for uh, rambling for a while and stuff, but I'm, I'm, you know, again, I'm, I'm appreciative that, that you're willing to talk and, um, You know, I, I, I just have a burden for, for people. And I, I, if you, you, I'm sure, you know, we've known at least of each other for a couple of years now and stuff through TikTok and everything. And, you know, I go after false teaching and 
false gospels and attacks on Christ and everything. But this this particular movement is is really hitting me hard. And wherever you classify yourself, you know, as part of the Torah community. I don't know. I think I think Jesus is coming back soon. I'll tell you that because I think that there is a Jewish interest, you know, that's being created in through different avenues, and and I don't think that's a coincidence. I you know because tribulation is all about Israel and God judging them and eventually the salvation of Israel, which has nothing to do with us. Um. I think it'll be very difficult for a Gentile to get saved once the the promise of the Holy Spirit, his sealing, um, is gone. And the body of Christ will be gone. You know, there'll be, I'm sure there'll be some Gentiles that they can still get saved and will, but it's, I wouldn't want to be here for it. There's just so much freedom in Christ and one of the biggest misconceptions that drives grace believers and people that that understand what grace is all about that it's not because it's a we don't see it as a license to sin like to us it's like that's the furthest thing from our mind that we have you know freedom to sin and that we don't want to adhere to God's will and live holy, you know, to as much as possible and keep and deal with sin and keep it out and keep our thoughts pure and our hearts pure and love people and spread the word of God and preach the gospel and see people. get. I mean, that's, you know, that, that desire for sin gets dealt with, you know, not only by Christ, but in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through conviction and a desire to know him and love him and love others. And it has nothing to do with lawlessness and disobedience and freedom to just go out and just sin like crazy and get away with stuff. That's why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees. They were hypocrites that taught taught the law but didn't keep it and even even in the sense of keeping he said unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the pharisees well there's only one who's who's kept perfect righteousness his name is jesus and he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be the righteousness of god in him we need to be clothed in his righteousness. If it's, you know, if it's, if it's up to us, none of us are going to make it self-included. I don't know if you want to 
any thoughts or if you're I think it's important uh, that you pour your heart out there, Wade. I appreciate where you're coming from. I hear you. Um, nothing you said, I mean, to me, it was new. Nothing, I, I was, you know, that's exactly, exactly where I was. Not so much against the Torah movement because back in those days it wasn't a thing like back in mid 90s but everything pretty much you said um, now I hear you I hear your heart I, I hear that you know you're just you're wondering how these kind of how can someone like myself or other people similar that would come from what you would consider to be like the truth and then get so far off track I hear you. Um, I'm speaking from from your point of view. So, just just to explain a little bit more about how I got where I how I got here. I know I just vaguely touched on it before, but I mean it's it has been 30 years in the making. Um, One another another part was just see when I first got saved, I went right out on the streets preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, just like you preach it, just like what you're saying, preaching the gospel all to everybody. I uh, I, I shared a, I shared a lot of that last time, um, and I ran across so many people, including some of my old friends, that. Um, that I knew was living in very dark sin, a lot of sin. And, and they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm right with God. Or I, you know, I, I, I love, I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. You know, Jesus is my savior. I love, I, I love God. But, you know, I mean like serious, serious sin, these people. And, and, I knew them before I was saved and I knew them after I was saved. I see absolutely no evidence at all of their salvation at all. I don't see any evidence at all of them being born again. And I'm, I'm, I was very frustrated. Now this was, this would have been back in 1992 and again, 1993. I was very, very frustrated. Like, come on. Like, I know you're not, you can't be doing what you're doing and say that you love Jesus. And this is back in the days, right? I'm, I'm, I'm preaching the gospel just like I'm preaching the message that you're preaching. Oh, yeah. Uh, all the way. Um, and I'm like, man, like, how can this? And going out on the streets to these people that are, that are really caught up in sin. And some of them, they ended up dying young. Actually, some of them, I was... One guy I can think of, he would, he actually died just days after I talked to him. And it wasn't because of, it, it was just reckless living, reckless living. He didn't expect it. Um, but many people like that. And that, it, that was hard on my, like heavy on my heart. Like how can these people, you know, they think they're good. I mean, I mean, they think that they're okay with God because they just believe in Jesus. Oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins and I'm good. I'm good. I can just go and do whatever I want. I can, you know, I can be a pimp. I can be a prostitute. I can, I, I can just, I can steal. I can do anything. 
I can just do, I can be, you know, and that's how they, that's how they thought. That was, I mean, that's, that's another thing that kind of got me like, okay, so this doesn't make sense. Like Paul said, <laughs> you know, first Corinthians six, uh, verses nine and 10, right. Where, you know, Hey, you're doing like half of these sins that Paul said that if you do this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, you're doing almost everything, almost everything in Galatians 5, 19 through 21 that God, that Paul said, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's like, and Revelation, you're doing like almost everything in there that it says that these people who do these things will not inherit and not, you know, enter in. Um, I mean, that's just one drop in the bucket, like literally. That's, that wasn't major, but that's just one drop in the bucket. After that, it was, I don't know, I did a lot of thinking. Uh, at one point in time, and I was, you know, as, as a child, I was very, I was actually a very sickly child. I, I was very, I got sick a lot. And when I got sick, I, it was bad. It was really bad. Sinus infections and uh, just uh, really bad. I... Yeah, it was, it was to the point where I'm like almost germaphobic. I like don't, I, I can't get sick again because it just, yeah, without getting into too much detail. Um, so I was at this church one that actually was a Christian, a Christian uh, bookstore. And I was going through the books and uh, I was just kind of browsing, picked up a book and re read it. I don't I don't even remember the title of the book or the author of the book or anything like that. I, it was just, just randomly going through books. And I opened, I opened this one book and it said that there was a study done on all the different denominations and so on and so forth and different churches and which one was the healthiest. And it said that it just happened to be that Seventh-day Adventists were the healthiest people in this study. And I put that book down again. I didn't pay much attention to it, but it was one of those things that stuck, you know, stuck in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, why would that be? Could that, I mean, why? And that's, not, that's just another, again, it's not a single thing. I can't even boil it down to 10 things. It's probably a hundred things that, that led like stepping stones, so to speak, that led me to where I am today. So I thought, well, of course, you know that the Seventh-day Adventists, they adhere strongly to the dietary laws and so on and so forth. And I thought, hmm, could it just be? Now, this would have been in 1997, could it just be that God just wasn't making up rules just because he just wanted to be a Lord, lorded over people with rules? Could it, could it just be, perhaps, maybe poss a slight possibility that God actually had a purpose behind that? And maybe he just knew what was good for people. And that's why the Seventh-day Adventists are the healthiest of all the churches. Could it, could it be? Uh, question. Um, and I, I got a book as well. And again, this is not a book from a Hebrew roots person or a Torah observant person at all. I, 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 so, and that book that I picked up and read, I'm, I don't, again, I, I don't know what the title of, I don't know who was, so I, I can't say it was Hebrew roots or Torah observant, but I doubt it. It was back in, again, mid nineties, 1995, 1996. Um, 
in this Christian bookstore that I got it from would not, I don't, I don't think it would carry anything like that anyway. Uh, so I got another book about uh, the Bible, uh, was, you know, talking about Bible uh, health, you know, this kind of thing. And it was talking about how, uh, again, kind of reinforcing that the diet that we have in the Bible is one of the best diets to go by. And people who follow that are more healthy, generally speaking. And it just got me thinking. And back in those days, I mean, I was having my bacon cheeseburgers and frying up the bacon left, right, and center all the time, too. And so I started not because, maybe I, I can't say that it was because it was in the Bible. I can't say it was because of it was in the Torah. Back in those days, I probably wouldn't even know what the Torah is. Um, but I started eating more along the lines of cutting these kind of things out of my diet. Oh, and my huh, allergies. You wouldn't believe me if I told you how bad my allergies was. Um, and after I changed my diet like that, call it coincidence if you want. Call it coincidence, but I got much healthier. And the allergies are pretty much like if it was a hundred before today, like it, in the past several years, it might be five, two, maybe out of a hundred, uh, much, much better. I feel much better. And, and uh, so ever since then, so that would be 1996, 1997. I did not eat some of these things that it says in the Bible not to eat. Not all of it. I still wasn't fully sold on it back in those days. But I was... And then after a while, um, I started doing research into how other people viewed Christianity. Like, especially Muslims, and then later on Jews. And I was shocked. I was really, really shocked to say, and it's true, um, even to this day, as far as I know, especially in the Eastern world, like Muslims look at Christians as like, you're the most godless, you know, I know a Muslim who got saved and right away their, their family was like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So now you can drink, you can smoke, you can do drugs, you can sleep around and okay, got it. So now you're part of that godless crowd. And that's the idea. And that's, again, that's part of why they call the West the great Satan part of it. Um, and so that, you know, kind of burdened my heart as well. It's like, I want to see these people get saved. I want to see these Muslims get saved. I want to see these Jews get saved. And, and so after learning more about that culture and how Christians are viewed, it started, I'm, I'm starting, I'm, I'm thinking like, how, like, how could they think like that? And why would they say that? And could it be at all slightly even true? And why would it be true? And I found again, from my past, it's like so many Christians are like, huh, I'm covered. It's I'm under grace, man. I'm under grace. I can punch you in the head, man. I can, I, I can do anything I want, but I'm under grace. That's the attitude. I, I, you know, I know Wade, you, you said many times that, you know, grace does not give you a license to sin. Amen to that. Um, but a lot of people, that's how they look at it. Um, 
and so that's just another another you know another step in along the ways and and again i got to the point where i did eat a what you might call the bible diet or the bible or the levitical diet the torah diet of whatever you want to call it um and again having another muslim like having there's this muslim and i met many of them since then it's like oh you're a christian oh yeah you're a pig eater yeah 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 i'm like i'm not they're like so i'm not well why not well god said not to and they're like they're shocked and i've seen more i've seen like i said the one of the greatest conversions i've ever seen was a muslim it started out like that and i'm thinking wow some of these muslims actually a lot of them and not some but a lot of muslims that's their major hang-up so it's like wow even if you can eat pork why shouldn't every christian should stop just because we can we can disarm that we can disarm them you know um and then you know there's more thought about hey who you know i want to it just what really drove me to where i am today and another thing is just who jesus really was like thinking more about learning more about jesus you know he was a jew and, and the more i learned about the jewish culture the more i saw how jesus was part of that jewish culture like and I, and I went from thinking that Jesus was like this, you know, cool Gentile, long hair, hippie kind of guy to a guy who was actually was a, 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 an Orthodox, an Orthodox, excuse me, Orthodox Jewish rabbi, you know, like the woman coming up and touching the hem of his garment. You look at the word hem in the Greek, it says actually tzitzit, right? It's what it says, right? So I'm thinking, wow, man, wow, I learned something new. And this, this would have been like years ago. And so thinking more about this and, and looking more into the culture uh, of the Bible, the authors of the Bible, their culture, the way they, uh, all this kind of thing. Um, it's, it was a long, it was a long journey. And again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that's all that led me to where I am today. That's, that's just all that comes to mind right now. Um, uh, of course, it's 30, like I said, it's 30 years worth of, it was a gradual process of getting to where I am today. And just reading the scriptures, really, like honestly, it was just reading the scriptures and reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it. And when I come across lots of passages, and they, trust me, there are a lot. I actually got a um, an article up on my website just listing um, a lot of them, not all of them, but it's not it's not fully exhaustive, but a lot of passages like, you know, Luke chapter one, verse six, where it says, you know, that Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, says they were both righteous. I'm thinking, this is before Jesus. Both righteous. It says they were both righteous, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Both righteous, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And I'm thinking, huh. And that kind of thing with others throughout the scripture, like even David, as bad as he was, it says that he obeyed all the commandments, except, you know, in the, in the, in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, and someone can argue, well, there's that one time he took a census. He wasn't supposed to 
take the census, but I don't know if that's really against the Torah um, per se. But it's, it does say that he obeyed everything except for the, in, the, in, the mat, in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. It's like, well, hey, man, if you can, uh, if you can go without murdering somebody for the sake of adultery, uh, you're doing good. I mean, according to that passage, David pretty much did it. And I mean, there's many, many instances throughout. I counted, I counted, I believe it was 70. I got a list 70 times when God said, this is not one person talking about another person. This is, talking, this is God, where God said that so-and-so is righteous. And like, for example, in Genesis chapter six, where God said that Noah is righteous. Genesis chapter seven, God said that Noah was righteous. And all these kind of things like that. Um, and so it got me, again, I'm, it got me thinking and it got me thinking, okay, so, and then, and then learning, the more I learned the, the, the Torah, the more I learned the spirit of the Torah, like how God operates. Like, for example, um, if you can't celebrate Passover, ah, don't worry about it. Just do it the next month. Or if you can't Deuteronomy 14, if you can't, um, uh, if if you can't bring your sacrifices, your tithes and your offerings and your animal sac, if it's just too far for you to go, like even if it's just too far for you, <laughs> don't worry about it. Just take it, sell it, take the money, party with it. Okay, I mean, enjoy it. That's basically what it says in in, in Deuteronomy fourteen. So I'm thinking, yeah, this is the spirit of the Torah, the spirit of God through the Torah. Uh, this is this is it. This is the heart of the Father. He's not in the Torah or anywhere in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, he's not this, you got to obey me or I'm going to, you're going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, the big cop in the sky, as they say, right? With a billy bat, I'm going to smash you if you, you know, if you get online. But then, you know, then reading and understanding such like Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, where, you know, he says that basically this is in context. This is after, this is basically towards the end of the Torah, five books of Moses, so to speak. Um, Close to the end, wrapping things up. So God's like, okay, so Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, the commandment I given, I gave you today is not too hard for you. It's not, it's not too difficult. You don't have to go up. You don't have to climb up some mountain. You don't have to climb up to the heaven to get it. You don't have to do any, you don't have to dig down into the depths to get it. In other words, you don't have to go down to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. It's right there. It's right there in your heart, in your mouth. And that's actually the word. That's actually where Paul got his message of righteousness by faith. It's from the Torah. It's Torah. That's Torah. Righteousness by faith is, is, is I mean, uh, Romans chapter 10, that's what he quotes. He quotes Torah to back that up. And so as I'm learning all of this stuff, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Hallelujah. Like God is good. Like, yeah, like when they, when they sang during that, age, if whatever you want to call it. when they sang over and over again, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Yes, he is good. I mean, they sang that more in the so-called old, in the Old Testament as opposed to the New Testament. He is good. His mercy endures forever. The law of the Lord is precious, more precious than silver and more precious than the finest of gold. Uh, you know, talks about, David talks many times throughout the Psalms about how he obeys the law and how he loves the Lord or how he loves the law. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. Um, 
It's sweeter than honey, not bitter, not a curse, not a burden. It's the law of liberty. It's the law which sets me free. And it goes on and on and on like this. And I'm thinking, okay, this is why we have so many Jews that say, thanks, but no thanks to the way Christians present the gospel today. If you go back, I, I believe, again, I'm just, this is, this is how I read it. This is how I understand it. In Acts chapter 2 through until um, at least, well, say about 15, Acts chapter 15, when they're, okay, the, the Gentiles are coming in now. What are we going to do with them kind of thing in, in Acts chapter 15? But in the first, in the first little while there, it was like mostly Jewish people getting saved. It was like Jewish people just pouring in, pouring in, pouring in, pouring in. And then when the Gentiles were starting to come in, it's like, oh, what are we going to do with them? <laughs> Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, like, hey, we need to take this. We need to escalate this to uh, James and Peter. Like, what are we going to do? Like, hey, what are we going to do with the Gentiles? I mean, we know the Jews. I mean, they've been pouring in and by the thousands, right? And so, and so, I believe, I really, really heart, wholeheartedly believe, if we get back to those days. The Jews will pour back in, pour into the kingdom by the thousands. I really believe it. They'll be pouring into the kingdom, pouring into the faith, just like how they did in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way through. Um, and, you know, I, I know the scriptures very, very well. I, I, I taught it. I, I preached it, you know. Oh, your righteousnesses are all like filthy rags. You know, uh, Isaiah chapter 64, I believe it is. But then again, I'm look, I'm, I read it, read it again. And I'm thinking, let me read this again. And you read it. And you see how there are two different groups of people. He that loves righteousness. He that, he that loves righteousness. He who does righteousness. Then there, then there are the, we who have sinned, we do not call upon your name. We do not pray. We do not. We eat up God's people like bread. It's like there are two different groups of people talking here. The, it, the, first, it's the good guys. And then there's the bad guys, the ones who don't even believe, those who don't even pray. It's all of their righteousnesses that, that are like filthy rags. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they're just a bunch of unbelieving sinners, bad sinners. If you look, if you read it in context. It paints them out like they are consumed by iniquity. Um, they don't call upon the name of God. They don't call upon God. They don't seek God. They don't do any of that stuff. Uh, it's just like um, Psalm 14. Paul quoted Psalm 14. There is none righteous, no, not one. Well, actually, it doesn't say there's none righteous, no, not one. It says there's none good. Tov versus Sadiq, it's... It's different. But anyway, uh, it says in Psalm 14, there are none righteous, no, not one. But then again, if you look at if you look at the context of who's them, those of the sons of mankind who do not believe, who say there is no God, they are fool. The fool in his heart says there's no God. They do not call upon God. They do not seek God. They don't care about God. They don't care about anything. They don't care about the word of God. Yeah, there's none good among them. That's for sure. But obviously, like, obviously like, to me, that would not include people like David, who says he's a man after God's own heart. He said many, many times in Psalms, you know, that as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after. He's seeking God. He's pressing in. He's praying. So much in the Psalms about that. So obviously when they, when it says in Psalm 14, I believe it's, it repeats itself in Psalm 53 as well. 
there's none good, no, not, or there's none righteous. No, it doesn't say there's none righteous. There's none good, right? Um, no, not one. Again, no, not one of who, what group? Everybody from Adam till today? I don't believe so. In that, in that context, those who do not call upon God, those who do not seek God, those who do not care about him at all. And so, yeah, that makes sense. There's none, there's no good of those kind of people, you know? So all of this stuff I'm learning. And as I read the, every time I read the scriptures, I get more and more of this out of it. And it's like, to me, it is just an amazing thing of just like, wow, like, God, you really are good. Father, you really are awesome. You're good. You're not this unreasonable tyrant barking out commands to a people that you know can't obey them just to show them how much of a sinner they are until the Messiah comes. That's not at all what it says all the way through the the Tanakh. You know, I've counted myself seven times in in the books of uh, Moses alone not counting the rest of the prophets and such seven times at least and without counting the rest of it there's got to be at least a dozen times when god makes it very clear that this is what the law is for that obey the commandments abroad these commandments so that it would go well with you so that all will be well with you you get the blessings a loving father giving loving instructions to his loving to his beloved people to his children that's how i look at it and it's just so freeing and it's just so amazing and i feel like i know i certainly don't know everything it's a lot for me to learn okay there's a lot for me to learn that's why i'm willing to talk about it i'm willing to talk about anything um but i but i feel like i know a million times more than i did 30 years ago I feel like I say, wow, I can talk about this for days on end. I'm serious. I mean, uh, so much to talk about. That's just, that's just not even scratching the surface of the tip of the iceberg. And so when it comes to, you know, I know there are people on TikTok. I know there are people on uh, Facebook, YouTube, all these people. They think that they're fight, or you got to fight this, you know, this false doctrine. We got to fight these lies of the, you know, that you got to obey God. <laughs> that you got to obey the, you got to obey God's law. Um, I'll say exactly what Gamaliel said in Acts chapter five. It. Leave them alone. <laughs> Just like, if what they're doing is is wrong, it'll fail in and of itself. It'll collapse like a house of cards. If they if what they are doing is right and good and true, you might be just fighting against God. Might be just fighting against God. So, um, I, there's so much to say. I mean, I, I've got a whole, you know, just listening to what you're saying, Wade, there's so much to say. I believe that the law is an act, a wonderful act of grace. One of the greatest acts of grace, like apart from, you know, say you, you Jesus uh, coming, but you know, it's a wonder. And this is how, even a couple years ago, I did a, I thought to myself, how do the Jewish people, how do the Jewish people view their salvation? Is it by works? And I was shocked. I'm not sure if the, the video is still up there or not, but on YouTube, there is a video from a, an orth, a Jewish rabbi, and he said it's all by grace. That's exactly what he said. 
He said, we're saved by grace. We, 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 we're, we get atonement by grace. Um, and again, that shocked me. It's like, hmm. And so, I mean, there's a lot more to talk about, Wade. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, that was kind of helpful to, well, it was very helpful to have a better understanding of kind of the progression. Um, <clears throat> you know, it sounds like that a lot of uh, the Christians, you know, in your early experience, you know, I, I, I don't, I mean, if they actually said the words, hey, I'm saved by grace, I can do this and do that. That's pretty bad. But I, I think I know what you're saying as far as kind of just living a life that you would think that that's their mindset um, versus vocalizing it. Um, but you, it sounds like you were around a lot of people that, that claim the name of Christ and live like the devil. Um, oh, yeah. You know, which... I tell you plenty of people that in my life that fall right into that category. It didn't shake my faith at all. It just made me realize that, um, you know, that what, what men are capable of, you know, and that there are people that, you know, in a lot of cases, I'm sure there were a lot of false professions and, um, you know, whatever they're like, Oh, I need to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to go, you know, to a church service and get baptized. And a week later, they're out, you know, living like the devil again or whatever. And it, and I get that, you know. But if if I kept my eyes on other Christians and just man in general, man women, you know. Um, regardless Christian or not Christian or I mean, I'll be disappointed every time. Um, but like I said, when I, when I see it and around people like that, it doesn't, doesn't really shake my faith. You know, it just, not everybody, you know, not everybody gets it. And I think, you know, where you were talking about that, Jews say they're saved by grace. Nobody's ever been saved apart from grace, you know, under the old covenant, before the old covenant, you know, today. I mean, nobody gets saved apart from grace, but it's different in the sense when, when we're talking about grace, not being in the law, being under grace, and this dispensation of grace that Paul talks about in Ephesians 3. Um, It's, you know, it's a, and I, it was kind of like what I was talking about earlier, that God is not blessing and cursing people right now based on obedience to the law. They're, um, he's not judging right now. It's, it's a, don't hear of cities being destroyed by fire and brimstone and, you know, the way he judged people, um, you know, in the Old Testament and so forth because he's showing grace right now to all. And when this fullness of the Gentiles comes in, he, he will, all people will, all people are, if they're saved, they're saved by grace. 
and those who are not saved um, will face judgment, you know, eventually. Um, but I noticed that, I noticed that it, 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 it was a lot of stuff about, you know, the disappointment of Christians and the hypocrisy and then an interest on physical health by Seventh-day Adventists, um, which, you know, my, my whole thing is when I, when, I, when I have people that say, well, I just do it for health. I'm like, okay, whatever. That's fine. Just don't tell me I can't, you know, because then now you're crossing the line scripturally even. But, um, but like if the, 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 the Jewish eating laws were not health related, it was distinguish, distinguishing Israel from amongst the nations as well as the law as a whole, because no, you know, Noah in Genesis 9, the eating laws was omnivore. You eat anything. Then, you know, you got the mosaic eating laws. And then now, obviously, in the New Testament, you know, we know that if it's as long as it's received with Thanksgiving, nothing is to be refused and not to let people judge in meats and false teachers claiming this, that, and the other. Anyway, I don't, I, I like, I just don't see the Lord saying, you can eat all meats if it's unhealthy. You know what I mean? Like it, it was, there was a purpose for that. But like I said, if somebody wants to abstain from pork, I have no issue with it. But if they say that it's because they're, you know, being obedient and I'm being disobedient by eating pork, then that's crossing the line because it, it cannot be supported scripturally. Um, but in, in all that progress, I was noticing, you know, when you talked about the Muslims and just different experiences, different groups of people. Um, and then eventually, you know, you got to scripture and reading scripture as far as um, coming to understanding more about God's laws and, you know, mosaic law and which i agree the law is you know holy righteous and good um you know it's it's not that there's it's not that the law is bad it's just that it was insufficient to save anybody um and it was given to a specific people um but I know you went to, you know, the, the verses that, that imply that there can be a, a saving level of righteousness attained through keeping the Mosaic law, kind of implying that you know, these people here that were referenced, you know, the two people here and the one person over here that was referred to as being righteous, you know, I just think that that as you went all the way through kind of talking about keeping the law and righteousness and the law is easy to keep and, you know, all these other things that, that, that throughout it all, there was no mention of Jesus Christ through the whole thing. 
through the whole progression, it, you know, it went from disappointment with Christians to, you know, this whole law thing is freedom, um, or liberty that you said. Uh, um, but it's like, okay, now I've got this set of set of rules that if I live by or whatever, then it's attainable to reach that level of righteousness that I need um, to please God or be saved or whatever, whatever, you, however you take that. But it's Torah, 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 keeping the law, self-righteousness, and no Jesus. Um, which, again, I think that that's, that is ultimately what I think that, that most of the Hebrew Roots movement as a whole and the Torah-keeping movement and, you know, the path that I think that you're taken to, to a large extent or whatever, but, you know, I, I think that that's kind of the destination of where, where it ends up leading is, um, it's removing Christ or even changing who he is, what he did. And, um, you know, There is, you know, there is an element of, you know, prior to this, this dispensation of grace, you know, people, nobody's ever been saved apart from grace. It's always grace, but the, the grace is different in this, in this dispensation. It was a specific dispensation of grace, but people's faith is ultimately what was required of them, including people like Abraham and Noah and all that, but they had to demonstrate their faith by their works, whether it was building a boat, keeping the law, you know, you name it. There was always expectations of demonstration of works. They also did not have the Holy Spirit um, indwelling them and sealing them like we have today in the church age, um, you know, so it was that he was through sheer effort. That's why in the new covenant, he's going to pour out his Holy spirit and cause them to keep, you know, every law, perfect obedience, living in righteousness, living in full righteousness in the kingdom for a thousand years. Um, you know, because they're enabled by the Holy spirit at that point. Um, you know, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, like I said, I was just, it helped me kind of understand the progression and I, uh, I kind of see where it's like, okay, how do we fix this problem of people just living like the devil calling themselves Christians? Okay. Here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll live by the rules that, that God gave those, you know, Egyptian refugees and, you know, at Mount Sinai that, that was, that became their distinguishing, he promised him a land. He promised, he gave, gave him their law and the priesthood and on and on and on because they, you know, God's chosen people and 
you know, it was to set them apart from the other nations, you know, and that there was certainly, you know, they, they did, they, they were blessed for keeping the law. If they didn't keep the law, they were, you know, they received the cursings for it. We're not in the blessing cursing period in time in history right now. And God is not blessing or cursing based on, you know, keeping the mosaic law. Um, but if, if, if you leave out Christ, then, you know, we have nothing apart from him. You know, the children of Israel knew and looked for Messiah and they missed him 2000 years. They're still looking for a Messiah, but, um, you know, but those who had faith, you know, in God and, and atoned for their sins through the, you know, the sacrifice, sacrificial system and everything. And were remitted those that, that died in good standing, you know, through faith and the sacrificial system and everything, they went to Abraham's bosom and they'll be resurrected. Um, you know, one day at the second coming and so forth. Um, but here's, here was one of the things and I, I didn't want to interrupt you and stuff, but as you were talking about towards the end, a lot of the, the, your experience of, of keeping the mosaic law and everything. Um, how, how do you, like, it's great if you want, you know, this helps me and this helps me to do this and not do that or whatever. But, but how do you deal with, with sin when you do something that is sinful? Um, like, uh, even if it's, you know, anything, you know, if, if you, you lied about something, which I don't minimize lying, lying to me is one of the worst sins, you know, it's abominable and it's against who God is, you know, he's truth and devil's the father of life but as an example, or lusting, when you see a woman, whatever, how do you deal with it at that point if you do sin? Excellent question. Um, I believe it says in all the way through scripture, actually everything, um, that the most effective way to deal with sin is to repent. And that, I'm not talking about remorse. I'm not talking about feeling sorry. I'm talking about just making a decision to turn away from that. And I know that sometimes with some sins, uh, it can be very difficult uh, because some people are enslaved to sin. I, I, I get that. I understand that. Um, but to do everything you can to turn away from it, to turn away from sin, to stop sinning, and to turn to God, um, that's the way to deal with it. You know, when Yeshua, when Jesus and all of his 12 disciples, and even Paul himself said in, in Acts, you know, God commands every man everywhere to repent. But the, the whole message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, 
if you really, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, the same chapter that Paul got his doctrine for righteousness by faith, the first, I think now, the first 10, yes, the first 10 verses have to do with repentance and the idea that if you turn from your sin, God will not pour out any of those curses on you. You will not get cursed. Uh, you will get the blessings. It's just if you repent. Um, that's the first 10 verses of Deuteronomy 30. The la- from from ch- uh, verse 11 all the way through to the end of the chapter is all about how easy it is. Basically, it's at hand. So I believe when Yeshua, when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, when the disciples said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what they were doing, I believe, was just summarizing Deuteronomy chapter 30. Repent, verses 1 to 10. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, you don't have to work for it. It's right there. Boom. It's just, just reach out and grab it. Um, verses 11 through the rest of the chapter. Um, we see that a favorite verse in, the, in Christian circles is, uh, <laughs> I have to speak from experience because you, you hear it all the time, right? Uh, um, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, you know, call upon me and, uh, turn from their wicked ways, turn from their sin, then I will forgive, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Same same concept as Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 10. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 18, all the way through to the end of the chapter, also talks about that. If a, right, if a wicked man turns from his wickedness and does what is right, um, None of the wickedness, none of the transgressions, none of his sin that he's ever committed in his, in his past will be held against him. God will forget it all. There, there it is, right there. God will look at him not, not like, well, hey, uh, you used to sin, but now you're not, but I'm still going to make you pay for that past sin. No, no. You've repented, therefore, it's done. It's gone. It is expunged. It has been atoned for. Um, Which you're right? Sorry? Which passage was that that you're talking about? Uh, the last one? Yeah, where you said you repent, it pays for all of your past sins. Okay, I'll pull it up. It's it's Ezekiel chapter 18, uh, verse verse 18, 19. Depends on if you want to get start of verse 18. So, or, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 18 following. I'll just pull it up here. Um, and I'll read it from the King James. Uh, so, it says, as for his, for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence, and did, what, uh, and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. Verse 19, yet you say, Why? Doth not the son bear the iniquity of the father? When the son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes and done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sins shall die. The soul that sin sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not, shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins, which he has committed, and keep all my statutes, and do what is lawful and right, he shall surely 
he shall, excuse me, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Verse 22, all his transgressions that he has committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him in his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. And so it goes on to explain what happens like the other way, right? Uh, the other side of the coin. Um, so that's verse 22 that basically says that. Um, and, and, and it's spelled out for us in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 10 anyway. Basically, again, summarizing Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 10, it basically says the same thing. If you turn from your sin, the curses will not come upon you. I will forgive you. And basically, you're not going to you're not going to suffer the consequences for that sin. Yeah, but that's that's dealing with, you know, physical consequences and physical death. You know, spiritually speaking, there's only one way that Israel understood that their sins could be remitted. Um, and that was through the shedding of blood. Why they had the whole sacrificial system. Um, if people's sins were forgiven or even, you know, remitted simply by turning away from it, there would be no need for the sacrificial system. Um, and it's like Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, which that was what the program was all about. The, Le the Levitical priesthood, they needed to have the shedding of blood, period. Um, you know, there's there is uh there's no account of scripture and see and i know you know this but like when people say repent and they equate that with turning from sin i just you know it's metanoia in greek changing your mind only if it says to repent of sin then that's talking about repenting of sin but there, it never says that in Scripture. God repented more than anybody in Scripture. And turning from evil ways is works, according, you know. And Jonah 3.10 is the best verse that contrasts it and the fact that, you know, um, you've essentially got, you have turning from sin and repentance mentioned in the same verse. And it's God who's doing the repentance where it says, and God saw their works, which were not saved by his work. God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. So he's specifically laying it out, you know, that turning from their evil way was works. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. So, you know, God repented multiple times throughout the Old Testament, and he gets counted at one time i think it was like 20 something 22 or anyway um so we, when we know god's not a sinner you know so when jesus talking to israel saying repent for the kingdom of heaven said hey i don't know if you believe that they're going to receive their promised kingdom that was you know promised to them throughout the old testament and prophesied about by all prophets um you know but but I do believe that Israel, God will keep his promises to them and they will receive the kingdom um, for a thousand years and so forth. But, but even, even, the, even a Jew back in the Old Testament, which we're not in, you know, we're not under the Old Testament, but 
even the Jews then understood that that for their sins to be remitted, um, that it required the shedding of blood, you know, which was obviously a, a shadow of the ultimate lamb of God on Calvary, but um, but they did it in faith, you know, that they didn't know the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we're not believing that as their gospel for salvation. They knew that God had given them a law to keep when they broke it. There were blessings and cursing that came along with it, but it revealed sin and that they needed their sins to be sacrificed. Um, or their sins had to be resolved through, through the shedding of blood. And as a believer in Christ, our forgiveness of our sins is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So that's why I'm asking, how do you deal with sin? In the sense that, and how does that, how does that play out? Like if you're righteous right now and you're ready to meet God, if you took your last breath and then you tell a lie, but you repent of it, you say, you know, Sorry, Lord, didn't mean to, you know, I, I lied. It was sin. I'm turning from that lie and going to try not to lie anymore. And then you look lustfully on a woman or something, whatever the case is. I'm just throwing out examples. And then before you deal with it and turn from it and repent from it or whatever, you fall dead of a heart attack. Does that mean you go to hell? Because that sin was not that you didn't, you know, in your own will and volition and effort, turn away from that sin to pay for that sin. Or, and if you did repent of it before you died, does that mean you're forgiven because you've turned from it? In other words, where, where is your forgiveness resting in? Is it, is it your righteousness and your not sinning and turning, you know, turning away? If you, if you slip up, you goof up, then you got to deal with it, repent, turn, whatever, and keep that balance, you know, keep the slate clean, so to speak, and just pray that that the departure is when you're in good standing based on, you know, keeping the law and not sinning or whatever. And if you do sin, turn from it. Does that make sense? I understand your question. Um, the, it, the, the, the whole topic about blood and what the word of God actually says is a huge topic. This is one of the big things that I learned. Um, so, I have also believed that as well. And again, I, I mean, coming from the background that I came from, I, I mean, I said the same thing you said, just exactly the same thing. But then again, and uh, maybe I should back up a little bit. It, it, it's it, really, it's everything that I said before, it's really all it all comes down to what is the scriptures, really. You said that I made no mention of Jesus. 
uh, and I understand the context you're talking about. Um, I mean, I did mention him. I said that I'm thinking about how Jesus was so Jewish and all that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I didn't mention about that, his culture and what he wore and that kind of thing. And that was part, I mean, that's just, again, one drop in the bucket, just, uh, just very, very small amount. Um, but, you know, living like how Jesus lived too, doing what I, I think that he was an example for us. Like this is you know, one of the reasons why, you know, he, he came was to, to show us how to live and to you know, follow me, you know, um, do what I've been doing. He even went so far as to say, according to the gospel of John chapter 14, if you believe in me, you'll be doing even greater things that I've done. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I mean, that, yeah, that was, that was a, that was a significant part too. It's like, you know what? Jesus was an example and, you know, um, I just want to be more like him. You still there? So we lost him and I've just taken over his channel. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, he froze up on me too. I'll give him a second and see if he comes back on. So is everybody in this comment section a tour keeper? Yeah, he's he's very um he's he's very open. That's why I wanted to continue the conversation because he's somebody that, you know, is you know somebody that follows the Torah, but somebody that I can that I can actually have a respect respectful conversation with and learn from and glean inside and you know but you're back uh oh hold on all right are you there I can't hear you. I don't know if it's on my end or it's your audio. Can you guys hear him? Still no audio.
It's a sign. It's, it's Jesus saying, believe on me, trust in me alone, Christopher. Okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened there. Sorry about that. The connection just dropped on me here. Yeah, took over your channel for a minute. I guess my uh, internet service provider doesn't like these li these long live uh, live streams. Um, Sorry, I'm listening. I'm trying to get something. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? What was the last thing that I said? I think you were saying that you decided that you're going to trust Christ alone and believe the gospel and <laughs> confess he's Lord and Savior. <laughs> Sorry, give me just one second. Oh, I know. You were talking about blood blood sacrifice oh yeah and then before i just want to say that i want that you were talking about the the dietary laws and health and i agree with you you know i i said that people should not do that for health I, i've said that many times even though even though i kind of almost contradict contradicting myself saying that i didn't really do it for health i didn't be um Well, actually, you know what? At first, maybe, uh, yeah. I always tell people, don't do it for health. Do it because it says it in the scriptures, but uh, I hear you. Uh, in regards to the metanoia, meaning change of mind, yeah, I, I, I totally understand uh, that. And uh, it is uh, in the Strong's Concordance, it is defined as change of mind. Um, there is one thing now. I just wanted to. I don't want to. I don't want to quote something and then have it. See, sometimes in the in the scriptures, it may not be metanoia that it's that it's um, actually translated from. But for example, in Hebrews twelve seventeen, I don't. This is probably not metanoia, but just this is just. A, a, an example of where it says repentance, but it doesn't really mean metanoia. Um, see if I can pull this up. And this is, um, yeah, Hebrews 12, 17. For you know how that afterward, when he, that's Esau, would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So in that case, um, and it doesn't mean change of mind in that in you know, repentance there it means basically change of circumstance. Yeah, but it wasn't it, it, that that's a isolated instance where he could not retract giving up the blessing. You know, that was not about him sinning. That was about about him giving up his birthright. It actually is metanoia. Huh? It actually is metanoia. So, like, so in this instance, 
it cannot mean change of mind because it's obvious that he did change his mind and he wanted his blessing back, but he couldn't get it back. Uh, so that's that's why that's why like sometimes I say you know for the most part the Strong's concordance is pretty good with with um, definitions, but sometimes it's not perfect. Uh, so I mean, my point is is that that repent the word repent or repentance means by its in and of itself change of mind and then it's based on the context of what it's in conjunction with and there's nowhere in scripture anywhere that says repent of sin or repent of your sins that phrase is not in there so to to just say that somebody needs to repent repent of what you know i mean it's there's there's no instance in scripture where that phrase repent of sin repent of evil ways repent it's not it, it that's why i use jonah 10, 3 10 to show you know they they turn from that he saw their works that they turned from their evil way for for us sinful man to turn from our evil ways that's works you know um, whereas you know god repented throughout the old testament and he obviously was not a sinner so my point is is that if you could show me a verse that says that anything to do with we get forgiveness by repentance from sin you know then that's something we could discuss whatever but it's just not in the bible anywhere you know and so that message of repent for the kingdom of heavens at hand dealt with the fact that you know he was he was declaring you know that um that it was time for israel to believe on their messiah and believe on his name and and that through their belief on him and their faith in him then the kingdom would come and the kingdom didn't come it will come you know when the fullness of the gentiles comes in and paul talks about in romans 11 you know and then all of israel will be saved and peter talked about it in romans 3 or acts 3 you know specifically you know because if you've got you've got him preaching in acts 2 at pentecost saying you killed the messiah that was not good news. The cross was not good news to the Jews in Acts 2. He said, you kill the Messiah, and they were pricked at the heart. <clears throat> said, what must we do? And he's, that's when he gives the, the message, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, you know, he, it was given them a call to repentance. Um you know, for killing the Messiah, it was about Jesus and about about their Messiah. And then when he preaches in Acts three, he says in verse, I'll start in fourteen. And ye denied the Holy One, and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof ye are witness, we are witnesses and his, and his name 
through faith in his name hath made this hath made this man strong. Sorry, I can't really see whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And then here's where he explains how Israel's sins are dealt with. Because like I've said before, remission is like cancer. It can come back. And that's why they had to go the day of atonement once a year and the priests offer sacrifice. But now he's talking about when their sins are forgiven, forgiven. He says, and now brethren, I wot that through ignorance, he did it. Talking about crucifying him. Um, as did also your rulers, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. That's when the true forgiveness comes and the sins are removed, that your sins may be blotted out. When? When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. It's talking about the second coming. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution. This is all kingdom language, refreshing and restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So there's, you know, he's, he's declaring to them that, um, that by believing on his name and trusting Christ as the Messiah, um, that through their faith in him, that their sins would be blotted out at the second coming. That's when all of Israel will be saved. That's when, you know, the sins are, are dealt with on Christ's literal fulfillment of the day of atonement, because he fulfilled the first four feasts in his first coming, and he'll fulfill the last three feasts in his second coming, including the Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Tabern Tabernacles, and the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur or whatever. <clears throat> and then that's when that's when their sins are are, are 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 blotted out. Which I think I pointed out before. This is what contrasts their Peter's message to Israel, how that it was spoken of by the prophets since the world began. You know, it was all prophesied that this Messiah was going to come and he came. And they killed him, and he was calling them to repentance and believing in him as the Messiah. So his message was spoken by the prophets since the world began. Then Paul comes along, you know, in Acts 9, gets saved, and then he talks about in his conclusion to his letter to the Romans, he says, um, now to, the, now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but is now manifest. So in Acts 3, Peter's saying, pre, Peter's preaching a message that was spoken of by the holy prophets since the world began. Paul comes along and he's telling them that, you know, to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. So you've got spoken of by the prophets since the world began, and now it's kept secret since the world began. Something changed, you know, and you, you know, it's like I tell people sometimes I'm like a fifth grader, second grader knows the difference between since the world began and 
you know, spoken since the world began and kept secret since the world began. Two different things. There was a transition that took place. Um, and that's where people, I think, get confused is it's not about Paul. You know what I mean? I, it's like I can't, I cannot emphasize it enough. Paul is not our savior. Paul didn't die for our sins. The, the significance of Paul is that Jesus chose to come back to him after his ascension and reveal the mysteries to Paul and everything that applies to the body of Christ in this dispensation of grace was all given to Paul. And then he eventually goes to, you know, Peter and the, the other disciples and shares the grace that was given to him. And he was recognized for that, um, you know, and given the right hand of fellowship that they would, Peter, James, and John, those 12, you know, original Jewish apostles that were told not to go in the way of the Gentiles. Now, you know, they're going to the gospel of circumcision and he's Paul's going to the gospel of the uncircumcision, different ministries and the messages that they were preaching, um, you know, were, were significant. You know, you can't, you can't mix Israel and the body of Christ, the church. It's not a replacement theology and the whole grafting in and, you know, in Romans 11 that gets people confused is that's not about the body of Christ. That's about Jews and Gentiles. There was a tree, olive tree for the Jews, and there was another olive tree, totally different tree for the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, not the body of Christ, Gentiles were grafted into the root of David, which is Christ. And you know, it's through Christ that the whole world can be saved. But the, the the ones that were crafted in was Gentiles, not believers, not the body of Christ, just the fact that Gentiles were crafted in and could have salvation through Christ, because it turns right around a few late verses later and it says they they were broken off, you know, branches of, of the Jews because they rejected Christ. And if you don't watch it, your branches will be broken off too. Well, the body of Christ is eternally secure in him and we can't be broken off. You know, that's that's referring to the partial blindness that was given to Israel that he will restore one day. And, you know, it, it was a message to Gentiles, not the body of Christ, but just Gentiles and the nations or whatever. Um, but that's one of the that's that's one of the key passages that people misunderstand and, and misinterpret to the point where it changes everything. They're like, we are the new Israel, you know, we're, you know, we're spiritual Israel. We're the new Israel, whatever, however they phrase it, we're not Israel, you know, and the body of Christ was mystery. It's heavenly. When we trust Christ, we become flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, members of his body. We're seated in heavenly places spiritually with Christ because he's seated in heavenly places. We set our affections above. We have a heavenly vocation. Totally different program, you know, than what Israel has and what Israel will continue to have through their promise. And it's not until, you know, that's why... Um, was it David or, you know, basically says, David or Jeremiah, I think, says that 
that that Jer- that Israel will be a nation in God's eyes until as long as there's a sun and a moon, they're still a nation in God's eyes. The only time a sun and a moon is going to go away is when the, this earth is destroyed and heaven and replaced with a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And there will be no sun to provide light because God will be that light. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's two different programs. Get those mixed up and confused. Catholics were the first that did it. And that's why they have, you know, like I said, priesthood, altar, sanctuary, everything's just, it's, Judaism 2.0 minus the Jews because they're the most they were the earliest and had consistently been the most anti-Semitic religion you know up until this guy in the 6th century um, decided to marry a 9 year old and start a new religion but they just they want no part of of the Jews um, but again, it, it just it goes back to to my question, you know, as far as dealing dealing with sin. There, you know, no matter how many times you turn away from sin, you're right back to square one of of being a sinner in need of forgiveness for that sin that you might be saved and have eternal life. And, you know, it's either keep the law perfectly and attain it by your own righteousness, which no one has ever done and can do, or um, trust Christ and his righteousness. Like if you ask, you know, if I ask somebody like, how do you know that you're saved? If they don't start off, you know, right out of the gate, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially if he's excluded from what they're sharing their testimony of on what their, what their trust is, what their foundation is, you know, where their security is spiritually and eternally. Apart from Christ, there is no salvation. Um, You know, that's, that's why Jesus had to go down to Abraham's bosom and preach the gospel. Because all those, you know, Jews that, that had, you know, faith and demonstrated it and kept, you know, you know, lived, lived according to the law and dealt with their sins at the day of atonement through the annual sacrifice, you know, and so forth that went to Abraham's bosom instead of being cast into hell, you know, like the rich man, you know, Luke 16 and anybody else that, that um that died without god and everything um they did not believe our gospel today they they were not believing the death and resurrection of jesus christ for their sin. i mean it's like they 
and people, even Christians that I know, good, good intentions, love the Lord, love to read God's word. They try to read back the end of things and say, you know, I've heard people go all the way back to Cain and Abel and say, you know, Abel believed our gospel today. I'm like, you think that the second generation of humans all the way back then, you know, had any idea about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, of course not, you know, but they were, there were, there was still no law. They were, they were, um, you know, there's not even any specifics given of instructions from God. You know, like I said, sin is disobedience to God, period. Whether it's Israel disobeying their law given to them by Moses, whether it's Adam eating the fruit after God specifically told him not to, then enter into the world through Adam and death by sin, death passed upon all men for all sin. But, um, you know, and even today, if we're told to do something or not to do something, we know. We know that it is the will of God that you abstain from fornication. If I go out and fornicate, that's sinning against God. You know what I mean? But that's not because, you know, because I'm under the law of Moses. And the, and then the difference is, is that, you know, it's going to hurt my fellowship with the Lord, but I'm, I'm still saved somebody made somebody actually left a comment a little bit earlier and they were like i don't remember who it was they said something about that you keep the if you keep the torah if you don't sin and you keep the torah then you receive grace like that's literally the opposite of what grace is and you know that i mean Grace is unmerited favor. Like it's, it's, it's unearned. It's a gift. It's, there's nothing you can do to earn grace period at all. Um, you know, so we don't achieve grace, you know, by keeping Israel's law and we don't even achieve grace by, you know, trying to live wholesome, sinless lives and, you know, not killing, stealing, and all these other things to try to obtain the righteousness or whatever. But that sin has to be dealt with, and it's not something that we look inwardly and and turn from it. And then God's like, okay, you're forgiven. You have eternal life. Oh, you lusted. Back to square one. Now, are you going to turn from it again? Or are you going to go to hell? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you're, we're still going to sin, but you're either, you're either secured in the body of Christ today, sealed by the Holy Spirit, or you're outside of that and unforgiven of sin and no righteousness to attain um, salvation, you know, through, through anything.
We're all sinners. It doesn't justify it and everything, but um, but we need we need grace, but ultimately we need Christ. And he has to be, you know, Lord and Savior. Um, I'm not teaching Lordship salvation, but everybody in the Bible that pretty much believed and trusted Christ and everything, first the first word out of their mouth pretty much was Lord. You know, you have to acknowledge him as Lord. Um, and there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. So forth. Yeah, grace has to be received. I'm not a universalist. It's like Paul says to the Galatians in 2.21, you know, righteousness, or I do not frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness come by law, then Christ is dead in vain, you know essentially paints the picture that to try to obtain righteousness by the law is frustrating the grace of God. You've not received saving grace from him. Um, But I think, you know, because we're in this period where God gave this dispensation of grace, um, that's why there's so many denominations and cults and so many other things is, you know, that, that people, because they, they don't have, you know, tangible consequences for their sin. Um, as it was prior to where God would strike somebody dead and, you know, people would get stoned for picking up sticks on the Sabbath and committing adultery and things, fire and brimstone, Sodom warrant that the likes of that, because people are not getting blessings and cursings and judgment right now. I think it deceives a lot of people into thinking I must be doing okay because, um, Nothing bad's happened, you know, to me, which even atheists, you know, look at Elon Musk, richest man in the world, and the guy wants nothing at all to do with the Lord, period. Very vocal about that, you know. Is he being blessed for that? <laughs> no, he's just a really smart guy living in a long-suffering period of dispensation of grace, and, you know, worldly speaking, he's being successful at it for those reasons and working hard and so forth. But, um, but he's going to have a rude awakening if he doesn't trust Christ before he takes his last breath, no matter how much money he's worth, because he's not taking a dime with him. Just to speak to your um, uh, 
quote-unquote repentance, not that this really makes a big deal, but in Thayer's Greek lexicon, I believe in, in, the, in the context a lot of that this word is used in, many times it is talking about repentance of sin. Uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon points that out. Um, I'm not going to get too much into this, but just I just... Uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon, it says to repent, to change one mind, one's mind for the better, heartily amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. Um, you know. Yeah, you'll find all kinds of stuff in, in <laughs> lexicons and theological books and everything else yeah. that immediately go there with repentance. It's just not in scripture. Yeah, the phrase, the phrase is not there. I mean, like things like this, uh, Acts 26, 20, uh, that they should repent and turn to God, do works, meet for repentance. Um, I understand that to mean, you know, uh, you know, change your mind about the way you live, turn to God and do what's right. Uh, that's basically change your mind about, about your life and what you're doing. Do meet, do works, meet for repentance. Um, but that's, that's, what I what I really would like to talk a little bit about is the whole thing about blood and what it says in the scriptures about atonement by by blood. Okay, I'm listening. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Yeah, what are your thoughts on time? Yeah. Um, so here's here's a question, and this is one of the things that got me thinking. Um, again, there's a lot of things that got me thinking. So um, it's all because I mean, just when I'm the more I read the Bible, the more I think about it. So if and you know, I said the same thing too. I said the same thing too. You know, in the people in the Old Testament, that's how the, their sins were atoned for. That's how they were covered. That's how God forgave their sins. That's how they got clean with God as they brought their their sin sacrifice, whatever that may be, bulls, goats, lambs, whatever, and then the blood of that covered their sin. So that's what I believed. The question is, if that is true, why did God reject their sacrifice many times because of their sin. Basically, he's saying, you are sacrificing. I, I do not accept that. I, I do not. Uh, I mean, we can go through it. We can read it. But paraphrased, I do not acknowledge your sacrifices because of your sin. Why would he say that if that's the way it worked? Which verse are you talking about? Oh, there's lots, actually. Um, uh, where are we going to start? I mean, Isaiah is one. Uh, Amos is another. Um, Jeremiah as well. Let's go to Amos first. Amos chapter 5. Isaiah is pretty good, too. Um, but there's many times like this. So, Amos... Chapter 
Okay. Um, Uh, start at verse 21, Amos chapter 5, verse, verse 21. Um, he says, I hate, I despise your feast days. I will not smell your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. So that's one instance where God says, I'm not going to accept, like you're, you're offering these, these offerings, these animal sacrifices, meat offerings, peace offerings, burnt offerings, all this stuff. I'm not going to accept them. I'm not going to regard them. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay any respect to these, these offerings at all. So if the, this is a question, if, if the offerings actually covered the sin, atoned for it, why would he say something like this? Well, I mean, there's different kinds of sacrifices, for one. Um, <coughs> different types of sacrifices, different types of offerings. You know, it was a fully involved thing. Like he's, he, he mentions just in that one verse, um, three different kinds burn offerings, meat offerings, and peace offerings. Um, but he's not, you know, there's a difference between offerings and sacrifices. And, you know, let's see, he goes on and says, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty steam. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel, but ye had borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and she and the images, the star of your God, which she made to yourselves. Therefore, will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. I mean, this is clearly a, that context of it is <laughs> these people were worshiping Moloch and these wicked pagan gods um and then turning around and not making these burnt offerings meat offerings and peace offerings you know you can't you can't be worshiping wicked bohemian grove moloch owls <laughs> you know and then expect god to to accept offerings you know given but this is different than than the, the the sacrifices offered in the shedding of blood by the priests, um, you know, people like you know, even like where it says, "Will a man rob God? You have robbed me in tithes and offerings." You know, it's like those aren't paid for sins. It's just there was an expectation under the law for for these offerings and tithes to be brought in. Um, you know, but the, the, um, you know, the annual day moment was a, was a corporate sacrifice for the people of Israel 
you know, and for their sins. You know, that was. That was the remission process. You know, like I said, it was a it was temporal. It was good for a year and then they had to do it all over again, you know, next year. And for generations upon generations, that was the way that Israel dealt with their sin, you know, and through the priesthood. And, um, you know, that, that was done away with by a priest from the order of Melchizedek, <laughs> you know, and, you know, he paid, he paid it all, you know, but, you know, the thing is, what makes it hard sometimes is, is going back and understanding, and I know you've mentioned more than one time about what it was like in the first century and what would it have been like, you know, this set. And, and that's, you know, that, that's normal to kind of think that way and, and kind of put yourself in that position and watch the chosen, you know, and say, this is what it would have been like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and study contemporaries and so forth. But, you know, one of the, mis one of the hard things is, is because of through progressive revelation, it's hard for us to unlearn what we've learned in order to put ourselves in, you know, like people say, I want, I want to understand the historical context. Well, guess what? We have a new context. You know what I mean? We have more information that God has revealed, you know, progressively over time. And, you know, those, an evangelical day will sit there and tell you, you know, that, you know, Abraham's faith was a kind of righteousness. And I'll say faith in what? And they'll be like, well, you know, he understood. He was looking forward to the cross for the Messiah and his death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm like, no, he was not. You know, and they can't accept that. And they're like, well, how would he not know? They were look, they looked forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. And that's not that simple. That's not, that's not the way, you know, that it was. Yes, they knew that the Messiah was coming. And that the kingdom was promised and there was prophecies about him dying and everything, but, but they did not understand. Nobody, including Satan understood that his death on Calvary and the shedding of his blood was going to pay for the sins of the whole world, you know, which is why it was kept secret or whatever, you know, but they had a different program. You know, and God gave them a land, a law, a covenant, you know, you name it. They were a distinct people that, you know, were distinguished above, you know, all of the nations in the world. And they're still distinct. They're just blind right now. And they missed the Messiah 2000 years ago. <laughs> but. But, you know, they were, they were just doing what, you know, what God uh, commanded them to do. You know, somebody mentioned something about, excuse me, that I don't fear God. Um, you know, I don't fear God as in being afraid of God. Like, I'm sure 
that many were, you know, um, under the law system and everything when they were getting blessings and cursing and judgment based on whether they kept the law. Um, but in the sense of, you know, it's like the fear of God is to hate all evil, you know, things like that to revere God as God at the highest potential possible level of praise, worship, and glory. Absolutely. You know, in, in Proverbs where it talks about fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Um, you know, I see antinomian stuff like that. I do. I hate evil. Like, you know, and that's the, that's a misconception or whatever, but what I define, you know, as evil is not somebody eating pork because it's not to me or working on Saturday, you know, um, you know, I, I hate evil every day, whether it's, you know, murder or abortions or, you know, um, I hate porn industry and alcohol industry. And, you know, I probably would be considered legalistic, by most Christians, you know, in the sense that I don't believe Christians should cuss ever. Um, I don't listen to secular music, you know, it's just that there are things that, that are clear, that are sinful, that, you know, that I hate sin and I make standards of, you know, things that are, that I know are going to be pleasing to my flesh and carnal and, and that sort of thing and set up those boundaries. Um, but, and that's the way it should be, you know, not because I'm special. It's because I understand, you know, what scripture teaches, what salvation and forgiveness is and, you know, seek to just walk with the Lord and, spend time in his word and, um, you know, want to serve him. And, you know, by me being stupid and doing sinful things, you know, like lying, for example, I mentioned that earlier, somebody may not like my, you know, personality or they may not like my beliefs or, or whatever, but you will never hear me, you know, intentionally lie ever. I cannot accuse me of lying, you know, because that's a, that is a big deal to me, you know, is speaking the truth, you know, and like Will was on that last time. And I'll just say this because he's not here to defend himself, but, you know, I heard him say after I jumped off the live, oh, you know, he posts all these TikToks about me and calls me names and all that and just goes on and on and on. That is a factual lie that he was telling everybody because I've never made a single TikTok about him ever. Okay, so, you know, he's breaking the Torah. You know, he better repent if you're watching. Well, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, I just, with most Torah keepers that I know, it's, it's whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. You know, it's, it's all outward and, um, 
you know, and I'm, I'm not accusing you of that. I'm just from what I've experienced and the fruit of it. And, you know, one of the common things of the fruit of, of people that do identify as Hebrews, Torquey or not, is a, just an outright hatred for Christians, you know, that it's like their whole ministry is just bashing the body of Christ. And, you know, everything's all about you wicked pagan Christmas celebrators and all that. And, you know, it's just that attitude, like, you know, there's, it's like a spirit of antichrist that just hates the body of Christ, you know, and those who identify as, you know, believers. Um, I just, you cannot convince me that that's of God. It's not like all of a sudden after 2000 years of church history, the final 20 years, the truth was the whole church has been apostate for 2000 years. And in one generation, the awakening has begun. And now people are seeing the, the real truth of the Hebrew roots and the Torah. And, you know, we got to get back to, you know, the Jewish roots of, of scripture and, you know, have this last revival or whatever. You know, scripture says the opposite. There's no promised last minute revival. It says there's going to be a falling away and apostasy and everything else. And, you know, what, what, what better way to do it than to infiltrate the body of Christ? Because most of these people, it's just, you know, there's no doctrinal statement for what a lot of them believe. There's no organized assemblies, no real leaders. It's just a bunch of, you know, you know, men and women that just sit around on social media and, and propagate what they're learning from the Jim Staley's of the world and the 119 ministries and all these others in this recent phenomenon of a movement. Um, and just, you know, they're not reaching most of them. They're not out. The goal is not to reach the lost and make them God fearing or observant, whatever it's converting Bible believing Christians who are weak in their faith and not grounded in the truth of God's word into just saying, you know, I, this Christian stuff, you know, not really working for me let's try something new you know and they get them where eventually like i said before they kind of go through this phase where it's like you know start calling jesus yeshua you know just subtle little things here and there and start posting on you know how the holidays are paid it's cool to keep the feast you know that we're given to israel to keep and but I know where I know where they're headed, you know, and it's I think many are salvageable and maybe they thought they were saved. And because of the experience, they're trying something new. I, I just don't I don't know about somebody that's truly saved and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Um, going into that, I, I, I think it can happen. I just think that it's more the exception um than the rule but um 
but kind of like Calvinists, you know, like I always say that, that the mission of the church, the body of Christ and Bible believing Christians is to, is to, if you will, convert people to Christianity. In other words, preach the gospel and see them get saved. The mission of Calvinists is to convert Christians to Calvinist Calvinism. You know, it's just evangelizing their little false system of theology and sucking people in with their, you know, marketing ploys. Like, do you believe God's sovereign? You know, and that they'll start going down that road. And, you know, they say yes to four questions in a row. Well, you're a Calvinist. You know, they'll talk about predestination according to Calvin and, and all the, you know, folks that are adhere to TULIP. And then they'll take open up the Bible to Ephesians 1 or Romans 8 and say, you see that? It says predestined. Oh, you're right. It's right there in my Bible. I guess Calvinism's true. You know, they get people that just don't understand Scripture. And that boom, they've got a new Calvinist. And they start watching R.C. Sproul and subscribing to Ligonier's web. <laughs> you know, and it's just tossed about by every wind of doctrine is the best way to describe what I just seem to sit back and witness so much. You know, um, people just believe anything. And I'm sure you've seen it where, you know, the, the videos that, you know, go viral on social media are usually by the most wacky people, you know, saying the most wacky claims and, you know, the casting demons out of people and, you know, and supposedly healing people or getting a prophetic word and a dream and a vision and sharing like people just, oh, wow, you know, that's amazing. And, you know, and it's all just deception. You know, there's so much false teaching. And people, for the most part, are just carried about by everyone to doctrine. They don't know what they believe. Like, I don't agree with a lot of what you believe, but, you know, it's been a 30 year process where, you know, you've given lots of thought and you do spend and invest a lot of time in what you believe and, you know, are seeking to learn and more knowledge, you know, both in, in, from people that you agree with and disagree with. And, you know, I think that, that that's a, you know, that's more admirable than the typical, just they believe everything that they see and they just kind of you know, roll with it. And, and, but there's just, people have just gotten away from the simplicity that is in Christ and they have to, everybody has to complicate something. You know. Well, I don't know. I don't know if you're running out of steam or not. Um, Getting some tired, but uh, yeah, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying uh, fellowship. Wait. Yeah, me too. I know. I've watched occasionally. I'll glance down. I know there's been a few people that that get worked up, and you know, 
that's kind of expected. Um, you know, doesn't bother me or whatever, but, um, I think, um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed talking to you and, um, I, it's funny. I just like, I've always had these Calvinists like, always challenge me for debates. Well, it's usually not the Calvinists themselves. It's other people saying you need to debate this Calvinist. And it's, you know, it's never the Calvinist that wants to debate, you know, it's just people saying you need to debate and stuff. But, you know, like I have looked for a Calvinist that I felt like, like we could have these kind of conversations about and just sort of talk through, um, you know, and just share thoughts and look at scripture and just sort of, you know, whatever. And there's, there's only been a couple that, that I felt like, you know, we could probably have those kind of discussions. It's just timing wise and really worked out and I haven't put as much effort into doing it as I probably should have, but, um, You know, but I, I, I'm trying to figure this whole thing out and you know, you're transparent about it and forthright and, um, hopefully challenging each other and stirring up thoughts to to dig deeper about some things and and hopefully people that that watch you know the discussion are being edified there's always going to be the vocal crowd you know representing both sides of it and stuff but you know silent majority, I think, will typically typically glean a lot, I think, from this types of this type of conversation. And you know, I got a lot of feedback from from our last discussion, you know, that was very positive about it. Um, with the exception of a certain person. <laughs> Yeah, you probably saw the uh, comments there on on my side as well. You know, all different uh, opinions. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm very thick skinned. I, I if I weren't, I wouldn't even read any of the comments. But <laughs> some of them, like most of them, I just chuckle to myself. Like it's just. Some of them have been kind of ridiculous, but, um, you know, it is what it is. I know that there's going to be – like I said, it's, it's always the, the most vocal ones that are going to typically take the biggest shots and everything that they can, but it's like not my first rodeo. 
as long as, as long as our conversation is is you know productive and people are going to say what they're going to say and I'm I'm looking at the long term there, Wade. I'm looking at uh, you know since the first time you came on, I'm like, hey, you know, I don't want this to be the first time and the last time. I want this to be the first of many, the many. So that's how I look at it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's good to have you know these types of discussions and um, iron sharpened iron and. You know, I, I'm glad that, that I jumped on that last time or whatever. And yeah, I feel the same way. I always like to continue and there's certainly going to be other topics that, (laughs) that we can address and sort of share our thoughts and challenge each other on and stuff. But I always always like to hear other people's perspective and you know i really wanted i really wanted to hear your testimony and you know you shared them both last time and this time that helps me kind of see where you're coming from a lot of things um but i don't know man i just Uh, we can just keep keep the communication lines open for sure i mean if you're uh if you're up to it um we'll do this um you know on a you know several times from now until the end of the year anyway i mean several times um i don't know how much you're available but uh yeah i mean i'm looking at uh having you you know, doing this whenever we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, I think it's a good format, you know, in the sense that, um, like I said, I've gotten feedback from people that obviously, you know, would line up more with, with what I've, believe and positions that I hold in the doctor and everything that that enjoyed it and looked forward listened to it listened to it and enjoyed having listened to it and a lot of people you know commended you for for representing your side well and being, being able to have a good respectful conversation Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I'm getting pretty tired. So, Hey, I'm, I'm looking, uh, I, yeah, I want to keep, keep doing this and, uh, hopefully many, many more to come, Wade. Absolutely. All right, Christopher. Well, I enjoyed it and went, probably about two or three hours longer than I thought we were going to go. But, <laughs> but I, like I said, I just, other than just being somewhat you know, fatigued and everything, I know you've done what eight hour type lives before. I think it's seven and a half hours right now for me. 
Oh, wow. Oh, I'm yeah. up se- seven and a half hours, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, we'll keep in touch. Um, yeah, and uh, we'll do it again. Lord willing, whatever, we'll, we'll set up a, a time. Sounds good. Well, enjoy the uh, rest of your night. You're probably going to be uh, headed the same direction I am here shortly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, thanks, uh, thanks, Wade, for coming on. I appreciate uh, appreciate what you have to share. Appreciate you, you know, taking time and you know pouring out your heart and and your and speaking what's on your mind. I appreciate that. You're welcome to do that. So, you we'll do well. it again soon. Absolutely. All right, brother. All right. God bless you. Talk to you. God bless you too, brother. Thank you. Okay. So I am going to say goodnight to everyone here. Uh, thanks. I'm not sure how many of you have been through this whole thing. It's been a long thing, long time. So um, if you're not familiar with what we do here um, every single day, by the grace of God, we go live and um, from Sunday to Friday, six six days a week, 7 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. That's, that'll be New, New York time in case you're on some other part of the world and you don't know what's, what you're talking about Eastern. It's New York. Uh, New York time. Um, and t- every Saturday, so tomorrow we'll be going live, Lord willing, 2 p.m., 2 p.m. Eastern. Okay, guys. So, um, again, thanks, guys, for uh, sticking it out. I'm not sure how many of you were sticking it out for the whole entire seven and a half hours, but you guys are awesome, as always. Uh, and I'm I'm getting pretty tired here. So, um, blessings to you guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for hanging in there and the fellowship uh, in the live chat there. And once again, I just wanted to say. Uh, Thanks to Wade and uh, much respect to Wade. And hopefully, uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see much more of him. Okay. As always, guys, blessings, blessings. All right. So I had to shut off my phone here. Okay. All right, guys, I'll be back again tomorrow, Lord willing, 2 p.m. Eastern, and uh, we'll have another live, some more fellowship. All right, guys, as always, pray for each one of you that are watching. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. See you tomorrow.